Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. And they don't want to hear it. They're just like, oh, here we go, Mark. <laughs> Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, just tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? So, the mud flood directed energy weapon hypothesis. The idea here is that the mud flood event, assuming it was a single event worldwide, must have been caused by some sort of energy release. Yeah, you need energy to move things, to move mud, if it's a shovel or if it's electricity, and that energy has to be sourced by something. Without finding the energy, we don't have an explanation for the mud flood period. So, that's why it's a directed energy weapon hypothesis. Because the idea is that, regardless of how the energy got there, it was directed into certain locations on purpose, as opposed to, say, a natural phenomenon like the Earth experiences some kind of, you know, solar cooking or something every 200 years or something. We don't have any reference points for that. We have stuff like the Tunguska event, which is crazy, and we don't know where it came from. Right now, as I was going to say earlier, with Lake Peru, is, you know, we have Wycos, which are mud floods that happen pretty much every season. And around the world, in Russia and Mongolia, they also have floods. And there's also like mud volcanoes. The volcanoes are essentially just pushing out dirt, and then sediments being pushed across. More than it's like superheated. What you have is you have plasmic steam in these vents underground, and then the, the steam is so hot and so pressurized it becomes plasmic, and then it goes in every direction, creating these lightning storms, which are creating these patterns, which are the, the patterns you're referring to. And then so you're wondering how much power it produce. Well, look at a volcano that has uranium deposits in it or other sorts of materials that create like not just chemical reactions, but essentially like what we refer to as nuclear explosions. Now nuclear explosions aren't exactly the same as how we've been described, you've probably seen that, but very large pressures underground can produce these extreme underground lightning. Yeah, and then the boring tooth, right? I always say that like a, a psychedelic trip or any, you know, or a dream, they're kind of the same thing. When you try to explain them to somebody, 
it's hard to get across because you could picture it in your mind, but it's more the feeling behind it, you know, or the whatever you were sensing at the time in the dream that you can't really say to people. It's like an emotion that you're feeling. And this is this is beautiful because I think maybe if Ben's open to it, I might have a solution for why what sounds to me like maybe a little bit of nihilism in the sense that like, well, I notice synchronicities, but what are they doing for me? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Fix Some Crazy podcast. This is your Friday double feature. That's right. We have a new style, new format of the show where I resurrect from the old RSS feeds of my comrades old episodes where I was a guest or where maybe we did a swap cast and I neglected to post it so here it is we are going to be presenting three episodes today the first one as you may notice from the title of this episode also includes andreas exertis and ari asselin two of the biggest guests we've had on the show in terms of download numbers really interesting uh sources of information uh in both respects So I had to include that one. And then after you're done listening to that wonderful conversation, you'll hear Micah Dank, a friend of mine, someone who I've had dinner with. Tara and I met him in Long Island, author of the Into the Rabbit Hole series and past guest on this show, as well as another past guest, Miguel Connor, host of the Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio. So enjoy stick around for that and then finally you have me as a guest on the legit bat podcast that's right this is the legit bat this is the legit bat grand slam episode and you are here listening to the podcast the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast today is thursday december 9th this episode will be coming out tomorrow december 10th and Listen, folks, the holidays are coming up. I can't do this show without your support. So please show me some love on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. I know you got probably a lot of money that you're spending this year on loved ones and maybe even yourself. Well, do yourself a favor. Sign up for the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon and invest in yourself. That's right. If your family is getting you down, maybe we can help. Join the Patreon. We'll give you a spirit animal name. You get access to the secret telegram where we'll be doing live streams monthly. Sort of like uh, airing your grievances, telling us why your family thinks you're crazy, or just sharing your favorite conspiracy theory. Maybe even sharing a conspiracy theory that you think I've never heard of. I would love to hear some topic and guest suggestions as usual but back to the topic at hand the patreon and the rockfin joe jen and ben are always streaming live on rockfin so if you like the legit bat podcast and you're a follower of theirs on rockfin 
do us a favor and show us some love on Rockfin. I'm going to be streaming live. As a matter of fact, I just live streamed Dave and I's episode, The Elemental Philosophorum, which hopefully will be out today. Just got to edit that one real quick. And we talked about lithium and how it connects to the Mark of the Beast and even the Ghislaine Maxwell Epstein situation that has unfolded over the past however many years. I mean, very clearly to me, we are seeing the organized crime families and all of their plots unraveling. Now, maybe this is a controlled release of information. Who knows? Maybe we'll never really find out the truth. I'm hoping we find out more and we got to stay up to date on that court case. I definitely want to find a guest, maybe a journalist to have on the show to discuss that. But that's a whole nother topic for a different day. If you're interested in the periodic table of elements, if you're interested in alchemy, if you're interested in UFOs, definitely check out the Elemental Philosophorum that Dave and I do. It's a series of podcasts that will be released live on Rockfin, and then after which it will be available only for premium Rockfin subscribers. That's right. The Elemental Philosophorum after episode five will be going behind a paywall, but that's okay, folks, because I know if you love the show, you'll be there and don't worry patreon subscribers will always get the audio of the elemental philosophorum along with all the other great bonus content that they're getting like the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now which is going live as well tomorrow on rockfin with a past guest tim grimes so stay tuned for that actually i'm sorry it'll be out today if you're listening to this podcast when it's released on december 10th be sure to go over to rockfin and check out our live stream with tim grimes 11 a.m eastern time and that's that the legit bat podcast always a fun time these guys are really cool they know how to go deep and still keep things light the legit bat podcast they're awesome joe actually sent me some merch he sent me this little legit bat keychain which is a bat and I use it to hold all of my USB drives that I use sometimes for holding files and whatnot and backing up the show because we do not want to lose any episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And if you're a podcaster and you're not aware, check out our podcast cooperative where your podcast can be featured alongside of great podcasts like Grand Theft World, The Grimerica Show, the Green Knight Podcast, the Tinfoil Hat Podcast, the Higher Side Chats Podcast, Rogueways Podcast, Lighting the Void Podcast, Upstate Unconventional Podcast, the Wicked Planet Podcast, and many, 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 many more. Those are just off the top of my head, folks. We have over 60 plus podcasts in the cooperative so if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to maybe you've gotten through every episode of the my family thinks some crazy podcast go over to altmediaunited.com and check out all my friends we have some new podcasts that just got welcomed into the cooperative shout out to greetings earth family 
um, and all the other new podcasters that are there with us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And maybe you're out there and you're saying, hey, I want to start my own podcast. I want to do this too. Well, you're in luck because if you go to altmediaunited.com and you scroll down to the bottom of the site, you will see two links. Take your pick, whichever you prefer, Gumroad or Patreon. But for a monthly fee, I will take you through a crash course and teach you every skill you need to know to become a pro podcaster in no time. So thank you folks for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Be sure to check out the episode description for our latest sponsors. That's right. We've got sponsors, folks. And if you don't like hearing ads, well, show some love on the Patreon and maybe there will be less of them because the more people I have supporting me in the value for value model, the less I will need to plug really awesome businesses like Fru's Forest Baths or Akasha Goods and even Audrey Lobdell's Reiki and sound healing sessions that's right if any of those sound appealing to you you want to get some really cool different types of artwork check out akasha goods you need a sound healing session check out audrey lobdell and if you want to learn about forest bathing and if you're in their area maybe you can even get a one-on-one forest bathing session check out that link all included on our website And thank you for listening to the podcast, folks. I don't like doing ads, but I have to. That's right. And if you don't like hearing ads on the show, even though those people that I just mentioned are fantastic and could really, really benefit you if you check them out, I say I endorse them. Definitely endorsed. Uh, But I don't know. This isn't really an ad. It's more of an endorsement, right? Uh, These are services that i agree with and products that i really like so check it out fruz forest baths akashagoods.com and also audreylobdell.com all of those are on our website check it out today and that's that on to our grand slam episode double feature on the legit bat podcast featuring yours truly mr mark mystic mark to some Speaking of Mystic Mark, the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse just came out with a new episode. You might not see it in the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy feed. That's because Mike and I are releasing that series only on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. That's S-U-S-Q-U-E-H-A-N-N-A, Alchemy, A-L-C-E, sorry, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. Susquehanna Alchemy, search that in the same podcast player you're listening to this on and stay up to date with the newest episodes of your handbook for the apocalypse. All right, I mean it this time. On to our Grand Slam episode with the Legit Bat Podcast, brought to you by our lovely sponsors and most importantly, our amazing, amazing supporters.
those who don't know <laughs> right on. i, I was gonna say plug. we should probably do do a little bit of plugs at the beginning and then we can get into it so we have, that was mark steve everybody knows mark from my family from, thinks I'm crazy brother thank you and i gotta say shout out to andreas i love this guy shout out to the episode you did with sam dude and mark thank twain you. talking about that whole segment i've never heard any of that so i was excited but for folks who are stuff, yeah interested well, dude, in right back that, at you great to see you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And, you know, we're starting a new podcast called the Synchro Mystic Exploration of the Ever Expanding Now. We're three episodes in, but I hope to have Andreas on there. Ari, we're going to talk about synchronicity and get into how you can actually change your life for the better and maybe how the research is a part of that. Because I think the mystery that we're all unfolding here, or getting into is like, what makes this so fun for me? Right. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd also yeah. say uh, check out Andreas.me if you haven't already figured it out. I have a website that's updated now. So you just go to www.andreas.me. That's it. Just Andreas.me. Oh, it's not, not Zertus.com anymore? I do have that too. Exertus or xirt.us. I have exert.us also. But Andreas.me is easy so that people can find. You know, I feel like it's there's... It's an easier name. You might have heard of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Then we got uh, Roman from Rising from the Ashes. How's it going, buddy? Hello. How are everybody? How are everybody today? <laughs> You're going to fit in just we fine. Is great. <laughs> it's a super yeah. meta question. I are a baboon. <laughs> yeah, give us yeah. Your, uh, your show or where, where we can find you, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Rising from the Ashes podcast. We've had Ariane before. That was an amazing Absolutely. episode, dude. Absolutely. So much love going around. Alternative history. I, I cover a lot of plant medicine because, you know, health is the most important thing. Health is wealth. It's the goodness that is with your cellular body. So, yeah, all that good stuff. And thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate everybody. Of course, dude. And then last but not least, we got Ari Sulin. Right? Did I say it's, that right? Absolutely. It's not Asulin, everybody. It's Asulin. <laughs> I always get it wrong. I'm sorry. Ari. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Either or. So, yeah. he's, he's the man with the uh, the presentation for us tonight. So we're going to kind of just hand it over to him. And then you guys can duke it out. Because we, you guys know way more about Tartaria and everything than we do. So I'm just going to hand it over to Ari here. And if you're just listening on audio, head over to Rockfin. Because this is going to be visual heavy, I'm sure. So yes, Ari, yeah. take it away. Try to. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, my website is paradigmthreat.net. I started two, two, two years ago when I sort of hit a climax of research went from going from amateur and investigative to starting to decide that I have, I'm ready to make conclusions on things. And I, I see like everyone has sort of their angle on why they care about conspiracy, history, all, history, all that. Everyone has their investments into it, right? I, you know, someone likes it because of family or where they're born or you know, that's something they just saw online. But in my case, I came from a social engineering sort of perspective where I would say I'm sort of late to the game when it comes to conspiracy theory in general. And I've been catching up since about 2014 when I started getting interested in it. But the social engineering aspect of it is what really caught my interest. Going back to the early 2000s, of the online days, you got IRC, you got, you know, StarCraft on Battle.net, you got all these, these new technologies just coming right out without any, with any gauges and people sort of discovering how to communicate in all kinds of ways. And I sort of magnet was drawn to social engineering, let's just say, the idea of BSing, that print, pulling pranks on people, you know, trying to play tricks online, especially in video games and forums. I came from a website called OC Remix, which we remixed video game music 
And yeah, there was just a lot of pranks going around. And I just really got this dose of the idea that people can be so easily social engineered. They can be sort of routed into, you know, mundane conclusions that, you know, they're better than that, but they can do it, but they can be routed anyway. And, and the power of that is what drew me to conspiracy land. Certain topics I saw, which I did not understand right off the bat. I saw an article in 2010 about predictive programming. And this concept was just like hard to, you know, why would that work? What, what is it? You know, that sounds stupid. That would never work. Those are all the initial conclusions when you read these concepts until you finally get to the point where you want to say, okay, maybe it just does work. And maybe it works really well too. Maybe predictive programming is what they ended up, they, you know, let's just uh, start calling them the deep state, have decided is the best way to rule people. You don't tell them, you don't hide the plans from them. You don't lie to them all the time. You show them stuff to their face in a proper context. You tell them what you want them to believe, what you don't want them to believe. They've been doing that throughout television, movies, media, especially in education and through government policy especially foreign policy, which is usually based on some kind of mundane concept, some usually racist or you know, scarcity concept. And, and so all of this, this programming essentially puts the onus on us, the individual, because you know, we haven't organized any kind of resistance in the last you know, six, 60 years. This world hasn't seen any kind of meaningful resistance movements that didn't just get defeated right away. So I'm covering a lot of topics here, but the point is that's because of this predictive programming, it puts the onus on all of us to be the ones to disprove everything. Like, oh, that science fiction movie had something real in it. So if I try to tell somebody that, they're gonna say, what, you think science fiction is real? You know, it's just, it's all stacked against us. We can't say, look, trust me for a second that they're trying to fool us by telling us their plans in movies. People would be like, what? It's just, it works so well on the masses. It's yeah, what really- because it's so easily dismissible. We just talked about that the other day about how it's easily dismissible. They're like, that was a right. movie, dude, you're insane. Exactly. Well, and it's entertainment. Entertainment has been the gateway for pretty much everything for uh, almost a century. Well, yes. entertainment is a psychological. Absolutely. I mean, it's a well, it's a commercialized art that you can study the reactions of people so much. That's what they say for advertising whenever they spy on you. But it's so much deeper because it's about how you're going to respond to something. And it's true. Like there's the initial response versus the latent response. So you can have a generation trained to hypnotically react to their parents believing in something that's irrationally installed. All of that is totally real. It's in very fact, studied. Some things, study about tar- some things about Tartaria are actually part of a psychological operation, which is interesting. In 1968, I think, you know, huh. you can wow. go back further yeah. than that, though. I mean, you can go back to the morals and dogma. Albert Pike and Freemasonry in the 1800s is talking about Tartaria. So there's already like a setup and a narrative for the word being used. And if you're hinting at it being used now by so many people that it could have a generalized meaning that leads towards the World Economic Forum's Davos reset, then I'm right with you. Absolutely. I definitely so, think people so one are sec, let's get to that, Tatari, in a second, because we'll get there in a second. With the, the predictive programming aspect of it, which you just said, absolutely, they have all kinds of ways to prevent us from ever getting to the information. And then at that point, the onus is on us to prove it. The angle that I came into all of this with was in 2014, when I got hit hard by the whole Nibiru conspiracy, the idea that there could be, you know, aliens involved, human affairs, federated government, you name it. I, I saw, saw them all, all at once. I didn't really know what to believe because all of them explained why things are so bad. You know, no one else had an explanation, but these guys did. So I really got hooked on this idea that 
yes, there actually could be some someone in charge of Earth. I totally believe the, that we're in sort of a prison planet situation here. This is not natural at all, but we need to come that, up with... That had to have been a really rough week for your brain. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are scary things. And I think may, maybe some people might describe um, similarities. I went through physical and mental withdrawal. It was a big thing. I have strong ties to Israel. My entire family's over there. They all wanted me to move there in 2015. Actually, 16. if you were Israeli, how religious were you? Because I think the idea of Eden being a walled garden prison planet is pretty much supplied by the entire narrative, right? Well, I'll get there. The, uh, religion in general has predictive programming concepts in it where you can certainly sort, sort of ascertain anything that's going on to the will of God or the devil. And so it, again, puts down onus on me to say to my family, you know, these things are happening for the reasons you think. Anyway, so I was, I was like just stretched and I really just needed to have some kind of grips over this one. I couldn't accept any of the theories as put because none of the conclusions were hypothesis. Hypothesis are very important. They can explain the past. Hypothesis are supposed to predict the future. If you don't have a working hypothesis, you don't have anything. So, you know, these people about Nibiru and time travel and everything like that did not have a working hypothesis that predicted anything past or present or future. I needed something better. So what I really got hooked on was this idea that there, there could be life not on earth, but not so far out, just right there in the solar system, right there on Mars. It doesn't have to be any further than that. And they could have all this reason to sort of need to dominate earth resources and all kinds of stuff. And that they shared our, our history before I get into that. So too far, I actually saw a lot of reason. I got a lot of clues my whole life that this is the case. The first biggest clue is my favorite book War of the worlds in 1900. It came out. And it was the first science fiction, with the exception of that Cthulhu book, which isn't really a space movie, fiction. It was the first space science fiction book ever. War of the Worlds came out in 1900. And it said, you know, th this is fiction. We're not dealing with the truth anymore. Everything that we're going to tell you now is fake. Before that, you actually had 100 years of literature, at least, especially here in America, as a place on Tucson, actually, nearby where I live, that talked extensively of what they saw on Mars. We've all heard about canals and water and all this kind of stuff. And, and that no one ever said any of that was fiction or even had a category of science fiction back then. It wouldn't have been necessary. The true stories were more amazing than the ones you can make up. So something happened in the 20th century where we started labeling entire categories of stuff fiction. Tartaria, for example, falls directly into that. And suddenly we have a situation where we, we don't know what is true, what to believe in. Things are torn from other places, relocated, time periods are lied about locations are lied about. So again, I need to have grips over this. I couldn't just accept, you know, it's impossible and solvable. There has to be a primer, just like with social engineering. There's usually a plan, a top down plan that, that explains everything we're seeing right now. And with, with modern history, with my channel on discord, a paradigm threat channel, I had a bunch of people come in early and they they started telling me all this stuff. Rome isn't true. That Rome never happened. It's a lie. And the timeline of 2000 years, you know, 2021 that we're in is also a lie. I hadn't heard this one before. I was kind of blown away by the timeline, phantom timeline hypothesis, right? And unfortunately, I couldn't find any good references, but my mind was blown when I went to Wikipedia and I found a, just a tiny article in Fomenko, which listed all of his claims all at once. <sighs> I never heard that stuff before about the Crusades and Trojan War. Recently. Right, yeah. This stuff was clearly hidden from us under the guise Dude, of Russia. There's been people for a uh, hundred years almost now because Fomenko, when he started in like the thirties. So it's like 90 years of research that some people knew about. It's like certain pockets of people that were isolated from each other. 
Right. So, you know, I come from a religious background and I'm not religious and I really am scrutinizing of religions. And I usually try to find, you know, what they're fighting about. And I've always wondered what, like, what actually makes the difference between a Jew and a Muslim and a Christian when they, they're almost identical if you really look at it. Ask and, Maimonides, right? Say what? What was that? Oh, ask Maimonides, right? Maimonides. Maimonides. Yeah. I have to look that up. But, he's I mean, the philosopher who ran oh, okay. Spain, who chose, like, he was a Jew who ran Spain for Muslims oh. during the you know, Christians. Okay, yeah, there you go. Like, for example, what is the real origin story for the Jews and Muslims? Was it, you know, ancient times? Or is there no connection between those ancient people and people today? Nothing that, that can be actually ascertained. And so I started looking at every one of these questions, not as anything that has ever been solved, but things that are still being fought over today, because it gives people power. People in Israel, people outside Israel, you name it. There's all kinds of power ascertained by causing conflict. When in the 90s, if you looked at the culture of the world in the 90s, we were intelligent. Our media was coming out, just calling out all of this stuff. Long time ago, we were ready to change. And then 9-11 happened. And suddenly everyone was put back on the old track of thinking, you know, Muslim versus Jew versus Christian. It's almost like, wasn't that just a trick to make us think on those terms again? So I had to really get into the grips of, of where these terms come from. And, and when I finally found Fomenko, it was like, okay, now I want to just accept everything he says. He's got to be the right guy, right? And, and so, you know, then I find uh, people who are critical of Fomenko. He worked for the Stalinists. I mean, he couldn't have obviously said everything he believed. Yeah, or even right. He, he was clearly a state-sponsored guy, started in the university, and they'll just allow anything in there or out of there. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, he might not have realized that he was being watched or anything. It just seemed like a normal guy to me. His research was based on books that he saw in the Kremlin. None of that's doubtable. It's all very serious and real. You know, whether or not the Russians wanted this to happen or if it was an, it was, it was an artifact of the fall of the USSR, you know, it was up for debate. But to me, the biggest question was, is this the reliable source now? Is this it? Can we now trust this guy? And what I found out is that the Russians also have, you know, biases towards the West. They have their own kind of version of history, and they think that they're wronged in many places where you know, the Western people think they were wronged. So that's, that was finally the primer I was looking for. Not that one was right or the other one was right, but that there is this huge schism in, in Europe. Uh, it's East first West. It's polytheistic East first monotheistic West. It's Inquisition Roman Empire, which is actually the Russoid Empire, coming from the East to the West and causing the Inquisition, making a bunch of people flee to America. That, kind of, that whole story is real. It's just that the people of the story have been fighting each other and are still fighting today over it. Why wouldn't you? This is the, if you benefited from a crime, you need to cover up the crime. So I finally found my primer. All history has been redacted, because, in my opinion, because people need to cover up their crimes. That's the biggest reason of all. Everything else is, is secondary. The biggest crimes of, of modern history, for example, that happened in the 19th century might have been pushed back as far as a thousand years or more, the Aztec empire being wiped out by the conquistadors. That might've happened in the 19th century, you know, and pushed back. Fomenko certainly believes that Columbus came 300 years after they said he did. And, and there was an attempt to wipe out the American population. But we also have records that, that failed, that the Spanish empire, uh, their vassal to the Russoid empire, did not get very far in America, that they were, they were sort of ordering, this was a Jesuit's time, were ordering the native Americans to sort of give up their tribes. Native Americans refused, and they gave them this edict that says, if you don't obey us, the church said to the Native Americans, if you don't obey us, we're going to take your children, we're going to enslave them, we're going to, we're going to 
subject you to the yoke of the church, is what they said. So, so this, again, this is the kind of thing I'm looking for unsolved conflicts that are still happening today. The East versus West thing is very prevalent. You got monotheistic Reformation style religions spread throughout the world, thanks to the Jesuits. And in Russia, you have this evidence that actually all of that religion was theirs. That came from there. The Jerusalem number two was actually the Kremlin. That's where Jerusalem was before the 19th century. The Kab, the original Mecca, was right next to the Kremlin. It's a big cube that everyone worshipped because it looked like the North Pole of Saturn. And uh, Christianity had its origin from the Orthodox Church. And Islam, they were the original Jews of the Rusward Empire. And, and that only because somebody defeated this empire and stole its history that we think anything else. We think you know, Muslims came from Saudi Arabia and so forth. So I'm jumping all over the place. Anyone have any questions or anything so far? I don't keep jumping. I like it. Killing it, sir. Killing it, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, this helps me get get over each time. So for my hypothesis, I basically, I was triggered completely by finding the mud flood conspiracy only about nine or 10 months ago. I was blown away by it. This is not your normal conspiracy. Their daddy's conspiracy. This is uh, not JFK. This is something else. This is something happened to the whole planet and nobody wants to talk about it. (laughs) I was about summing it up right there. And when I say nobody wants to talk about it, what I really mean is you go to these locations, which which qualify as mudflood locations. And we're looking for reasons why this happened alternate to our hypothesis that we come up with. And nobody in these locations will ever talk about these things, these events. They'll say these buildings are always like that, or that's just the basement. So that's what I mean when I say nobody wants to talk about the mudflood geographically. So the mudflood seems to be, let's just say the biggest conspiracy of all. That's the one that we have to find an explanation for it. I actually had a person come to the channel today and say, uh, you know, how do you know it's not liquefaction? Yeah, that's a great question. Great hypothesis, liquefaction. It's known to be caused by earthquakes or energy weapons. It can make um, a car sink into the ground. It can make a house sink into the ground. But if you look at those videos, you'll see that the cars, the house, they always tilt when they, when they affect liquef- liquefaction, that they're never straight. It's like the Tower of Pisa. And in fact, these mud flood buildings never do that. They actually are, go straight into the ground or the ground level goes straight up above them. Some locations, right? Yeah. Some locations, you know, five, six feet, some locations, 20, 30 feet stories, some locations way higher than that. Salt Lake city temple, for example, apparently has five stories buried underneath it. And no one would have wanted to build it that way. And those stories have windows. What was that good? Well, I've, I've heard seven, but seven, exactly. yeah, I was yeah. being conservative. And, the whole, there, and anywhere that's in the Mormon area, the Deseret buildings, supposedly yeah. as tall as any of the buildings are, they're at least that deep. Right. Thank you. As Thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Confirmation. Like that's something weird. And you got Mormons who represent a modern religion. They already have an explanation for all this, right? They said that the, the Nephites, you know, known as Nephilim in the Christian Bible came from Tower of Babel to North America. Mm. And, and when they mean the Tower of Babel, they actually mean the collinear configuration of Saturn, not an actual tower. But that's you know, theory. What was known is the Book of Mormon says that they're all killed off. And that they were giants, they're a giant race here in America that were all killed off because God willed it so. So the first question to ask is, you know, are, are Mormons talking about the mud flood? You know, their book does says way further back, but it fits perfectly. This idea that God showed up, killed off all of the big things, all the giants, anything else that sort of that sort of couldn't withstand lightning strikes or sort of exposed out in the open and didn't have certain kind of cathedrals built that could withstand this sort of electric onslaught that was involved with the mud flood event. So jumping around, but let's just get to the beginning of the theory here. Let me actually share screen so you can actually see my little 
that's not it. There it is right up here. And yeah, I haven't even done this video yet, but that's because I got to, I got to the middle and I realized that I have some other deductive logic that I need to sort of start over my theory with. I'll, I'll explain to that in a second. So the mud flood directed energy weapon hypothesis. The idea here is that the mud flood event, assuming it was a single event worldwide, must have been caused by some sort of energy release. Yeah, yeah you need energy to move things, to move mud, if it's a shovel or if it's electricity. And that energy has to be sourced by something. Without finding the energy, we don't have an explanation for the mud flood period. So that's why it's a directed energy weapon hypothesis. Because the idea is that regardless of how the energy got there, it was directed into certain locations on purpose, as opposed to, say, a natural phenomenon, like the Earth experiences some kind of you know, solar cooking or something every 200 years or something. We don't have any reference points for that. We have stuff like the Tunguska event, which is crazy, and we don't know where it came from. And, and so we have, we have actually a lot of reference points. Something crazy happened in the 19th century, a dust bowl and so forth, uh, explained by, by human. Not thoughts. to interrupt, but someone remind me later to tell my theory on that one after. But, yeah, let's cover dust bowl at the end. So I'll go into a bunch of them. But so, so the point is, if there was such an event, if we can determine when it happened, then we absolutely have to determine why it happened. It seems like most of the researchers I've seen have agreed that this event occurred between the early 19th century and 1860. So about a 60 year period where it started, stopped, recurred. And then after the sixties, it never happened again and was, was forgotten about whatever this event was. So first question is, you know, well, let's get to the question. We got to what and how is, is well, I'm out of uh, order here. Next question really should be, no, okay, so how is fine. Okay, so if we know when it happened and we don't think it was a natural event because we don't have natural reference point, then we have to explain why it happened geopolitically. We have to look at that aspect of it. Even if it's a federation of aliens that invaded Earth, if, if it's that, then we have to look at that as the hypothesis. So the first thing about the mud flood is it seems excessive. It seems like this world became post-apocalyptic at that time and that we're sort of living in a recovering world. It's going back to normal very slowly. That this event was not what anyone wanted to happen, not even the people that caused it. That, that would be the first, I would say, logical guess to make. Otherwise, you could say, you know, they would have done it in such a way that kept them in power and kept the secret going and they could use it again in the future. But again, this seems to be an excessive situation where buildings rose and, and there's no reason for them to want that. They might have wanted to destroy targets, but they didn't want to leave evidence behind. So, so what is the way that this event could have happened in the 19th century? Well, we all know about theories of, of technology in, in the last thousand years. A lot of theories coming out. You got sound cannons, you got airships, you got all kinds of cool stuff that may have existed and is now suppressed. So that would tell, give us an idea of where we were with technology at the time. Is that enough to like destroy the surface of the earth? No. So what are we looking for? We're looking for some kind of advanced weapon, something really advanced for its time. If humans on Mars shared a shared history with us on earth that is only about what I, I've estimated to be about 4,000 years long, then they would just be only a matter of hundreds of years ahead of us in technology. They would have the capability of making this kind of weapon very easily. It's just about coalescing energy to one point and releasing it. The energy has nowhere else to go, but the nearest planet in opposition. So when earth and Mars become in opposition it happens every 36 months, I believe this is a possibility for this energy to be released from one planet to the next. The energy, of course, would come out in a haphazard sort of way, but coalesce to a point on the Earth's EM field 
pierce it and come down onto the ground. This, this instrument, you could call it, was precise. It was so precise. It could actually it could actually carve out locations on the ground, destroy a region. It was a weapon. That, that's what the hypothesis is. Now, <clears throat> where was the target? If we look at geopolitical events, we, we could see that there was a there was a French Revolution right before and that leading up to the War of 1812. The War of 1812 was another big overlooked event of the 19th century that you know we've all heard about in, in school, but nobody talks about it. They always talk about Waterloo. They always say Napoleon, you know, screwed up in Waterloo. It's like, well, Waterloo is nothing. The invasion of Russia was 420,000 soldiers. It was huge. They crossed the Alps. It was nothing, nothing. So then what was it? What was Napoleon's invasion of Russia? Was that, you know, like a big deal war? Was it like World War One kind of? Because they don't call it a world war. Well, surprise, surprise, there's another war happening at the exact same time here in America, War of 1812 against the British. And if you look closely, the British at the time were still, were, were, were just, just independent from the, they were vassal to the Rusort Empire and they had just become independent. And the American colonies, again, had declared independence, 1776, from the Rusort Empire, not from Britain. When the British attacked Americans in 1812, Napoleon was here. He had all of Louisiana. He had about a third of North America. This battle happened while Napoleon was here, and it happened while he was invading Russia. It happened in the same year. This is a World War of 1812. And of course, it needs to be taught that way in school. It's the first World War we had. It's very different from World War I, of course, because one was fought with, with meager artilleries and mustard gas and trenches. It's almost pathetic, and none of the soldiers wanted to fight. But the 1812 well, war... Go ahead. It's pretty bad, though. They have all the... In 1812, and I, we've been calling it World War Zero, because like, it has unbelievable amounts of high industry like the kinds of explosives and biological warfare and fire and other things that seem anomalous is yeah we had a lot of tech yeah i should totally play uh 1812 overture right now because it kind of makes the point i mean Tchaikovsky hated that song he didn't want to work on it you can kind of listen to it closely and see why you know it represents the tsar's victory over napoleon nobody wanted the tsar to win nobody wanted napoleon to lose but, anyway. but they literally that uses cannonballs, right? Yeah, yeah, right there. The cannonballs, cannonballs in the song. Literal cannonballs in the. But were any real cannonballs used in the Battle of 1812? Right. Some people uh, say that zero. the cannons, right? Yeah. Some people say the cannons don't work. You put gunpowder and cannonballs in the cannons, you ignite them, they just crack in half. So they could potentially have been sound weapons. You know, could defer to the other experts on that one, but I've seen those videos. That's pretty convincing. So. The 1812 war seemed to be a time of high technology. And then right after that, we have the mud flood event. And now we have this, this sort of reset, which people aren't aware of what technology is possible. A lot of it's, we're told, is not possible. Lasers, anti-gravity, instantaneous teleportation, healing technology. We're, we're taught that things like the stuff they put in the water, fluoride, is you know, good for your teeth. When there's every reason to believe in that. 18th and 19th centuries that people were very telepathic back then and tele telepathy may have played a role in some of these major events. We had the 1666 revolution of Judaism where the rabbi was telling everyone they had been hearing voices directly for many months. And a lot of witnesses confirmed it and has literature, you know, that that could have been really telepathy, you know, was it from Angel or was it from somebody on Mars during opposition? Let me throw out one random factoid out there, just something that just really, you know, just nails these things into my head. But I found this one website which listed trade points from the Dow Jones in the 
in the 20s and the 30s, and they, they were listing the trade points and comparing them to the Mars opposition, the, the periodic 36-month Mars opposition. Unbelievable, right? There's no way there's going to be a correlation. And there was. Apparently, the stock market went nuts every time Mars was in opposition for periods of 40 or 50 years straight. This is unmistakable evidence that they are involved in our affairs, even to the point of they're buying our real estate right here. So, you know, these humans, these are not anything else. It's not like War of the Worlds where they make it gruesome on purpose. In fact, War of the Worlds stole their, their creature from Cthulhu anyway. A lot of people say that in the forums. It looks mm-hmm. identical. And it's a mind control, you know, thing trying to control humanity. It's the same thing again. So anyway, War of 1812 appears to be the trigger for the mud flood, which is where I get my main reasoning that the mud flood is a response to Napoleon's victory of 1812. Now, officially, he lost that war. Take a look at the details of, of his invasion of Russia. You can see that he lost 420,000 soldiers just by having not enough resources. You know, what's the word? You know, food supplies and stuff like that. And that they, they, weren't, they weren't ready for the winter. But again, these, these are professional soldiers from Europe. They were not unaccustomed to these kinds of environments. They had resources. They knew where to get them, and they knew how to hunt. The official story of, of Napoleon's loss, 1812, makes no sense. He, he didn't seem to have lost that war at all. He seemed to have reached the Kremlin. The Tsar's army wasn't there. It was gone. And it looked like, that's it. That's victory. And then suddenly he loses after that. So what else do we know? The Kremlin was burned to the ground. Apparently the Tsar was the one that did it. This region had, had a lot of cataclysm in it during that time. Later on in history, we see other cataclysms in the same region, like the Tunguska event. We got a lot of reference points that Siberia in general has gone through massive upheaval. Siberia, as we know now, is basically the covering up of this Tatarian empire, this Rus' horde empire that used to exist for a long time. And when Napoleon, who was enemies with the Rus' horde empire, when he defeated that empire, his victory had to be reversed, but they couldn't leave that empire in charge either. They were defeated too. And anyone else on earth that might have later posed a threat. This is just going back to my theory of, of, why, of uh, why it happened. If, if someone on Mars convinced everyone that they had to reverse the, the course of events of the Napoleonic Wars in order to reassert control over Earth, in order to continue the resources flowing, then, then they would have all understood that this has to be done one time, has to be done correctly. Cannot be done, kind of have to repeat this 200 years later. So you got to take out everyone that will eventually be a threat. Napoleon, obviously, the Tsar... Well, they were actually the original empire enemies of the deep state. They were the ones where Jesus came from the Rusward Empire. His name was Christ Andronicus back then. And he went to Central Europe, Turkey at the time. He went to Istanbul to choose someone and sort of just caused all the problems and, you know, screwed up their religion, told them they don't have to believe in any of that monotheistic, you know, usury stuff. And they could just go straight to the Rusward's version of it. The, the Horde Empire was, uh, in my opinion, and Fomenko's opinion, of course, he's biased, was a really well-done empire. It was, you know, of the people. It tried. It was first to bring democracy into the world. It's A lot of the stories were stolen by the memory of the Roman Empire. And then a lot of bad stuff was added in. Crucifixion, for example, which was extremely rare back then. It did not happen all the time, like they tell us. And it was extremely rare. And that they even crucified Andronicus probably has a lot more to do with the fact that he was a revolutionary. In, in the Bible, there's another revolutionary in the same trial called Barabbas. Barabbas might have been the original name of, or their name for him. Why? Because he's a barbarian. He's from the Rus Horde Empire. Horde, again, barbarian. 
They're implying that these people are are not civilized because they don't follow their usury and, and, and monotheistic religions, essentially. They have barbarians in Africa. They have Tartarians in the East. They have names, bad names for everyone. So it's it, they call themselves, I'm actually not even sure what they call themselves, but Fomenko said Bruce Horde Empire. And since he's Russian, I'm just going to go with that. So um, back to the mud flood. But I was looking for, let's see, let's pull up some video here. I was looking for some real evidence of this. You know, I got some theories now. And what we're looking for is lightning scarring across the earth on Google, Google Maps. It's not hard to find stuff that looks like lightning scarring. This is dendritic effects, or sorry, dendritic effects. These are, these are kind of spiky patterns where energy spreads out and finds as much room as it can. Rivers obviously cause dendritic effects, but so does lightning. Lightning constantly tries to find the highest ground. And in a concentrated point of lightning, it would deteriorate the highest point and cause a canyon, the amount of discharge you put into it. This, you can be, you can, you can check out the Sapphire project for the verification of this. They've done experiments in the lab of exactly this. Got negative electric scarring, which carves canyons and positive electric scarring, which creates mountains, which is as amazing as that sounds. So first thing I did, I looked around for, you know, scarring. And I started camp with inductive hypothesis that actually a lot of the stuff we see can be explained by electric scarring, but that was not going to convince anyone who also can say that could have been rivers. So what I started finding later was locations that could not be possibly be explained by anything. And that, whether or not they could be considered electric scarring. So let me pull up a couple here. We got, this one's really interesting, Shiprock, negative lightning scarring. That's what I call it. Nope, that's not, it's right here. Right here. There it is. Okay, so south of me in Arizona, it's this uh, Shiprock formation. And Andrew Hall of, of the Electric Universe Persuasion describes this as an electrically created structure, not just because of its weird shape and location, but also because of these weird long stretching arms that come out again in a dendritic fashion, which means, sorry, Google Maps trying to get out. That's great. <laughs> Got stuck. There we go. Uh, coming out in a dendritic fashion. So if these things can be explained by lightning scarring, they might be evidence of of cataclysmic creation of mountains rather than the, the, the long-term version that they teach in the school, uniformitarianism, you know, billions of years, that kind of thing. This structure cannot be created in billions of years. It's, it's uh, up in the, in the air. You know, there, this region would have had to have been completely carved out evenly over this time. And instead we see these mesas all over the place. These mesas are flat, you know, they're not unevenly carved at all and there's no signs of rivers. So you see my point, some of these structures could actually be you know, they're, they're unexplained still, but here's the biggest mystery of Shiprock. And you can look this up. The native Americans have a mythology about this location saying it was created by star people as their definition. They call them star people, you know, from the stars. They, they don't know if they came from close by a planet like Mars or somewhere further, but they are star people to them and they created this mountain. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's testimony that something like that may have happened on earth. A bigger one though, since that one takes some understanding of of a uh, rock formation. The biggest one I found so far is the Grand Canyon crisscross. And I only found this about four months ago. I was going to ask if a Grand Canyon was one of these potential yeah, areas. Totally. The biggest, the biggest clue that there's something weird about the Grand Canyon, sorry, I zoomed out a lot here, is that it follows the Colorado River, which did not exist 200 years ago, 300, 400 years ago. In any of those maps, you check them out, you'll see it was the Rio Grande. That was the big river at the time. Came right through this region and it is sourced from all the northern water and water aquifers into a giant uh, river all the way to Gulf of Mexico. Now we have Colorado River, 
which sort of snakes uh, back up north. It goes into the Grand Canyon and allegedly carved it billions of years ago. Or sorry, one million years ago, I'll be accurate. It's about like five million years ago. That's what they say. So here's the first problem. The Grand Canyon did not, or the Colorado River did not carve out any other Grand Canyons. Like in Grand Junction, you see just normal sized rivers. There's no Grand Canyons. We see crazy other dendritic effects. We don't know what that is yet, but the point is, it all just starts right here in the Grand Canyon region and just carves this magnificent one mile deep scar. Could that have possibly been caused by a river? It, I say no, if it was 5 million years, then it would have caused another canyon at the beginning of the Colorado River and at the end of it. It, it almost looks like veins or like a vascular system. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, lot to say here. I was just going to say, isn't dendritic like derivative from dendrite, which is like the synapses in your brain? Dendril. Let me pull up a picture real fast that really explains. It's like a bot. It, it just describes any like branching. It, it, right, plants, branching. I should say oh, branching. Okay. Dia, dia is like bio. Yeah. It's like by way yeah. of through. Connection, right. but I mean, fractal. Yeah, fractal. If, you, if you've noticed, um, this it's a place where there's a lot of silicon, and so that's why a lot of people have talked about silicon trees or mycelial mushroom towers that grew before trees that would have excreted kinds of mineral supplement. Uh, supposedly, like California Silicon Valley has this, and so does Israel, and that's one of the reasons why, like this idea of ISIS raw lithium, you know, is so important in that area. If you start looking for some of those, I mean, I guess you could call them electrocution points. You can see smaller examples of them in towns where they've been hit by lightning. Okay. So it, it, have, you, have you seen the work of Mike Ferreira? Um, maybe, not really. So he's not, he's, you know, he started out like not knowing much about Tartaria either or about, you know, dues, but started looking at direct energy weapons and stuff. Nice. stuff. He's a lot of good uh, information on this whole area. Yeah, look it up. I'll definitely check it out. So yeah, real fast, um, this picture right here, um, this is from the Electric Universe. You can check out, subscribe their YouTube. They have amazing videos and they already made the case. How we're seeing in a lot of these mountain formations are actually fractal or dendritic patterns. Here's a fractal pattern where, you know, we thought that these kinds of mountains were carved naturally by, you know, wind and brain erosion, but clearly there is a pattern in there. So going back to the uh, Grand Canyon, dendritic patterns, yes. But is there anything that just uh, proves it? That couldn't be something else. It couldn't also be rivers acting in a weird fashion. And that's when I finally found my crisscross. So let me pose the question to you. If two rivers form in any circumstances in nature, can they ever crisscross? Or is it more natural for rivers to follow the bed that will already exist? Second river shows up on an existing river bed and it just flows into it. It doesn't crisscross and form a new river. If it's impossible, uh, it can follow. It can follow paths of least resistance. So if it's coming up to a point where certain kinds of crystalline mineral deposits or metallic glasses are starting to form, you right, know, right. especially where a volcano is, short, like long story short, that's the only place where that can happen. Pretty much right. So, so existing scar, right? So you're essentially saying something else would have had to already exist in that region that was so prominent that an existing river flowed through it. But here's the thing, as all that, that mineral that you just described exists within the slit of the region in the, this hypothesis, the river would have, would have driven those minerals out sooner because they're so susceptible to erosion. And it would have still followed the, second, the, the existing riverbed pattern. It wouldn't have gone off in the direction that we see today. It would have been affected by that other crisscross in some way. Do you guys agree with that? Sounds legit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, uh, I, I, it doesn't necessarily have to be that 
way. But in in, nor- in normal circumstances, I can see how it happens a lot. But nature's pretty weird because yeah. what it's doing is it's following the path of least resistance. So sometimes water will go uphill to go right. downhill further faster. Mm-hmm. And sometimes water will start a path because of some other, you know, like you said, pre-existing reason. But that reason might be so small that it's a feedback loop. And the feedback loop builds so much that you can, you know, like, have you seen like the Volnish Lake? right in russia and they like diverted like less than 10 percent of the lake 40 years ago but now the lake is completely dry because it no longer rains there so every year it dried up more until it was gone totally. you know we very quickly have a feedback loop system as well right in this condition i just assume that after five million years all things are equal right you know is that any uh, weird conditions would have even well, out. I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but another another contention. So with this idea of millions of years being, you know, carbon dated, let's say, or we're using carbon emissions to like right. track. So the problem with that is, well, you can, uh, what I would say is I know people who would very reliably carbon date eruptions, but I don't know a lot of people who would confidently stand behind carbon dating years so specifically especially when it's something so trivially as one or five million, because it's so different at that point. Oh, I agree. Uh, because the amount of eruptions that could happen, we're predicting based on how many eruptions are happening now, which are already, by the way, a lot, but there could be moments mm-hmm. where there were none. And I mean, theoretically, it's, it's likely that there are always eruptions, but that, that also changes. It could be thousands of years ago. We just had so many eruptions. It seems like the carbon was, you know, that, that's, that's the other thing. Totally agree. And I, don't, I doubt any, many people here actually believe in this five million year timeline anyway, right? Uh, raise your hand if you do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. But yeah, I, I was only using that as a reference point to the existing hypothesis that this was carved by water. That's okay. And five billion, five million years or billion would have been long enough to sort of even out all of the weird effects of water and, and air and everything. And therefore, uh, that explanation would still need something new to explain these crisscrosses that we're seeing. These, of course, aren't the only region that girls go to. I'd like to further agree with you by saying that over that many millions of years, this should have dissipated. If this was, <laughs> it would have smoothed out. Absolutely. Let's just look through my list here. So potentially it happened, you know, in the mud flood paradigm. Theory Absolutely. That's, that's my uh, personal belief. <laughs> but I'll, I'll hold mm. back. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'll get past this. The, oh, yeah. There is one other thing that I want to show. In... Asia. Oh yeah, Great Wall of China, of course. So Great Wall of China, we've all heard, you know, is this structure that they built, the Chinese built in ancient times to hoard off the Mongol Empire. That's not zoom out. Okay, I'm zoom out here. There we go. And as you can see the shape here, I got marked off of the wall, <clears throat> the Great Wall of China, built in different periods for different reasons. Right away, I'm sure uh, you can point out a lot of contradictions, like, wait a second. The first question is, you know, why did they build walls around regions that essentially didn't really have much life in them. Another question is, why did they build them south of this desert region that nobody can live in? It's very unlikely that an army would go through. I can go on all day. Why, why isn't there a wall here? They can just walk around. So there's problems with the Great Wall of China. I was looking close at it, and I noticed right away that it follows the same dendritic patterns as everything else. It, it's random. It's spaced out based on you know, uh, availability of space, energy. And, and that if there was a ancient wall built on these regions, that they, they probably didn't pick the best path because they sort of just built it everywhere. Furthermore, if you look closely at these regions, not much, much of them have much evidence of a great wall. 
is somewhat sometimes they have walls, sometimes they have ridges, which could have been formed naturally. And then finally, I'm just going to cap it off by saying the terracotta warriors and a lot of other ancient artifacts of China are believed to be fake by a lot of people for a lot of reasons. That the Chinese history essentially itself is fake. Fumienko again will will agree. He says that the Mongols are actually the restored empire again. That they were they stole the history is stolen. They're moved into the desert region. And they said they kept invading China, but Fumienko points out that China was a vassal state of the restored world empire. That the world was one big empire back then. They were not constantly fighting each other for thousands of years. There were no Mongols. So the Great Wall of China, to me, does appear to be an attempt to cover up a recent scarring that occurred in this region. Here's another way more prominent recent scarring that may have occurred in this region: India, the Himalayan Mountains. <clears throat> of course, a lot of people would just. Spit the drink out at this point to suggest that such a region could have been created recently or by by cataclysm that these aren't naturally forming mountains. But again, we see the dendritic patterns. These rock formations could not have been formed by water because they, they didn't start from one flat space and then then carve out into water. They would have been much more. It would have been much more even. Like the, these patterns here, they represent. Well, if you go to the Electric Universe people, they will explain this a lot better. But they, they represent a spacing out of energy in this region. You see that. Let me map it up here. You see that the Himalayan sort of presses down against all of India right here. To explain this, they say, "Oh, this is a subduction zone. This is a continent sliding into Asia, causing Himalayan mountains to go up." Okay, that's that's a pretty good theory. But if you look at the world map of, of zones, let's see. Everything ready here. You'll see that this region. Isn't well explained by a. Let me grab it. There we go. I have a better one. Oh yeah, this is it. The the um this region isn't well explained by a plate. If you notice, the Asian plate or the Indian plate, sorry, has to curve up and, and sort of bend into Asia in order to explain the Himalayan mountains. That subduction itself really isn't a good good fit for this. They just they said that because they didn't have anything better. And if you remove subduction from the equation. Then the Himalayas become extremely mysterious. Not just because they look mysterious, but because if you look at old maps. Now here's the part that's going to be interesting.、Uh, if I have it ready at all. No, I don't. Just bear with me one second.、I、can post all this out if have you later.、Uh, Ari, quick, quick question. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, there's there's myths of、uh, electric scarring on like the surface of Mars.、Uh, yeah. Does anyone know about that or or、uh, yeah. conclude well, that? Absolutely, can get into that. Did you see that picture that Twitter NASA posted on Twitter earlier today that had camels and people walking in the background? <laughs> no, it's、oh, no. a、yeah. totally different folder. Sorry, I got it now. Okay, that was、Here's、today. The... Yeah, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna send it to you. What's that? All right. So here, so I look at、uh, old maps. I love looking at old maps. Go to rearmaps.com. Just you know, they have everything on display. Maps are a perfect place to just point out contradictions in history. They don't agree with each other. The regions are different, different times. Fumienko will just go out and say things like the West French and French English and German maps of 16th, 17th century. The Jesuit expansion randomly placed Jerusalem in the Middle East when everyone knew Jerusalem was in the Kremlin. So maps actually represent a point of contention to fight over. Maps themselves represent the war itself. If you believe in one map, you're on one side. If you believe in another, you're on the other side. So in the case of India, the old maps of India look totally different from anything today. First thing you notice is the lack of the Himalayas. They're just not there. You see some mountains, but they're not, you know, in the shape of the Himalayas. Let me go back to that. 
picture. See, boom. And isn't it interesting how like Nepal and, and Bhutan are created on the Himalayan regions? Like they're the cover-up countries, you know, of all of India. That, you know, that these, kinds, these countries didn't exist before. What did exist is these rivers. You can see this big delta right here. This is clearly the outlet of the aquifers of Central, or sorry, South Asia, with the mountain region being up here. So going back to that photo, let's take a look at the Ganges because the Ganges doesn't go up there at all. That was a blurred photo, okay. The Ganges starts down here in this delta and it goes and curves around, it goes up here. There is the old delta right here, it's all dried up. Here is the old river, it's also dried up. So again, it's just like the Rio Grande versus the Colorado River. We have a new river, everyone's heard of the Ganges. And we have this old river, which is dried up as gone, yet it appears in old world maps. So that is actually my bigger clue that this region did not used to have Himalayan mountains. It's completely electric scar that happened recently, 19th century. What do you guys say? Have you seen California was an island? Oh, yeah, you know, I can go into that. All right. There's, uh, you know, Cortez said it was an island, right? And the north side of it wasn't connected. Everybody was, said it was an island. The right. whole, like, every island. map of it is an island. But at some point, at the gold rush, you've got people with these giant hoses and they're spraying dynamite and, you know, like they, they blow up the mountain and then they wash it away in these giant flumes. And then they just completely buried, again, not all of it, but enough of it that feedback loops completely dried up what is now basically Burning Man, Black Rock City. Right. Wow. Yeah, it could talk about the Nile. Uh, the Nile is a mystery. That's California. Look at that. That is a picture of California. Right. It's an island. <laughs> you, know, you notice all the port cities? Port, 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 port. These are parts oh, of yeah. the resort empire that go straight to Europe, you know? No problem. Batman, Batman is Zorro. Like, he's from Valencia, hence the bat symbol. And if you look into Capitola in Santa Cruz, you know, that was originally where the capital was supposed to be before they wanted to move it to Sacramento because it became the train depot. Wow. And they used that train to just keep lugging material. Nice. So, yeah, good. Thanks for mentioning California because it ties into my point. Where is the Grand Canyon on these old maps? Can't zoom in here, but on the, on the Real Maps website, you can zoom in as much as you want, go into detail, and you can see that there was old cities and old palaces in America with Roman architecture, and there was no Grand Canyon, and there was this huge ocean, or sorry, sea in between here in California. It was clearly a different place. If you look at the northeast, sorry, west, northwest of North America, in all of these old maps, you'll notice it's big and empty. There's nothing up there. It's right here. You see all this detail right there, nothing. That was the mystery zone. That was the furthest place away from the from the European Reformation, Jesuit, Ro Holy Roman Catholic Church Empire that, that, that had yet to be conquered by them, yet to be Christianized. And so it does not appear in any of these maps with any detail. They don't want to put any detail down because they plan to conquer them someday. Now, that poses an interesting question. If these maps are sometimes the truth and sometimes plans for the future, then wouldn't they depict plans that could not have happened because they were screwed up by the mud flood events. And in fact, I believe that's what we're looking at here. We're seeing the original plans of the deep state. They got that Jesuit invasion going perfectly and they were gonna take over this land. They had the edicts for the North American natives, which were giants. And it was just a matter of time. They were evangelizing everyone. What could possibly have turned and ended their plan? Nothing in the world except for one thing. This is called what I call the anomaly. It's described very well in uh, the Matrix movies, the anomaly, the one the thing that turns the plan against itself, no matter what the plan was or how articulate it was. And that anomaly <clears throat> is Napoleon. 
Napoleon was raised on the deep by the deep state. He was in their garden. He was married off to one of their people. And unfortunately, all of his plans got ruined early because of that French Revolution. And he was just standing around there the whole time. He was like, I'm trying to keep the peace, trying to keep the peace. He's a general. And at the end of the revolution, he basically said, that's it. You guys have had your chance. We've tried everything with, with the aristocracy, with the Roman, Holy Roman Catholic Church, and they are devious. They're working against us. They're genocidal even. So we are not doing that anymore. Declared himself emperor. Napoleon turned this crazy Jesuit world domination plan on itself in such a short period of time that it led directly to the, the War of 1812. Tsar Nicholas, I think Nicholas III, declared himself emperor also of Eurasia at the time because he was trying to, to undercut what Napoleon was about to do. Napoleon had no choice. It was going to be a battle between two emperors. And in my, my reckoning, it does seem like Napoleon had the upper hand, not technology, never mind the technology. This is all about that Jesuit invasion. They were convincing every indigenous race on earth to, to give over their religion to Christianity, to monotheism. And they were so good at what they did. They were that, you know, all they had to do was turn that plan to something better. The new plan that Napoleon had offered everyone was no more, you know, no more deep state, no more usury. You can go back to being a vassal state, you know, like it used to be. And with this promise, he was able to convert each of these regions, especially Spain, especially Egypt, over onto his side. He, he got a lot of allies in a very short time. And it's because of these allies that I believe that the uh, mud flood event, the, uh, the web had to target all of his allies, anyone that could have potentially sided with him, and preserved the people who maintained loyal to the deep state, even in sight of his enormous popularity. Who are these people? Well, we know they're people who believe in the invisible God who rules things on earth. If you have that religion, if you are Christian, Jew, so forth, Buddhist, you will defer in times like this to the church and what they're saying. And they will say that Napoleon is evil. In fact, that's what the czar was saying of Russia. You know, do not talk to Napoleon. Do not let his men into your village. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. That's where all that came from. And because of that loyalty, these people were rewarded in this event. They were saved. They were spared. They huddled in their cathedrals. Cathedrals, of course, were things that nobody thought would be useful anymore. Special purpose. They're cathodes. They can absorb an amount, enormous amount of energy from the sky without causing destruction. And they are in truth, true sanctuaries. So anyone rewarded with this old deep state Egyptian empire religion was saved in this battle of 1812, was preserved. And ever since that day, you have all these reference points to people saying so. You have, you have the, the overture, of course, 1812 overture. What, what is the victory of Napoleon? Oh, it's God's victory of Napoleon, isn't it? God saved the czar is what they say in the song. We've heard this everywhere else. We hear God saved the queen, God saved the king or the czar, alternately in almost every Europe, European country, actually. Not just one or two, but all of them. They all do the same thing at Western Europe, sorry. And they're all saying this same event happened, that, that God saved the czar. Which czar? Nicholas III of Russia, the one that declared himself. Now, what does Nicholas have to say about it? Well, in his testimony, which I read, he strictly told people, do not believe. This is divine intervention. Do not believe that that's what it is. He was telling people to, that this was not God. And you can look up those, those quotes. It was amazing. He had to mass produce text in order to prevent the religious people from sort of revolutionizing the, uh, the vacuum within the, the remnants of the Rusort Empire. They were going to do it on a religious basis. And they did. The Bolshevik Revolution, which came only you know, 80, 90 years later, was entirely a religious revolution. It was all about the majority. We're right. We're God-ordained. We're going to take out everyone else and so forth. And, and it actually spawned all of the 
religious turmoil that we know today. But I'll get to that in a second. The evidence is all over the place. Someone, everyone thinks that God saved the czars of the world, put them back in charge and killed off the enemy. One thing that's really funny, I noticed the other day, I was watching with my wife, European Vacation. Chevy Chase goes to the top of the Empire State Building, sorry, Eiffel Tower, goes to the top of the Eiffel Tower, and he sings the overture to 1812, just really briefly. It's like, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of weird because the Eiffel Tower is sort of a symbol of Napoleon back in the day, and he's singing the victory against Napoleon in that movie. It's just like, there you go. This is that ancient schism that's playing out in Europe to this day. They're still fighting over these same things, and the Westerners have the upper hand. You know, we all know that Russia doesn't have any kind of mass distribution of TV or anything like that, or, or Hollywood. It's all in the West, and the West has a very Russia-phobic perspective of these. So I'm off topic there, but... Um, well, RT, you know, like they do. And they made a bunch of movies, like the Russian movies over the you know Soviet period were, you know, all over the world and like Yugoslavia. And so like there's a there's another side of the brain that is like the humans, you know, the neurons, the billions of us. Like there's like a West hemisphere of the brain. Yep. There's definitely an East one. I just want to show this video real fast. And oh, can, God. I, can I share audio? Can I do that? I don't know if I can. Oh, there we go. I, I, got just, it. I think right. it does it automatically. Yeah. Does anyone recognize this? I was just talking to a friend about like, I was like, man, you know, like the Simpsons, that's they that, had so many things, predictions. That's that, that Yale so. show, right? That Yale show, the Simpletons, like, right? The show about all of us made by the Yale graduates. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, it's, it has tons of PP in it all over the place. So everyone kind of realized that now. But, but what are they telling us with all of that? Well, obviously, they don't want us to believe in the things we're seeing, right? But I'm actually wondering why these guys chose to show this in a Hollywood episode. It's true. We are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. You're right. This is a two-party system. Well, I believe I'll vote for a third-party candidate. Go ahead. Throw your vote away. <laughs> All hail President K. I don't understand why we have to build a ray gun to aim at a planet I never even heard of. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! The end. Hilarious, right? Funny Fucking show. Perfect. Now, why did they show a freaking space cannon? Why they have the story of people, slaves, building a cannon, shooting at another planet that they've never heard of? I mean, if this is not giving us Scientology. the clue... Well, I mean, it, did this ever happen? And this is Scientology. It, this is oh, the well, yeah. theme, this is the theme from the movie Final Fantasy, nineteen ninety nine. The Thetans and like the the traps regression. You're I'm right. Sorry, that, are we? Is that pretty much the end of the thing? The presentation? I don't want to interrupt. Sorry. Oh, that was just the end of that that video. Yeah, that's over. I was just talking about now. Okay. But yeah, um, I, have, I have a couple of thoughts I wanted to bring up. Just yeah, like sure. some things I've been thinking about. So, like, okay, first off. World War Zero, Napoleon, Fomenko, you've been looking at that. Do you know about uh, Mikhail Bogakov, 
who wrote his book, Mass and Margarita, and was thrown into a gulag for writing it. And so afterwards, he had to write it again on toilet paper and smuggle it out. And so for the most part, a lot of people in the Soviet Union started putting out things exactly the way they had to. And Fomenko, being a guy who's studying uh, forensics and passwords and encryption and decryption, is creating a system where he can say to the Soviet overlords, is this about a Russo state empire, which is good for their history? And then he can say yes. But when you read it and you start getting into it, you see what he's really saying is that very recently, like you're saying, that the bunch of nations had their history stolen from themselves. And this is a particularly big deal to Jews, actually. Because in the Soviet Union, you had yeah. Zionist uh, Israel, which is, you know, mm-hmm. was separated and kind of, it was trying to control rather than send them home, which is an interesting thing on, on the side. But Israel itself, I mean, a big part of this history, that this idea that there's ISIS, there's Ra, Elohim, as we're talking, which is kind of like Buddha and Pest, right? Cities yes. that are so old that they've come together. So according to Fomenko, you've got, cities that were moved around because of these disasters. And what happens is a nation will pick up and move. And a good example of this are the Jews, because literally, who better can you point to who's like taking their traditions with them to other places? So, you know, Gypsies. you've heard this idea that Moscow was a star, is a star for it, but it's also uh, Jerusalem. Have you, heard, right. have you heard it? Yeah, Absolutely. so a lot of these stories have this idea that the nation itself has moved the state around. So sometimes these maps, actually, the names have been moved around because they're literally pins on this board game. And the other thing is saying that it's an empire. So we say it's an empire, but the reason is because, like, like you said, there was like no war. Like, it was, not that it wasn't necessarily war, but that in general, trade was more the emphasis of this period. So what's interesting is it's not just one ethnicity which would have been you look at the examples of single ethnicities like you know the japanese of edo period it's a very interesting time but they don't progress the way iran did you know when they became a persian empire with tons of different kinds of people. rome's a great example you know like someday they're going to look at the white house and say look at that american architecture the way you were saying about roman architecture because like the yeah. romans didn't really invent architecture they didn't even deal with numbers really they had like tally systems but they did take people's kids and through a, a system of human trafficking they were able to create a state right and a nation more importantly so we think of rome didn't exist well you know at this point people are like marco polo you know and you know but he was croatian right so like every, as you look at the whole expanse of what it was you have people that were kind of allowed to be themselves but they're a part of like this area like this nobleman thing that's existing like the tartarians and that's not to say that that's all the people and or even that they were ever referred to necessarily as that so i mean might by other people but they probably didn't refer to themselves necessarily as tartarians and it's kind no, of the no, phoenicians no. Right? phoenicians didn't refer to themselves as phoenicians we call them that now right. so it's a it's a it's a thing there but in terms of also de-evolution okay so let me go back also because i had a couple notes this is like a good stuff i don't want to stop it regression okay so when we're talking about how every generation thinks that they're learning and evolving they're not right and you can see this through smartphones they're actually getting less i can't remember your number you know these kind of situations wouldn't have happened to our parents are now commonplace and you can see what it did to our parents because they yeah, smartphones are a big thing to the smartphone in their lifetime and it just it destroyed them you know as far as i can tell so think of that in terms of havelock and you it, these stories of god and so these ideas that god is this you know metaphor i think are newer than if you look back it's like gods are like people that just do more stuff and then eventually like, that's just hard to believe 
that people could be doing those kinds of things. So a lot of the, the stories kind of you know, fell apart. And then in terms of Judaism, which is like one of the most fascinating trifectas of religion and history and culture, because it's able to exist in, you know, in, this, in spite of all the th- things that have happened to it, right? And you've got people in Africa that are still practicing mitzvahs in Ethiopia that are completely different from... Well, that's still in history, isn't it? I mean, wh- whose history is all of that? Right. Passover stuff, well, that Passover, you know, that memory. Who does that belong well, to? So, so, so around the time of Spinoza, and I've been trying for this whole episode, and I'll have to, I mean, like, can't get it. It was like the guy who was this rabbi who said that like aliens, you know, like that it was all about aliens in the 1600s. And it's actually a pretty... You know, it's you think about the what's the stone the, the Arabs spin around that's a meteor inside of a cube, right? And you start thinking about the the idea of asteroids and this uh, this is this thing between are they coming from above or they're coming from below? Is it lightning that's coming down? Is it you know volcanoes that are rising up? And it's a bit of both because there's like a, a marriage between that that is sustainable green energy. And so you look at Tartaria as a place that had all of this tech, right? You have these people that are really trying. To figure out Tartaria, but they also really want to believe in, like, wow, someday Tesla could exist. And they're like, wait, it couldn't have existed before, which allows them to use their imagination to kind of imagine things. And so some of the times we're dealing with modern presuppositions, it's like Godzilla or something. It's like a Godzilla is a bigger reptile in the replacement of an actual extremophile titan. It's beyond our comprehension, right? It's that burning bush kind of concept so that's what got me into uh predictive programming because uh you know that, that's where you um go ahead you guys say well no absolutely i mean and there's so much there actually like philip my, one of my favorite examples in the philippines they stopped a war from happening because all they had to do was figure out they were afraid of vampires take a guy into the woods kill him drain him of his blood leave some holes in his neck and you know it saved millions of lives probably right so psychological operations by the military, especially ones that involve Tartary, tar- you know, that's a. Right. That's so, so one question to ask is how prevalent are these, you know, psyops, you know, like Mockingbird, so oh, forth. Completely. They, yeah, it's way upset, more prevalent right? than actual wars. Like it's actually you know? hard to convince people. Like I, I have a lot of media friends that they don't actually let media in unless it follows certain guidelines. You're not allowed to be revolutionary in media, period. Video games. I mean, I've music. known I've known a lot of people who went to school to do psychological operations. You know, it's a good job. Like if you can do that for the military, then you can actually like get on Twitter, pretend I think you have to be naturally good at it. Asking QAnon people if they're or QAnon people if they're, you know, and like you can figure out which ones are just gonna march and which ones are crazy. Right. So, so to that point, I mean, a lot of people so, that think war is all theater, that the, people don't actually go to war as much as you think, and that not I as many high as you well, think. And well, I, wait, wait, wait. War is all theater know. doesn't mean it's not war. See, that's like saying wrestling is not real, man. Like so the, the sophism <laughs> of it's real. And so these kids in, in the 17th century with their little action figures like Dungeons and Dragons that have set up, you know, they, that's how they move the map around. So war is theater for a lot of reasons, right? So all around us, we're in this war, but we're playing by these specific rules. So let it's more than war Let me speak to that one, actually, because we have these video games, right? Age of Empires and stuff. we got uh, Chinese warlord games where you're literally slaughtering millions of people all by yourself. And that is clearly depicting a warlike history of the human race. We are setting it in stone. Right. This is who we are. This is how we are. Imprinting and, this idea that that came yeah. first. And then right. back in school, they pushed this idea. So in anthropology, right. they told so it's actually started with war. But it's, so it's actually right. So it's actually a revolutionary idea to suggest that we haven't even had as many wars that we're talking about. That stuff like the Trojan War and the Crusades and all of that have just been one memory 
that have been spread, spread out as much as they can to make us feel like that is how we are. That actually never happens. Well, and then naturally you have to think about like what circumstances result in chaos, right? Right. So natural so, disasters or environmental disasters. Look at Katrina. Right. So, you know, so, like crazy things happen during Katrina, right? So, right. so a big thing when you look at like what happened to this environmental disaster, well, hey, does mud flood check that? And it totally makes sense. Right. So let me speak to that. So, to, so your point earlier, if that predictive programming can be overwhelming, they'll, they'll give us all kinds of lines of you know direction we can go in and we get lost, completely lost with the explanations of possibilities, which is why I was saying earlier, it comes to grips with something stable that I can actually... You know, and looking at our history, we have to look at it. We have to say, resolve the conflicts and the questions that have been answered. And when we do that, we can start to answer all of the questions easily. There's stuff that has been popping out at me lately that's just so obvious. Like, uh, for example, I always wondered why Christopher Columbus thought he was discovering a new world. Sure, he didn't get it here. And why Amerigo, Amerigo Vespucci thought he discovered a new world. You know, if there, if there was already people there, I don't talk about Native Americans, I'm talking about a whole empire. If that whole empire was there here in America, and the, the White House was there as a church long before as a White House, then, you know, why would they ever say that it wasn't there? And the only way to explain that is because they have a schism in, in Europe. Again, go back to that schism, which explains it and turns out, and I'm just going to briefly go with the history. The Resort Empire after the Crusades had grown prominent. They had a world empire. They basically, they, they took over Istanbul by force and they imposed usury on them. They didn't really want to do that because they were attacking their enemies who had done that to them in the first place. So they tried to do it the best way they could. They really gave everyone the rights back and everything. And it was okay for a while until people started burning witches and hanging people in their villages in Western Europe. This phenomenon is real and it happened for what happened is a village will pick out somebody and say, this person is talking to the devil. And it told them to, to betray us all, you know, to, to, to kill or destroy our village or cause our village to be destroyed by some means. And, and people are just like, it can't be serious. And there's like, we're serious. And it's happened to their villages. Then you find these other stories like in Arabian Nights, the, gyps, the gypsies, they are offering people riches, rewards to become king if you betray your people. Over and over, we see this mysterious force offering people to, you know, power and wealth if they betray their own. So eventually you get this inquisition from the Rusward Empire spreading out, out over Europe, Western Europe. And they are basically telling people to stop burning each other and saying, we don't have to do it that way. Let's impose some law here and try to inquire what, you know, what they believe and get them to stop being anti their village. Um, I believe that these heretics were really receiving voices from somebody, you know, telepathy. It wasn't necessarily the devil, but it was somebody. And yeah, they were nefarious means. They're trying to get them to betray the people. It wasn't cool. So after a while, the Inquisition failed. It just became extremely unpopular and ineffective. And those heretics believed that they represented the invisible God from ancient Egypt, that they brought the Ark of Covenant to Europe, and it's maintained all of that lineage today. And I can't come to not believe this because I was raised in it. And I know my parents, you know, believe that they have this blood connection to this past. They're not going to let go of it. So I had to take it very seriously and look at it. And it looks like the Western Europeans, they decided to flee to America at the time when Columbus left on a bunch of flotillas. And this got into the Bible, the, the book of Noah. And he's, he's, he's leading the Israelites to the new, to Israel, which is in America. And, um, and he doesn't get there himself, but he creates a bunch of arcs and the arcs save the people. This happened only 500 years ago. It's not an ancient story. And it's the Westerners remembering their voyage from, from the Reformation, or their, their Reformation memory, remembering the Inquisition and fleeing the Inquisition to the new world. So these, these precursors, prototype Jews and Catholics are 
coming to America and they hate the Rusford Empire, which is already in America. So you can see now the pretense. Finally, why explanation why these guys actually believe that America was a new world because, because they, they denied the Rusford Empire. They didn't, it didn't exist to them. Here's another point that's this really cool one to me. This is about St. Petersburg. We've always heard about St. Petersburg and the gates of St. Peter's being the gates of heaven, which you have to go through in order to get to heaven. Well, it turns out that Petersburg is a real place. It has a specific shape of a circle and a um, pillar. So it's the cosmic mountain. It appears all over Saturnian cosmology everywhere. St. Petersburg is designed in this shape. And they have these huge gates there. Uh, those gates between west and east. And when Christ was crucified in Istanbul, he basically passed through not those gates, but similar ones into the Eastern Rusward Empire, he went back home. He didn't die in the cross. He went back home and, and continued his life. He was crippled though. He was a giant, by the way, I'll get to that another time. But the people in the West, they didn't remember a giant going home, which is what the Eastern Chronicles say happens. They remember Jesus rising to heaven. That's what they say in the Bible. So you have to say, what are they talking about? Which heaven? Up there or the heaven of the Rusward Empire, maybe, which was heavenly to the Westerners. They had no usury, had no circumcision. You had no belief in the re resurrected deity, savior. You had none of that crap yet, overpopulation and disease, you name it. We all know about England in, in those centuries. But the further east you go, you have paradise. You have, you have palaces and fountains and just technology and freedom. And it's just, you name it, Rusward Empire. I'm a big fan of it. And it's because of this memory that they believe that this location was heaven. They wrote down their books. He went to heaven. Later on, a lot of people in Europe tried to get to the Rosword Empire through immigration policy, and they had very strict, and they let them in. And so the St. Petersburg gates became the gates of heaven for like 300 years. People would go there. That's as far as they would get. Certain ones would be let through and other ones not, and they were judged for their sins. It's all there. It's all real. It's happened. It's not heaven. It's not, it's not you know, related to any deities. It's just part of history and perspective of the people in the Reformation. And of That's course, a really interesting uh, view on that, dude. Uh, thank you. Did you did you still have uh, some more slides? Because I didn't I, I didn't feel like you were done with your uh, presentation yet. Oh, um, I'd love to see what else you got. Yeah, yeah sure. Oh, we got time, right? Also, do you oh, yeah. do you think the Roos Horde Empire could also potentially be Tartarians in that? I think it's the same place, sense? the same yeah, memory. Word, word. Tartaria is the Western's name for it, right? Roos Horde mm -hmm. was an earlier name used by the Russians themselves. But it's kind of a, it's almost um, like a mean thing to say horde. Like, why are you calling them the horde? So let me spe spell that real fast. It's because, and, um, and uh, Andreas actually mentioned this earlier. The Rus Horde Empire was very eclectic. Not one kind of uh, race or genealogy at all. All over the place. You got all kinds of humans with bear heads, dog heads, hairy bodies, very common. You got giants and you got small people. There was nothing, they were... In the, in the West, you find a lot more conformity, but in the East, the absolute conformity. So um, i trying to remember what my point was there. But uh, the Rusward Empire was called the Oya Horde because of that reason. It, it wasn't insulting to them. They liked it. They were fine being eclectic, and they wanted everyone that they conquered to keep their traditions. They're actually pretty cool about it. An example of media predictive programming that we all know about, if you guys played World, uh, sorry, Warcraft 2, Warcraft 1, or any of them actually you got this Horde. We're all fighting the horde, right? Who are we? We're the paladins of, you know, from the crusade. And we're, it's a stolen memory of the crusades, which of course we all know the people in the West believe that, that they were the ones who did it from Italy, not from the Resort Empire. And therefore in Warcraft, they say, 
we're fighting the horde. We're fighting the Rus horde empire. It's right there, the heathens, the unchristianized ones, the, the ones that look like different kinds of people, like orcs and stuff, you know, because they don't look like us. Hairless right. bodies so another also, so Rus means red. And so a big part of it is like the, the tar, you know, they talk about the redlands, they talk about the red beards, they talk about Genghis Khan and Muhammad having red hair, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, Itaruska is like where, you know, Latin, the Romans have the sacking of Tarpeia, the raping of the Sabines. They have a holiday in Italy every year where they celebrate stealing the land from the Tartarians. And <laughs> it's, they raped the women and they drugged and killed the men. And then that's the holiday. But her her name was, but there, she was a, what we call today, Etruska, Etruscan, you know, Etrusca, Etrusca. Uh, so this is the Etruscan Empire. And that's, you know, so Rus is, Rus is found also in Thracian, right? When you think Taratia, you see like uh, Tarusian. They have like that a lot. Like it's, it's actually going to be ending in a lot of the sounds. Very cool. That's pretty dope. Yeah. I'm actually just looking at what I should what topic we should go next how about you just go back in time a little bit so talk about empires i really well, believe well, wait, hold on real quick though i forgot a second so another thing was we we're talking about like jewish history so yeah esau you know when you're talking about the arabs so we're talking about the, the this idea of worshiping a meteor there's a big concept here with you know the son of the firstborn versus the son of the mother which is the maternal lineage and so esau also takes the blessing of the older brother or no i'm sorry jacob takes the blessing from esau so you have this other version of events which some people believe which is it's not isaac and ishmael that are the descendants of the arab and the jewish people but it's actually the tribes from taking the blessing so that the you know so the original son from abraham to isaac would have been esau right it's the esau and so today you know if the arab people came from esau so let's talk about that real fast. Um, the Bible actually talks about these people as humans, right? That they start a lineage of humans on earth. If you look at Velikovsky and authors like that, you'll see that there's arguments that these were these figures in the Bible were representations of events that happened. They're, they're larger than life. They were way bigger than actual humans, and they're not human at all. Let's just jump into it. So it's a video from David Talbot. Actually, he's another researcher who is the first one I saw. And he basically described the Saturnian cosmologies, first place I heard about it. This is the, the hypothesis origin story of Earth that Earth started out as a moon of Saturn in a collinear configuration of planets, essentially, and experienced a great deal of cataclysm in a very short time until we finally arrived in modern times in a period which perhaps started about a thousand years ago. So essentially in this version in Saturnian cosmology, Earth timeline is very short. And it happens rapidly. The collinear configuration of planets, I've described in my video and other places, is uh, based on electric universe theory of all the planets being stuck together in a straight line because of a massive electromagnetic flow of energy through them from the sun. These deities made all kinds of shapes and, and symbols in the sky, and they remembered and written, written down as symbols and so forth, but also as, as deities, as with names. This is, you know, be very natural because if they, if they were watching these things in the sky move around and, and cause cataclysm, the, the default thought of any intelligent being would be that they are intelligent too, the deities in the sky. So we give them names, we give them personalities. We say this one, Kronos, just ate all of her children for some reason. We don't know why she did that. Oh, wow, Zeus, the biggest children child was too fat and intervened. And now all the children are coming out of her mouth. What a weird story that is. You know, let's write it down, make North mythology. And nobody today knows what the hell they're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. You, you like, notice though, right? And like most of the old pictures, you see the three 
you see Saturn and the moon and the sun sort of at this point where there's a conjunction and that that's pretty much most of the beliefs up until in, in the Mayan astrology as well. Saturn was essentially the same size as the moon in the sky. Gotcha. In this uh, depiction, you got Saturn in the background, the big one in front of that is Venus and then Mars, the red dot oscillating between earth and Venus. Venus is a gas giant, a gas dwarf, whatever you call it, it's a gas planet. It's not a solid rock. For example, that show third rock from the sun. Sorry, no, Earth is the second rock from the sun. And Venus took many different shapes over time. Today, they say Venus has hard ground because of, because of the probes that went there. You know, how easy of a lie is that to make? Venus has no mountains, no ground. It's entirely a plasma form. It's extremely hot. It's about 800 degrees as atmosphere. And it's more or less in plasma state at all times. I'll jump back to because... He, he described all of this in detail, these theories, but he also called out a lot of modern physics. He said, you guys aren't making the right predictions. He predicted Venus to be cold, 200 degrees or less, which is cold. And he said, it's going to be 600 or 800. And he was right. So if this guy, this researcher is predicting things that NASA can't get right in the 60s, precursor to Carl Sagan, then he basically is onto something. So the idea here is that Venus- which What is this at, video again? Where did you get this video from? This is a David Talbot's Documentary, oh, right. yep. 1996, Remembering cool. the End of the World. You can find it on YouTube. Very amazing. Watched it many times. So Belkowski, for example, he, he said, Venus, we know what it is. It's this hot dragon in, in mythology. It's, it's, it keeps changing shape. So it has to still be hot today. It can't, can't have cooled down in a short time. He was right. But before Velikovsky, a, a very interesting claim was made by Sigmund Freud. A lot of people don't know this. Right before he died, mysteriously, he made the claim that in his mind, the, the Israelites of the ancient Egyptian empire Israelites that that made it today, that survived till today, were the upper class, not the lower class. They weren't the slaves, they were the masters. And it's only for that reason that they remember their story, their version, their perspective, which puts them in the in the victim perspective. They couldn't have been, you know, they're covering up the crimes. That's why I said at the beginning, covering up the crimes of the past, make it look like someone else did it to you. So let me get into Egypt real fast. It's fascinating to me. In a couple of ancient Egyptian depictions, you see black slaves and then mostly see white slaves everywhere. And it's like, wow, what an eclectic time for slavery. We had them actually working together. Nope. As it turns out, the big mystery of whether or not the slaves were black or white is tied right into Napoleon's journey to Egypt. He got there. Everything changed. He wanted to, the Jesuits were going to construct the Nile and he said no. He didn't want to destroy their culture. He didn't want to flood the Delta, which is what happened. And uh, it sort of ruined that, that region. So why is that? So here's why. The Jesuit plan was to convert every indigenous race on the world over to monotheism, the savior story. And they went to Egypt. And it's my belief that the Jesuits created the Sphinx in about the 16th or 17th century. Fomenko says earlier than that, historians say way earlier than that. Fine, whatever. I do believe that the pyramid is very old, but the Sphinx was designed in the 17th century specifically. Here's, here's how I know. It is the recreation of the old god Osiris. Uh, you got the, excuse here in this video, you got the beard of Mars down the ground. You got um, the nose or red apple of the eye. And then you got the crowning Venus above it. So this is Osiris made up of three parts, Isis, Horus, and, um, sorry, no, it's two parts. I'm forgetting my mythology here. Anyway, the story of Osiris is that he was broken to three pieces and hid all over the earth. So this is three pieces are Saturn, Mars, and Venus. They did in fact come apart. In fact, you'll see right here in this video, this is what, what the depiction looked like when they came apart and Jupiter is seen for the first time in the colonial configuration. They're all spreading out into a round table configuration. So anyway, Osiris 
is the old Egyptian God, old Persian God, old pyramidal empire God. I call it the pyramidal empire because it, the pyramids of those empires spread all over the world back then and that in the uh, equator zones. So Osiris, somebody decided to rebuild Osiris in modern times in the 17th century to put the nose back and everything as it was. That could only mean one thing, that Osiris is back to claim that location, Egypt, and all of the slaves of that region. Um, Napoleon made peace with those with those Egyptians and turned them against the deep state as one of his allies. He w- he set up a project there of, of a giant of the Suez Canal. It was the precursor of the Suez Canal. He was going to connect those two oceans, connect Asia to Europe. And he was going to put this statue right there in front of the riverbank, welcoming the, the ships, the Statue of Liberty. This, of course, was a, a, a project that a lot of people associate with a French designer, but it was Napoleon who just decided to create the Statue of Liberty. A lot of people think the Statue of Liberty is a French woman in robes, is a Egyptian woman in robes. This is how stolen the Egyptian history is. They, they took it all. They put it somewhere else. So, so that statue of, of Osiris, that sphinx, when Napoleon showed up, his army destroyed it. They didn't tear the whole statue down because soldiers, superstitious as they were, they don't do those things. They don't destroy God's statues. But they did correct the statue. Mars is gone and Venus is gone. So Mars is gone and Venus is gone. So they cut off the nose and they cut off the beard of the Sphinx to make the, the slaves, the remnants of the old Egyptian empire, made it clear that the Jesuits were not representing any god and that they were indeed free. This is what I meant earlier when I said the plan was freeing people. And that watch, we're going to knock this god's nose off. And if he's going to strike us back, then we were wrong which makes this whole thing very ironic once you consider that the Mudfoot event might have actually really looked like God showing up and just punishing everyone who decided with Napoleon. So do you think the, the mud flood thing was like a diluvian thing where it w- wasn't really a water flood? It was more of like what you're saying, a mud flood? Right, let me get to the details of it. Thing? So you got an energy weapon hitting Earth in certain locations. It's destroying those locations, the materials getting hot and going up into the atmosphere. And it's falling down in what's called mud rains. Got a picture here. No, oh, I went away. It's over here. One second. This is a cool picture. Painting. Bye. All right. So look at this painting. What the heck is going on here? You got something called blood rain, which is a term for red, reddish mud rain. Just looks like blood. You have these weird stars shooting out at the cities from the sky, you have what looks like giants compared to the size of horses, feeling sick and falling over and dying. This is, these are strange events and and paintings from the 19th century. And so the mud flood event, which eventually was mud, rain falling from the sky and raising the level of the ground. This is devastating. This ruins all crops and prevents life from happening. I found this excerpt from a newspaper Microscopical analysis of the dust of regular winds of the blood rain. This is a real study of blood rain back in the 19th century. And they said, this is fascinating. If you look at some of these, if you look at the rest of the article, they say that this really needs to be studied, great and rapidly increasing interest. They want to know what this blood rain was and what caused it. So to get back on topic, uh, the mud flood event, which, which if it was caused by a weapon, it took that material out of the ground, heated up, put it in the atmosphere, came back as mud rain. But nobody shooting this weapon would want the mud to rise so high that it couldn't be covered up in the future or be left behind as evidence in, uh, to be you know, determined. So the Grand Canyon scar, for example, if that was caused by this weapon, 
was a huge mistake because it left behind Grand Canyon. And now we can say, oh, that's evidence of something in that water. So that wasn't intentional. A lot of this wasn't intentional. We got to ask, what else could have happened that caused an unintentional disaster to make it so much worse than, you know, they wanted it to be? And that would be this coronal storm system. This is described again by Andrew Hall of the Electric Universe. This is a snapshot of his video showing the similarities between a coronal loop on the sun and what he believed was a secondary discharge of electricity that occurred on Earth that carved the Midwest regions. He went to those regions in Utah and so forth and said, these are electric scars. He's a scientist. He made the theories. He's a serious guy, so I don't have to do the work. And I'm really glad I found him because the only difference between what he's saying and what I'm saying is that he believes this happened in the past naturally. And I believe this happened 200 years ago. Secondary discharge. He describes it as something that is a, it's a side effect of a primary discharge. And back then you have Mars, Prometheus, attacking Earth in recent cataclysms. Electric discharge, hitting Earth, hitting Mars. On Mars, you see tremendous negative scarring. Huge canyons, way bigger than Grand Canyon, all over the place. Prometheus, which was the myth of Mars, people watched as Prometheus's liver was eaten every day and then grew back. This was a punishment for Prometheus giving a technology to humans. So what technology? Well, Mars showed up nine times, apparently, and struck the Earth with tremendous electric force. Humans were forced to survive, learn about electricity, learn about cathedrals, all that kind of stuff. So for Prometheus, for the Prometheus event, you have electric scarring on, on, on Mars, but you don't have any on Earth. You don't see electric scarring throughout the planet. So he was wondering, where, why is these locations so unique? Western America, South North America, why are they so unique? And he said his theory, secondary electric discharge must have occurred after the primary discharge heated the earth enough. After all that electricity got into the, into the earth, it had to go somewhere. Heat cannot be created or destroyed. It's a law of thermodynamics. That heat eventually looped back. Secondary loop is what he calls it. And it came out of the ground. It literally forced itself out of the ground and created canyons on earth. The Chinese dragon, for example, is a memory of this event where the dragon is remembered as being close to the ground, gripping the ground and causing mayhem and carnage, not something in the sky. So anyway, secondary discharge theory to Andrew Hall is something that happened naturally to me. It's an explanation for why we see so much of this mud flood. It's because this is not intentional. They destroyed everyone they had to do, all those kingdoms, they got them all. But by doing that, they created so much excess heat to invent a secondary discharge that could not be controlled. This arced across the planet and just ruined locations. Here in America, but also in the Middle East, if you look at those maps, you'll see it's just scarred. You got islands all over the world, which look different. In South China, you got, you got these um, islands, which are empty. There's like a big hole in the ground. They're hard to explain. One of the atolls, what they're called, is explained by a Trinity bomb. Like we set off a nuclear bomb, hypothetical nuclear bomb there. It caused these certain islands. I would say, yeah, it caused all of them to do that to shave off the top and carve a hole in the center. No, something else happened to those islands in just that region. Uh, there's a lot of examples of this. So the point is, um, <clears throat> secondary discharge was not intentional and, and uh, it was, they had no choice. That's what I'm saying. It, it could not have been oversight. They, they had no choice but to defeat all of their enemies at once and, and therefore cause this. And then they spent the rest of their, the last 200 years sort of doing everything they can to prevent us from ever finding the mud flood. It's literally like the last theory, you know, it's the final one. That's why I keep hearing everyone say, well, that was a lot of stuff. Damn dude. Holy shit. Yeah. That was a lot. My brain actually hurts. 
Like, that's I can excellent. I'm pretty happy with that. There's yeah. some good things you're pointing out. I would say though, like mud flood is not something that is rare or doesn't happen. I mean, right now, as I was going to say earlier, but like Peru is, you know, we have Waikos, which are mud floods that happen pretty much every season. And around the world in Russia and Mongolia, they also have mud floods. And there's also like mud volcanoes. Like volcanoes are essentially just pushing out dirt and, and sediments being pushed across more than it's like super heated. What you have is you have plasmic steam in these vents underground. And then the, the steam is so hot and so pressurized, it becomes plasmic. And then it goes in every direction, creating these lightning storms, which are creating these patterns, which are the, the patterns you're referring to that are being made. And then so you're wondering how much power can you produce? Well, look at a volcano that has uranium deposits in it or other sorts of materials that create like not just chemical reactions but essentially like what we refer to as nuclear explosions now nuclear explosions aren't exactly the same as how we've been described you've probably seen that but very large pressures underground can produce these extreme underground lightning yeah and then the boring tubes right so like howard hughes his his family fortune for making airplanes and movies all came from the 1890s his family before he was an orphan you know they had had a fortune from making all of the drill bits for you know these giant drill systems and there's subterranes <clears throat> i see you've got stuff on like the foundlings there too all the trains that were bringing foundlings everywhere because so many people were sterilized by this process that the kids ended up you know being taken from their parents and raised right. with new coke. let's cover that one real fast just to because slip it in there because this is amazing to me but it's the whole car- cargo cult theory you know what are cargo cults you know well it's these cults that are entirely dependent on cargo right simple as that and during this mud flood event, afterwards, places that were hit by it were uninhabitable. They were dependent entirely on cargo. Some of the cargo came from... Gertrude? I love that you've got Gertrude for this, too. It's perfect. Whirling dervishes. Right, yeah. So some of this cargo came from the sky. Some of it came from trains. And here is a map of you know America being repopulated, of course, with train tracks. But what's these other reasons, regions? You basically have these weird traditions of people worshiping something that they're looking up in the sky at. And in an earlier one, let's go back to it. If you check out Gurchief, who did the Enneagram, the nine-pointed star, I was almost going to use it as my background earlier. It's, you know, these dances are technically, according to Gurchief, medicinal. And they have to do with like, the fourth way school, like Esalen is pretty big into that right, kind so, of stuff. So what I'm saying is that they could have been a special time when people saw the weirdest things show up. Things that sort of look like what they're saying right there, circular, energetic, anti-gravity devices dropping cargo on them in the 19th century. If that's not the explanation, something else, that's fine. But what was really weird here, and this guy in this one video, uh, Philip Drews, I believe it's his video, really makes the case that you know, th- this could not have come from anything else. They're looking up in the sky and they're rotating. What is rotating in the sky that made them do this as a religion? So that is what a cargo cult is. Well, yeah, that's the, that's, yeah, Philip's a good friend. That's exactly what we're talking about earlier with the rock, right? So like the Arabs and the Jews having this rock that they, you know, are fighting over the land, you know, has a temple on a mound that has to do with this trifecta zone of these three different, as you said, parts that connect to Isis, Ra'el Elohim, as we're now referring to Thundercats, since it's no longer Egyptian or whatever Egyptus means, because, you know, Kemet was not Greek when we called it that. So Batahotep would have had a better name for it but you know we now live in a society where all of egyptian magic or if you want to call it that again it's like i think it's better just to call it comedic you know because alchemy means the study of kemet 
So all of it's just this, and there's also algebra, which is a study of Hebrew, right? So all of these old schools are like hermetic schools or hermetic schools. That's why all of this is coming back around. It's interesting you're talking about predictive programming because clearly there's a group that are aware of this stuff. I mean, if L. Ron Hubbard, Aleister Crowley, Manly P. Hall, they're all writing books about these ideas in the 1800s, 1900s, you know, and it seems pretty clear that they're setting up for us to come to this realization together. The question is, are they trying to help us learn from this or regress from this? And if you look at the foundlings, like you're talking these cargo cults, but they're trying, the they're trying to divide and conquer us. They're trying to confuse us. They're yeah. trying to assess I mean, on the wrongs like of past. Every 200 years, you like build up new nations because they're like corn stalks, you know, and that way, like you don't have to worry about monocrops having famines. It seems like that's part of the plan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what's this. the end result, though? I mean, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, if they're so all powerful, is money so important? I would feel no, like no, it's not. Power what is, are they power trying is... to gain? But What's the, after so, the power is that what do we have that they want so bad? Oh, let me get to the uh, present. Par- hold on. Wait, I just want to say paradiser is Persian for gardener and emperor. And the reason that they have you is because they want what's most from you and your potential. And if you become a scientist and inventor and a doctor, that's very valuable. Yeah, but they don't let us do any of those things. So let me get right to the question there. Uh, what do they really want from us right now? It seems like a lot of events are happening right now. People are losing faith in the institutions. They're, they're actually asking this question a lot. Uh, yeah, what is the game plan? It seems like they're all the deep state or whatever you want to call it is literally about to lose all that power. They're going out in several revolutions happening around the world right now. So what, what, what were they, why did they want to go out so hard? Why are they driving this all into the ground? And the answer to that question, unfortunately, if you're really looking on terms of all of this, is that this is all about the future. The answer to the question is all about the future. Money and all that stuff doesn't matter if it doesn't add up in the future. And the most important thing in the world is children. If we don't have the ability to have children in the future, we don't have a future. They're going to they're gonna overwhelm us later with the numbers. So they are literally going after our ability to have children right now in mass vaccination, sterilization campaign, you name it. It's been there our whole lives, but right now it's hitting climax. And when it's over, those who basically still have the ability to have children will be the ones that have to fight the next battle in the future. So So full-on Handmaid's Tale shit here? (laughs) So the World Economic Forum predicts by 2045, you know, and I use the word predict slightly, the zero sperm count and zero egg count, right? And so the intention is obviously to hit a point where, I mean, I guess obviously is a fucked word to use, excuse me, (laughs) sorry. But if they're they're going to remove, they're going to remove uh, the ability for everyone to have families for one generation. And then it's who will produce children are, as they're doing correctly, you know, in vitro fertilization of cloning since 1997, they will probably just be in vitro clones brought back in 20 years, maybe 2060s, 2071. And there's a number, there's a number of people that are talking about 2071, 2074, you know, as being like the beginning, I think cyberpunk has, you know, they make references to these little predictive programming things, but regardless, if, the World Economic Forum is to be trusted that the sperm count and egg count will hit a point where children are no longer conceived at all, then it will it will take in vitro frozen eggs or some sort of cloning technology. So that will be the beginning of the next cycle. And whomever raises those kids, the first generation will probably be like as in history has been done before the state, right? So you have these orphanages and they're taught 
a way to think, probably a new language created by Google, you know, like or some kind of AI designed mimetic language that replaces, you know, Newspeak. That would be the first step. Yeah. Okay. You guys have completely blown our brains here. So I'm going to, we got to cut out. Like, we got to like end this and bring it back again later. But Mark popped back in. He's gone for a bit. Mark, you got any sort of conclusion though from you? Mark, what's your positive hippie conclusion to this? We love you. You got to unmute yourself though. He's still mute. Oh. I'm good. I'm okay. good. I'm good. Can you hear me now? There you are. Yeah, right. we can. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. Bravo to both you guys. I'm glad you do had the idea to bring both Andreas and Ari together because I definitely have been inspired by both of their work. And combined, here we are. I mean, yeah, I'm baffled mm-hmm. as usual, but I was kind of thumbing through. I don't know if you guys noticed before this book wondering if there was a connection it's uh ignatius donnelly's the destruction of atlantis so you know i think we should continue this another time but do you guys ari or andreas do you guys recognize that book has that come across your your desk totally yeah I, I, my main theory at this point is atlantis as a city state is a great example that heard and the destruction of atlantis being a an accident you know i think it's it's between the both because it's more machiavellian that there's nepotism that led to whatever cataclysmic disaster i believe was you know volcanoes that were being used as power plants and, and the like for for mining that led to this this chain reaction that actually is you know the the beginning of this what we call reset <laughs> but like not 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 to say that there weren't people that were living off automated things and so that they had already lost sight of it i think society was actually at a more advanced point than that so i'm not convinced it was just uh, an all-out collapse because of the society falling apart in saturnian cosmology it's a result of the collinear configuration coming apart entirely natural event which caused atlantis to sink into the north pole yeah, I, 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 just, I don't go with the Terrence McKenna, you know, I know, I mean, that's, but that's probably what any Chaldean uh, sorcerer would have said, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, no, check the stars and tracks, I'm sure, you know, like, but the thing is, rich people like to be the ones to pay to make a prophecy happen all the time. I know plenty of people who do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, it's not necessarily anything other than theatrics at that point. But I do believe, you know, light is being sent here through data. I remember like 2010 when like the University of Mexico City kids were creating light, Li-Fi. So you could flicker, you know, you could see data through the flickering of the LEDs. So one could presuppose if you take stars and you use them to, you know, shoot a Dyson sphere of light, like a laser towards a sodium solution, it could then cause chain reactions, which would become geological, then biological, then life would form, let alone all sorts of other data that you could implant inside of a in a system or you know a hack that you could change i mean like the the amount of the amount of interaction that could exist in that system is plausible but it also it it, it looks pretty obvious that you know dna itself is written in this larger schema so whatever it is you know it's not enough to say that these polytheistic characters are just super us you know there's also there's also something more to that. I think that's what um, St. Augustine was talking about when he was trying to wrestle with pantheism to understand what is the difference between God, who is she, the darkness, right? And then, you know, out of the matrices, this light being, Lucifer, and others like him that are a data transferred upon us. Mm. Very cool. God damn. Uh-huh. You got... 
I'm Whoa. seriously gonna have weird dreams tonight. <laughs> like I, this is this is way crazier than I thought it was gonna be, and we definitely have Good. to do a part two because yes. I know Ari's got more yeah. in his noggin. I can see it. I can see it from here. I get organized, but yeah. <laughs> no, this is really good, actually. Or we should talk more. Um, you know, I can. I'll bring it to another round of. I'd like to bring some slides as well. Oh this yeah. Is good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. we'll schedule another date like a month out. You guys can get yourself uh, organized, and we can set a good date for everybody. Mark, you'll definitely be back, and we'll plan get, a good uh, two-hour, three-hour block. Uh, <laughs> Roman, Roman back in here too. But before we get out of here tonight, let's go around again. Ari, where can we find you? paradigmthreat.net just go to that site you'll see my content theories and also link to discord come check out our discord a lot of new people come in these days and it's where we're debating all of our stuff figuring it all out it's really fun y'all nice. nice and andreas where can we find you again go, go check out tartarynova.com you can find our youtube links there with hundreds of videos that are hours long on pretty much every one of these subjects that we talked about tonight so yeah i hope you enjoy awesome. it too and mark right on well i just got a uh, rockfin channel up and going so people can oh, go check yeah. me out on rockfin and i'm going to be streaming live as well so look forward to that and my family thinks i'm crazy search it in any podcast app and uh, check us out on patreon and instagram too buy me a coffee there's a bunch of places you can find us nice dude Everybody, thank you so much thank for joining. Thank you so much. This we had a couple amazing. people uh, had to cut out early, and I get it. It's getting late, especially where you guys are. But well, it was a two-hour mind-blowing episode where people were like, "Hold on, my brain's exploding. I gotta go. One. I gotta recover." And if you're listening <laughs> on audio, seriously, go check out the video because that's where all the good shit is. Yeah. All of on or uh, Ari's slides and shit. Like, gotta check it out. All right, guys, have a good night. We will set up a date and talk to you guys next time. For sure. Great. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Welcome to Legit Bat Podcast uh, live show. If you're listening on audio, you can always find the live streams and the video for at least a week or two on rockfin.com slash legit bat. And a quick shout out. But okay. if you're if you're a first time listener, I'm Joe. This is my wife, Jen. Hi. And we got Ben over there. And we have our guests in here. Well, virtually in here. Miguel Connor from Aeon Byte and Micah Dank, who is an author, astrotheologist extraordinaire. And then we got the great Mark Steves from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy in here as well. Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about Gnostic texts, the old Gnostic texts. And last time we had Miguel and Micah in here, it was a pretty big hit of a show. Everybody likes these guys. Uh, Miguel has a great show. He's a scholar. His wife hates his radio voice for some reason. Micah is a genius, self-proclaimed, by the way. And Mark is just a great guy down to earth got a great show i've been on his show it was fun so where do you guys want to start with this shit because you guys are the smart ones and we're here to learn just like the audience so i want to know why ben looks like he's from the adams family with that filter <laughs> i don't have it's, a it is lighting filter. i just look like the adams family he's just very pale he doesn't like the sun he doesn't like swimming he's weird i really i hate i hate swimming i don't like the sun i don't tan no matter what i try to do i my freckles just connect so there's not much i can do about it congratulations on your new girlfriend by the way how much do you well, not new there was actually a comment on that but yeah thank you <laughs> all right, all right. Are you talking about personal stuff or what 
No, he's talking about how he went Facebook official with his girlfriend. Oh, right. After I didn't 10 even or think 11 months. I didn't like I, I asked the lady that mentioned that because Lene replied, she's like, actually, it's been 10 months. But yeah, always good to go Facebook official. And I was all, was there a time frame I was supposed to do this? Because honestly, I, Facebook I have all my shit like hidden anyway. And when I changed it, I, I didn't think about other people seeing it. I just did it to connect. And yeah, that's a like, oh. wedding band. We all know that. All right. Anyway, enough with our Facebook stories. Where do you guys yeah. want to start with this? Because we're you're mentioning the Enuma Lish, which is one I'm not familiar with, so I'm looking forward to that. What was the other one? The Secret Gospel of John. A little more familiar with that one, but not entirely. So, so to be start honest, it up. To be not honest, familiar with either. Start from zero. I don't know if we'll be able to do two, because one slot, one podcast. I mean, not one podcast. One uh, book is forty three slides. The other one is fifty. So I don't know if we'll be able to get through all of it unless you guys just let me talk for an hour and a half, which is ridiculous. So let me go <laughs> ahead, let me share what I have and we'll do one and we'll see how that works. So are we all here? Yes. Yeah, I don't see. Yes, Miguel. Sir. Where's Miguel? Oh, there he is. Okay. All right. I'll just. And Miguel, feel, feel free to jump in on Micah's ass whenever you want, because I want your, your unique perspective on this stuff too. No. So this is the Enuma Elish. So what we're going to do, for everybody that's listening, every time I've been on the show, the first thing I do is go over the 12 signs because you have to know what to look for. So let's start. <clears throat> Aquarius is the first sign I talk about, which is represented by the man. You can see the guy on the right. He's a man holding a water pitcher, pouring it out. This is actually how you baptize someone. So whenever you hear baptism, man, son of man, water pitcher, fountain, stream, river, lake, pond for example they're talking about aquarius because it mentions the water pisces is the sign of the two fish in the water so the first two signs are two fish we don't hit land until the third sign which is aries which is the ram and in aries you have march 21st which is the spring equinox it's 12 hour day 12 hour night it's also the passover or the passing over of the sun over the equator that's an astro theology in judaism the passover is god passing over egypt and slaying everybody who doesn't have the lamb or the ram's blood on their doorstep. It's also why the Jews blow the ram's horns, because they're the people of Aries. In Christianity, the Passover is changed, and it's called the resurrection of God's son. So it's different meanings, but it all actually means the same thing. So whenever you hear ram, lamb, shepherd, okay, because Jesus is the lamb of God, he's also known as the good shepherd, okay, ram, ram's horn, Jews, they're talking about Aries. Then Taurus is the bull. And when you look at the sky and you see Taurus during the season where it's supposed to be, you know that you need to put the plow on the bull in order to uh, plant so that you can harvest them. <laughs> so whenever you hear bull, ox, calf, cow, because a cow is a female bull, they're talking about Taurus. Then Gemini is the twins. It's Castor and Pollux Troy, whose sister was Helen of Troy. It's the story of Achilles. Anytime you hear the words twins or brothers, they're talking about Gemini. Then cancer is the crab, and it's the sideways moving creature. What is that you got there, Mark? Oh, Mark's got the zodiac right there. Perfect. A okay, beautiful so, depiction of it. There you go. So the crab moves sideways, basically like this, okay? And people don't do that. People don't walk that way. They walk forward and back. They walk on an angle. They don't shuffle side to side unless it's like a sports drill or something. But the crab does. And the reason it shuffles side to side is because 
in camp. So the sun starts on December 25th, rising a degree on its axis. Then the next day it rises an additional degree, additional degree, additional degree, additional degree every day that passes. The days get longer, the nights get shorter. It passes over the spring equinox, over the equator. It continues on its way up until it hits June 21st, which is the summer solstice. Then for three days, it walks sideways like the crab. It stays at that height. Then on June 25th, it drops a degree and it continues to drop a degree every single day. So the days get shorter and the nights get longer. Okay. And on December 21st, that's when the sun dies. It doesn't rise above the uh, horizon. So the ancients used to say that God's sun was dead. And then it shuffles for three days on the side again. So they used to say God's sun was dead for three days. So basically, that's why it's the crab. So anytime you hear crab or beetle, and the reason beetle is because in the Egyptian zodiac, the crab used to be the beetle, the scarab. The scarab took place in the crab in the Egyptian zodiac. Then Leo is the king, he's the lion, he's the king of the jungle. And the ruling planet of Leo is actually the sun. So whenever you're talking about lion or lioness or cub, you're talking about Leo. Then Virgo is the lady holding the wheat stalk. So remember before we said that you plant in Taurus, well, the virgins would cultivate the wheat in Virgo in order to make the bread for the year. So whenever you hear virgin, wheat, grain, seed, barley, corn, grainy things, they're talking about Virgo because you harvest them all in Virgo. So whenever they're talking about beer, that's from barley, okay? That is uh, in Virgo, okay? Whenever you're talking about bread, that's Virgo, okay? Corn, you're talking about Virgo. Then Libra is the justice. It's the scales, it's the balance, it's the just one. And the reason it's the justice is because it judges God's sun as it passes over the fall equinox and begins its descent into winter, into cold, into death. The Jews always celebrate the new year around the fall equinox. Now, Libra is also wine season, which is when you planted for the grapes in Taurus, you could press the wine here. So being as Libra is the justice, the judgment, anytime you hear law, judge, justice, the just one, divorce, marriage, court, things of that nature, lawly things, they're talking about Libra. Anytime they're talking about wine, vineyard, wine press, they're talking about Libra. It's also olive oil season, okay? You grab the olives in Libra and you press them to make the oil. So that's where you get the wine and the oil from. That's Libra. Then Scorpio is the betrayer. He's the betrayer because when a scorpion bites you, it leaves an imprint in your skin that looks like a pair of lips. It's why the mafia has the kiss of death. And it's why Jesus was betrayed by Judas with the kiss. So the sun is judged in Libra and it's betrayed in Scorpio. And then finally in Sagittarius, this is where the bow and the arrow shoot the sun and inflict further punishment on the sun killing it. This has December 21st in it. Sagittarius has December 21st. December 21st is the day of death. So anytime they're talking about in the Bible, for example, or in any extra extra uh, biblical texts that are not part of the canon or a Gnostic text like the Enuma Elish, anytime they're talking about a death, they're referring to December 21st because that's when it is. So that's horse, bow, arrow, spear, horseman. They're talking about Sagittarius. And then finally you have Capricorn, who's the goat. And that's because he likes to climb the mountain. So if you picture the Zodiac wheel, okay, Capricorn's at the bottom of the wheel you're starting the climb back up the mountain starting december 25th the sun climbs back up the mountain on its way to its height in the summer solstice just like the goat climbs the mountain if you've ever seen a mountain goat do that so those are the 12 signs do you guys have any questions no i would like to point out it's interesting you know i put that book up there i don't know if anybody saw it because the screen is small but you know we count our months 
in the opposite, you know, pattern than this pattern that you're stating. I'm wondering, you know, why that inversion is there. Maybe that's a tangent that we can pick up on later in the conversation. Well, what do you mean but by I, that, Mark? What do you mean by that? Well, you, you started with Aquarius, then Pisces, right? Right. That's January. Aquarius is January. Right. So it has it has it here in this picture. Maybe I'll go back to it so I don't sound like a complete idiot. But but yeah, it's it here it, it has it in the opposite direction. So I'm the just reason wondering. it would have it in the opposite direction is because what you're looking at depicts what's called the great year. Mm. See, we're talking about Aquarius, Pisces. You know the order that I went in. Right. That's going through the year. However, when you're talking about what sign we're in, what age we're in, it's backwards, which is what your thing shows. So we were in Taurus during the Egyptian years. During the Jewish years, we were in Aries. We were in Pisces during Christianity, and now we're in Aquarius. It goes backwards. So we're so talking what, about the procession of the equinox. That's what you're looking at. That's what's being showed. It's different. Right. Cool. So what do you think, Miguel? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, you and I, we've been through this. So. Uh... <laughs> oh, my God. I want this guy to read my eulogy, man, with that voice. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I appreciate you giving everybody a background, any new, new listeners who haven't heard this stuff before, but we've done several shows with Micah and he lays out the uh, Zodiac sign and he's gotten very quick at it. That was very nice. So right. very quick. That foundation laid. Go on. Okay. All right. So with that laid, so this is tablet one of the Enuma Elish. Now remember the Enuma Elish, okay. White Morgan Freeman, the, the Enuma Elish. Okay. That is an, <laughs> not a biblical text it has nothing to do with it it's the babylonian creation story okay so would it surprise you to find astrotheology in it what's it yeah and it should be mentioned to what i think it's dated the the written is uh, 1900 bc but the oral is probably 2700 bc so yep. it's yeah much older than the hebrews and all that for sure at a time when even the glories above had yet to be named. At a time when even the glories above had yet to be named. Mentioned twice. This was the time before the Zodiac was in place. The Zodiac and the constellations. And the progenitor, Tiamat, the mother who gave birth to all, intermingled their waters, producing neither field nor marsh. This is when the sign of Aquarius, the man with the water pitcher, and the water-based sign Pisces, the fish in the water, would create it intermingled their waters. Those are two separate water signs producing neither field, no marsh. No field, no marsh, because the land, as I've mentioned, begins in Aries with the ram. That's the first land creature. Okay, the other two were water-based. Within the unsullied waters of Apsu was Marduk born. He was suckled on the milk of the goddess's own breast. The unsullied water are the divisions between Aquarius and Pisces and the goddesses Virgo. So it's the Virgo Libra border. Those are opposing signs. The milk comes from the Milky Way galaxy. And I've explained this before too. When you're talking about the land of milk and honey in the sign of cancer, there's a group of stars called the beehive cluster. That's where the honey comes from. The Milky Way galaxy where the milk comes from is the center of Sagittarius. So from cancer to Sagittarius is your land of milk and honey, but that's biblical. Okay, that's just basically what it is. Raise the war cry, make them pay for what they have done. Now we're talking about Aries, whose ruling planet is Mars, the god of war. Whereas in Libra, the ruling planet is Venus, who's the goddess of love. Okay, they happen to be opposing signs and they're diametric in their uh, nature. 
She brought big snakes with piercing teeth and vicious fangs. Their bodies she had infused with poison rather than blood, and she caused these raging dragons to emit deadly beings. This is talking about Ophiuchus, the snake bearer, the 13th sign. Also, the raging dragons are Draco the dragon. They are both extraordinarily large constellations. However, they're basically opposing signs. The tale of Draco starts in Aries and Taurus, and Ophiuchus basically starts in Scorpio Libra. Those are opposing locations. Then Tiamat enlisted a horned snake, a Masushu dragon, a mad dog, a scorpion man, half man, half fish, and half man, half bull. The horned snake is Ophiuchus, a dragon, Draco. The mad dog is the dog star Sirius. The scorpion man is Scorpio and Aquarius mix. The half man, half fish is Aquarius Pisces border, which blends the fish and the man sign. And the half man, half bull which is half Aquarius, half Taurus. Does this, does this make sense? Do you see how this is kind of in line and this is kind of the same thing as in the Gnostic text and in the biblical text and the way that this has been encoded? Yeah, it does. Uh, I'm curious, Miguel, where, where do you stand on this? Not, I mean, I don't know how much your astrotheological theological background is, but does it, is this in line with how you think or how, how do, what's your response to this stuff? <laughs> Oh, I have no doubt. I think when the ancients would do stories, it would be aligned with the stars for sure. And I don't, I mean, I take them a little bit more less secular stance than Micah. I think this was interactive, a correspondent. And uh, these stories were certainly in the stars, but they also could appear on earth. So yeah, yeah, as above, so below. There was a correspondence between the the heavenly realms and the earthly realms. But yeah, there is no doubt that these things were uh, done under the stars at certain times. They were done as uh, performance art, probably, and it was uh, used as mnemonic devices. Obviously, they were oral traditions, and then later, the, later it was written down. But yeah, I think even even the yeah the Bible, the Old Testament. I mean, it has been de what they call it decosmologized. They've tried very hard to take out the astro theology but it's it is there in all these texts if you look for it would you be surprised to know that the ancient babylonians the ancient jews the christians the old testament new testament the enuma elish the code of hammurabi the epic of gilgamesh which i did today would you be surprised to know they all use the same exact cipher no, of course. Yeah. I mean, it was, they were looking at the same stars and the same, and they all come from the same sort of source. Yeah. But it's sort of the way how you see the pine cone and everything. You see it in like Quetzalcoatl, you see it at the Vatican, you see it everywhere. Places that had no business communicating with each other too far, no planes, you know, overland. And yet everybody seems to know the same stuff, the pyramids everywhere. How do you mm. communicate that over distance? And yet everybody is using the same cipher for this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have to be the stars. And of course, then you can just get young and say this, these, the stars also are within our souls, the collective unconscious, these symbols, these right. images and all that are within us, too. Well, you got to understand is the iron that's in our blood could have only come from forging in a dying star. That's mm -hmm. the only place that iron could have come from. So right, it's literally consciousness understanding itself. The universe is part of us. The star system, we're not separate from them. We're just understanding it and we're giving it names. The interesting thing, too, is if there's another civilization in another part of the universe, they probably have their own zodiac and set of laws this way, too. You'd have to imagine, right? This is just ours is what you're talking about here. 
Yeah, for sure. All right. So this is tablet three. That we might have a discussion, gather them for a feast, and give them plenty of bread to eat and the best of wine. The bread is Virgo, the virgin with the wheat stalk, and the wine is Libra. Those are connecting signs. Tablet four. We must bestow upon you rule over the entire cosmic order. That's the mention of the zodiac. Amen. They mention amen in the biblical, in, in the Babylonian. Amen comes from Amun-Ra, the Egyptian times. It's not a Hebrew word that means let it be or so it is, which is what people take amen to be now in Hebrew. Amen comes from Amen-Ra. When you're giving uh. praise to amen, you're giving praise to Amen-Ra. Okay, so proclaim to it that the constellations may then disappear. Proclaim to it yet again that the constellations be seen again. They're talking about the creation of the sun. When the sun is out, the constellations disappear. And when they come back, the sun is gone. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. Marduk created a bow, and this he fashioned to be his weapon. Then fletched the arrow with feathers and set it onto the string. Raising himself <laughs> a mace that held with his rigid right hand, slinging the bow over his arm, setting the quiver at his side. We know that Sagittarius is the man with the bow and the arrow. It's in his right hand or at the right side of the zodiac wheel. You know, these are just metaphors as everything. And as time goes on and people get better and better at metaphorizing this stuff, but this is all about the hero's journey. That's basically what it is. It's the greatest story ever told in just in 500 different ways. The Lord took a moment to rest and looked over her corpse. He split the monster's cadaver and made marvelous things, serving up the middle, playing it in half like a drying fish, one of which he thrust up to make the vault of the heavens. He drew a gate in front of it, put into the care of a guardian. Her waters were bounded so they might not surge free. The fish became the zodiac sign, Pisces, the fish. He drew a gate in front of it and put it in the care of a guardian. Her waters were bounded so they might not surge free. This is talking about the sign being created, isolated from another sign. I make the point that uh, the dividing lines, are they're called handover dates. Some of them are called cusps. Whatever you have them, they're basically, that's what the firmament is. The firmament is the line between the signs, okay? Now, the firmament set place on either side to protect them from surging free into another sign. The guardian is the ruling planet of Pisces, which is Jupiter. In the Bible, Simon Peter is Pisces. Why was his name changed from Peter to Simon? Because the ruling planet of Jupiter is Jew-Peter, Jupiter, okay? And the other thing, too, that you have to know is, is that the way that you know this is, is that Peter was a fisherman, and the sign of the fish is Pisces. That's just another way that you know this. So we're at tablet five now. And concerning the stars, he placed constellations for each one. Then he established the year and set forth its subdivisions. And as he formulated his intentions for every day of the year, he set forth the station of Nebiru to delineate their movement, that not one of them would veer from its appointed course. This is talking about creating the rest of the constellations and the zodiac stars. He established their intention for every day of the year or what days go into which sign, delineated their movement, that not one of them would veer from its appointed course. So the zodiac is always going to be the same order. You're never Wait, real quick to interject here is that nibiru like the the planet nibiru planet x you know that i'm not sure and miguel might know that no we'll, we'll have to let google teach us this one we'll have to look oh at yes that. praise google praise google 
We'll have to look into that. I, I don't think so. I think Nibiru is a god, to be honest with you. It wouldn't make sense if you're talking about a planet delineating, delineating their movement. If that makes sense, you know, a planet wouldn't keep the signs in order. It is weird that it's this basically the same word, though. Well, you know, you can also make that connection with Marduk. There's allegedly uh, a planet that predated the asteroid belt as we now know it. Right. And it collided with, I think, what we now call Mars and created what we now call our moon. I mean, that's a story that I've heard. And that's what created the asteroid belt, this planet shattering. So right. there are connections between gods and planets. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But, you know, Nibiru, I mean, that's one of those things that did come out of this time in the 20th century. I don't know how old the Nibiru myth is. I don't know if it connects. It goes back. To, I think it goes back to the Anunnaki, though. Isn't that where the Anunnaki comes from? Graham Hancock talks about it. I think. Well, yeah. You have the sun and then all of the planets... They, they revolve around it in different ways. I think, I think a lot of that, though, came from Zachariah Sitchin. Sitchin, so, not, not, not Graham Hancock. Sitchin, you're right. So, and, I, you know, people have different opinions about him. But again, I think this is something that's relatively, the Nibiru stuff isn't like, it doesn't go past the 19th century, to my knowledge. I could be wrong. Hmm. The idea is basically it's a planet that has a 3,600-year-old, 3,600-year ecliptic around us, whereas all the planets kind of go around the sun this way. Pluto's kind of like this way. This one, Nibiru, goes this way. That's it's, that's And it just comes into our area every 3,600 years. Is that outside the realm of possibility? Or, I mean, I guess... I don't know how the physics, physics works with that, yeah. I think. Have you ever seen how planets were basically you're looking at the space time fabric, right? Think about it this way. Like, I, I don't know how to. I saw this done with like a pool with like a table, like pool balls and everything. But basically the, the planet dents the space time fabric and then the things revolve around it. They kind of it kind of like indents into the space time fabric. Kind and then ripply. what happens, it just puts a little pocket there so that things like kind of just roll around as like a marble would go around in circle. That's mm. basically how it goes. So for it to come this way, I don't know how that would work with physics. Well, we're really into speculation here. So anyway, continue. Sorry to interject with that. No, not at all. He brought into existence the crescent moon to rule the night and he assigned this night gem to be an indicator of days. That's 100% true. The sun, we, th- this, is, this is my proof of God. The sun tells the hour of the day. The moon, like it says here, tells the day of the month. The zodiac tells the month of the year. It's a perfect calendar. Okay, It had to have been created because it works so perfectly for us. That's the way that I see it. <laughs> or like Crow calls it, the sky clock, which is, I think, a perfect yeah. representation of the sky. Right, right. And upon the seventh day, your crown is half in darkness. The 15th day will be halfway at every month's midpoint at a time where Shamash faces you from the opposite horizon. Make the day you are invisible near the track of Shamash. This is talking about the waxing and waning phases of the moon. It's important to note, too, that in Hebrew, the Shamash is the candle that lights all the other Hanukkah candles. You ever see a Hanukkah candle set up? They have eight in the back and they have one in the front. You light the one in the front and then that one lights all the other ones. 
the representation of the sun. The shamash is the sun. Okay, it's the bright one that brings light to all the other candles. So make the day you are invisible near the track of shamash. That's the moon disappearing when the sun is out. Make your choice, the scorpion, for the overthrow of the kingdoms, the constellation Scorpio. Scorpio is known as the betrayer, as we know it, and it overthrows Christ, for example, as uh, becoming Judas. Make your choice, the goatfish, for disease, plague, and famine. The goat is Capricorn and the fish is Pisces. This is winter, cold, destitute, disease, and plague, as this is when people would get sick more often. Famine, because nothing grows until Taurus. Make your choice, the bull of heaven. The bull of heaven is Taurus. And the bull of heaven is also mentioned in the Epic of Gilgamesh. They're always mentioning the bull of heaven. Make your choice, the true shepherd. This is the lamb of God, the good shepherd, which is Aries the ram. The star cluster will arise at the time of the New Year's festival. Year after year, it will be the most festive day among the people. So I wrote here Neil deGrasse Tyson's story about Sirius. So I've reached out to him a bunch of times on Twitter. And he's never answered. But basically, he went on and he said there's no reason why the new year should take place on on January 1st, December 31st. And that's bullshit. The reason we celebrate New Year's on that day and not a solstice or an equinox like the ancients used to do. The reason it's January 1st is because if you go out at midnight on December 31st, wherever you are, and you look up in the sky. You look straight up, you'll see Sirius at its height. Sirius is at its height, December 31st at midnight, January 1st. You follow it straight down, you have Earth. You follow it straight down, you have the sun. It's a perfect alignment. Okay, and Sirius is that, is that some kind of perversion, though? No. What do you mean? No, I just mean because you said the ancients celebrated it on the equinox or the solstice, but we do it on... Well, that's what they do. I mean, the Jews celebrate the new year around September 21st. It's different in the Jewish calendar every year. But Yeah, pagans would celebrate it on the uh, spring equinox, too. Right. Kind of makes more sense. (laughs) Spring equinox and the solstices. Yeah, that's when they used to do it. Absolutely. So, Anu set up Upon his lap, the bow, which had pierced Tiamat, and he placed a rod of peace at his side. The bow is Sagittarius. In Sagittarius, you have December 25th, which is when the sun dies. The rod of peace was at his side. That's December 25th in Capricorn, because after the sun is killed, the world is in turmoil. And then three days later, the sun rises again and is celebrated on December 25th. It's the offering of peace back to Earth. Then a bull was led by Ea and slaughtered for the banquet. They're talking about Taurus Aries border, why? And within his cellar were placed stocks of wine. Libra Scorpio border, why? Because Libra is wine season. Those are opposing signs. Call him Enbililu, the master and bringer of wealth. They have a potent God who rules the portals, the portents of sacrifice, who guards pastures, lakes, springs for the land's sake, who releases springs and gives out water and plentiful supply. They're talking about pastures, lake, and springs. Pastures are in Aries, okay? Because, again, Aquarius and Pisces are the water signs. The pastures, the land sign, starts in Aries. And the lakes and springs are water, hence the mention of lakes and springs. So you can look at Pisces and Aquarius. Now, Aries, Pisces, and Aquarius are all connecting signs, okay? So they, they mention the first three signs in this one passage. Second, they ought to know Enbalu, 
Lu, likewise as Ipaidun, as the master of the land and farming, bringer of furs, who manages the canals, which are both in heaven and earth. Land and farming is talked about in Taurus, which is as above, so below. When you see the bull in the sky, you put the plow on the bull on earth and plow. He is called Surser, who heaped the mountain atop Tiamat, who captured among the spoils of war the cadaver of Tiamat. He is the ruler of the land and is likewise their good shepherd, who is given freely agriculture, garden land, and plow land. This mention of war is Mars, the god of war and Aries. The shepherd mention is still Aries as the sheep and the livestock need to be tend to, which is Aries, who is given freely agriculture, garden land, and plow land mentioned just as before, that's Taurus. Aries and Taurus are connecting signs. He is called Gil, who collects great piles and masses of grains, bringing both grains and herbs, suppliers of land, fertility. This is the mention of the grain of the wheat, a lady in the wheat stalk, Virgo. And that's what I have for the Enuma Elish. What do you guys think? Miguel, what is your rebuttal or and or adding to that? <laughs> no rebuttal. It's good. I mean, as far as commentary, yeah, I wanted to mention it talks there after Marduk. He's done and conquers the universe. He puts his bow there. And it is interesting because the bow is a symbol of the cosmos and you find it in a lot of myths. And in fact, in what Genesis 9 Scholars have said that when God shows the rainbow, it's not really a rainbow. It's a later edition. It, it, it should be a bow. In other words, right. Yahweh is putting the bow up there because he's saying, all right, this is the cosmos, how it's going to be. And what so. does he say? What does God say? He says, never again shall I flood the earth with death. Mm -hmm. And what is Sagittarius? The bow and the arrow. Mm -hmm. exactly. That's December 21st. That's the death. Yeah, the beginning and the beginning of the new light. So... That is an interesting point, too. And on a kind of a side note, obviously, the Enuma Elish starts, it's, uh, I call it the fall of mankind, because you have this creation myth where, you know, it's kind of funny where Tiamat and her husband are trying to sleep and the gods are being noisy. They're playing rap music or something, parting it down there. So that's how the war starts. And then the younger gods, they enlist Marduk. They say, if you can beat your mom, you will be, you will be the ruler of the universe. Obviously, we have this vibes with, again, Sophia and the Demiurge. But Tiamat really represents the serpentine powers, the lunar, watery, holistic, witchy aspect of the human mind and of history. And Marduk represents the new rise of the left brain, the logical, the reason, the science, because obviously Marduk would become the god of civilization. This is when suddenly let's build roads, let's build cities, let's do astronomy and brew beer, let's be more scientific. And that's who Marduk became. And unfortunately, we as gone throughout history, we've uh, gone so far on that side that we've become unbalanced in our psyches. And I think it has been pointed out, Yahweh in the Old Testament might not be the original Yahweh. The original Yahweh might have been this sort of alien tribal god that wanted humans, but he, he was replaced by Marduk, the god of civilization. Well, they, say it. they say it in Genesis. Mm -hmm. They say, let us let us yeah. make man in our image. Not, I will make man in my image. Let us make man. You know, there's, there's a saying. There's a well, also, don't forget, Micah, there's also 
where Yahweh defeats Leviathan, it's just ripping off Marduk defeating Tiamat. Reason right. defeats the old again. I would think holistic. Leviathan, the fish god, could go back to uh, Dagonism and uh, Mithraism as well, too, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, Mithras is, especially as an Indian god, he's very old. So that's the interesting part, too, about the whole Enuma Elish. And as I call it, it is the fall of man because we became really split. Uh, you mentioned Shemesh, too, and it should be noted, yeah, Shemesh, I think Hebrew for fire. But Samson was probably a solar god because his name could be Shemesh, the solar one, Samson? the fiery one. So, hmm? Well, in Hebrew, check this out. In Hebrew, Samson. Okay, everybody knows the story of Samson, the strength, and he gets his hair cut and he goes blind. All right, Samson, the root word of Samson is Shamash. In fact, Samson literally means little son in Hebrew. Now, here's the interesting thing, too. What who's Delilah? Okay, you know what the, the root of Delilah is? Yeah, the moon. The root of, the, the root of Delilah is Lila. In Hebrew, Lila means night. When you say Lila Tov to someone in Hebrew, it means good night. It's the story of the night overtaking the day, which is another death of the sun. You know, it's just a different way of telling the hero's story. Now, I wonder, you know, for better or worse, was this stuff concealed? You know, we have obviously astrology at this point in history when Christianity starts to come into the forefront where it's being practiced everywhere in culture, people are going to oracles. People are, are very, you know, superstitious and worried about apocalypse and things like that. And then, you know, over time, astrology becomes pseudoscience. It becomes laughed at and you mm -hmm. see that it's always still remaining encoded in the word. So I'm wondering, you know, was this for better or worse? Cause I've, you know, pick this book out, strangely enough, and it points to uh, St. Paul when he says, for we have to struggle not with blood and flesh, but with the angelic rulers, the angelic authorities, the potentates of the dark present, the spirit forces of evil in the heavenly sphere. Also how his triumphant, I am persuaded that neither the powers nor the ascension of the stars nor their declination shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So they're kind of saying like, hey, we, we don't need the the lesser gods to connect with the higher deity anymore. We can go straight to the source or maybe they were kind of creating a middleman. I mean, what are your thoughts on this this moment in time? The Egyptians. Well, real quick, sorry, Micah, I'll let you, let you go in a second because this is kind of important. We have in the chat, Limited Hangout is saying that astrotheology is word concept fallacies and doesn't take into into account the historical evidence and uniqueness of the messages in the gospels so i will let you rebut that because that is a valid point what's unique in the gospel what's that what is unique in the gospel i don't know i'm just i'm just reading yeah, I, don't know, I don't know anything. i mean there's, there's the bible says there's nothing new under the sun itself so <laughs> yeah have you That's seen my, my presentation, the book of Revelation or the book of Matthew? Yeah, we've it's had all, you on for Revelation. Yeah, it's all the same thing. It's literally all the same thing. It's the same story. These are just deeply encoded metaphors. The problem with reading the Bible literally is that it's it's kind of, it, 
it keeps you at your base chakra. It does not raise your vibration. It does not raise your consciousness. There is clearly, clearly astrotheology in, in, within the Bible that, within not only the Bible, but these ancient texts, it's what unites them all. You know, it's what unites all of them. It's this, it's this thing, this way of seeing it. What and, if it was actually historically accurate, but also followed the stars? Because that would be some Joseph Campbell shit, which I bring up all the fucking time. The hero's journey, like it's a it's a pattern that just repeats itself over and over in the stars and down here. Like you said, as above, so below. Well, then you're so talking. Like, then then you'd be talking about no. You'd be talking about no free will then. If you're if if you're just gonna play out the same story over and over again, you're not talking about free will. Yeah, and I'm kind of stuck on that one actually. But yeah, I mean, I don't, know. I don't take the Bible literally, any of it, any of it. I think they're all different ways of telling the same exact story. You know, I can show you guys the Secret Gospel of John at some point if you're interested. No, yeah, we can get into that. Mark, do you have or Miguel? Do you have anything to add to that? No, I wanted to add something that there's a scholar who's very underrated, John Lunwall, and he wrote a book called uh, Mythos and Cosmos. And it's fascinating because the, he, he talks about, Micah was talking about the, uh, the epic of Gilgamesh, when Gilgamesh goes down underground mm -hmm. because he's upset about his boyfriend being killed. And he goes to the goddess of the underworld. I forget, it's a hard name to pronounce. And he's like, what's the secret to immortality? And then the goddess suddenly starts talking about a flood story. And people say, well, some old author just threw it in there. Uh, you no, know what you I mean? literally gave the cheapest version of that book in one sentence. You just explained the whole book from start right, right. to finish. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, and I don't think it was his boyfriend either. I think they just admired yeah, him. Yeah, I, I know. I'm being facetious. His buddy, whatever it is. But, you know, Enkidu is... But when you... Then John was like, okay, he th he thinks that the ancients are a lot smarter than we give them credit. So he started looking around and he realized in chapter 175 of the Book of the Dead, there's a hero called Anid, and he descends into the underworld and he asks Ra, what's the secret of immortality? And Ra suddenly goes into a, guess what, a flood story. And he realized this pattern appears across worlds and what they're talking about is that they're, they're not talking about a flood on earth, but there's a flood in the sky. I think it's in the southern hemisphere. I think cancer, where all the milk, you can see the Milky Way flowing down. And to them, they thought that if you could focus on this uh, flood in the sky, you would find the secrets of immortality. Because obviously, to the ancients eternal life is always found in the underworld and that's where death hides in mortal life so well, Miguel, uh, the, the story of aquarius is literally yeah, exactly it's a greek story that's a story that's where the greeks get their flood story mm -hmm. so the guy with the water pitcher in aquarius the quick version of the story is basically this there's a 14 year old boy on earth that zeus wants to bring up to heaven because he finds him attractive this that and the other thing the guy's father doesn't want to give him so what Zeus does is he gives him a bunch of animals. He gives him a bunch of money, this, that, and the other thing. He allows the boy to go up to heaven. The boy starts feeding people with the jar, with something called ambrosia, which is the nectar of the gods. He starts feeding the gods this. What happens then is he gets sick of doing it after a while. And what he does is he takes the pitcher with, with ambrosia and he pours it over the side of heaven, which floods the earth. That's the Greek's flood story. Then what Zeus does is he 
looks at him and he's furious with him for doing that. And he's going to punish him. But in a moment of self-reflection, he realizes that he kind of tricked him into coming up this, that, and the other thing. So he just recognizes him as the, as the sign of Aquarius. So I'm, I'm thinking the flood on earth, or at least, you know I mean? The flood in the heavens to me, that's Aquarius. That's what that story is. That, yeah, doesn't that seem a little story bit with Philemon, where he and seem... go down oh, to sorry. Earth. They they decide they're going to destroy humanity. They're looking for some noble people, and they only meet Philemon and his wife. And but that's another flood story. I, I was just going to say, doesn't it seem? I mean, not to denigrate any of the work you've done, but isn't is it a little bit reductive to to bring everything down to the stars? I mean, I get that the ancient people would only be focused on that because they don't have TVs and that was their Netflix. And we've talked about that before, but do you think they were that, I don't want to call it shallow, but that shallow of uh, like, that's all their life was, was watching the stars no, and every no, story no, no, they've no. ever wrote. I've talked I don't to think people. it was the lack of TVs, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will, Joe, I will say this. I've always said the Bible is three things. All right. One is astrotheology, which I really go into. The other two, I don't. The other two is alchemy. And the last one is tarot, the tarot cards. Okay, those are the three things that make up the Bible. Okay, you get the word Torah from tarot. Okay, that's where that comes from. And those three things combined make the Bible. I can go into depth for the other ones, but I just focus on astrotheology because baby steps, you know, you can't overflow things. The reason this is so important that you have to know that Taurus is the bull you have to plow when winter is coming, when to harvest, when to reap, is because it was your life. You weren't in the food. You were barely out of the food chain. So you had to know when winter was coming, okay? And you had to know when to plant. If you didn't plant on time, then you were not going to reap. And if you didn't reap, you were going to starve in the winter. You were going to die. And the animals used to come out in the winter, and they would be vicious, and we were barely out of the food chain. And you had to basically know how to stay warm. You had to basically – it was a farmer's almanac. You had to know what to do. And that's just the most important thing. I go into better description in some of my other work, but basically this is, this was life. You had to understand this stuff. So, so do you think there's zero spiritual or other dimensional implications to this, or is it just the stars? Is there like, I, I know you said at the beginning, the, the planets definitely have a like correlation to gods and deities and all that, but is, is it just that? Is it that material well, take, just based on human existence? Okay, so I just I, what it, we just did the. Enuma I have an answer to that. If you want to let me answer after Micah goes, we have the Enuma Elish, right? Would you read that as a spiritual book? Would you take your spiritual lessons from that? Then why do you take it from the Bible? It's no different. This it's not, it's not God mandated the Bible. You know, it's not. It's just an encoded book, just like they all are. So I'm gonna let Mark go though. Well, I would say that it's you know more than just an almanac it's more than just a time keeping it's you know when you made the comment about uh, the television is it's poignant because they use the stars as a script for their stories you know in the days when oral tradition was all they had it was important to be succinct and relay information in layers and i think also you know Miguel brought up this a little bit before the left brain, right brain, you know, people didn't have the same consciousness that we have now, you know, there's science that maybe points to 
mushrooms being the cause of that. Some people say agriculture is the cause of that. You know, there's a lot of explanations, but, you know, it seems to be that there was a different form of consciousness in those times. And what I've come to know from the, the research I've done is that it was a sort of dreamlike consciousness where, you know, your id, as we sort of know it now, the, the voice in your head, so to speak, came to them as a maybe a, a presence that's felt out of nowhere, you know, because most of their mind was instinctual. And every now and then they would have this voice appear during key moments. I don't know how true that is. You know, I haven't been in the mind of uh, an ancient man in this lifetime, but it feels like that that could be a, a very strong explanation for why it seems that there's a different, but either way, you know, I'm getting a little off course here. I think the, the point I'm trying to make is it's a process of ascension. You know, you, they're encoding uh, a rite of passage, so to speak, that maybe only in those days, people who were able to take up that position to have the responsibility to know and to act and be a, a role in their community, you know, they would, there's a learning process that had to be undergone and it, it encompassed everything, you know, every aspect of their lives were connected in that microcosm, macrocosm way. So, so, you know, you can look at indigenous cultures and see, you know, not everybody becomes a shaman. There's a selected group of people who, who take on that rite of passage and, and your purpose sort of comes to you. So I think in many ways, that's what these stories serve to do is to really kind of serve as the infrastructure for those communities in a conscious sort of way. That makes sense. But I would, I would, I would take it one step further. I don't, it's a little bit of chronological ethnocentrism to think that the ancients didn't have consciousness the way we do right now. I mean, you're looking at the Egyptians, the eye of Horus looks exactly like the pineal gland in the corpus callosum when you cut it open and do a sagittal cut of the brain. <coughs> the ancient Buddhists used to mourn death for 49 days. Okay, they would say also it took 49 days for the soul to enter the human body. And now they're finding out that on the 49th day of gestation is when the pineal gland becomes visible on a scan. So the ancients knew this stuff. You know, they had this kind of information. It goes way deeper. You're not giving the ancients credit. Yes, maybe they didn't have modern medicine like we have right now, but they had other things back in the day, things that we don't have now. We don't have Greek fire right now. We can't build the pyramids right now. It was tried. We can't do any of that stuff. So they had other things. I think the consciousness has always been there. It's just a product of their times. That, that's what kind I, of what I was getting at, though. Like they had other things they could do, like build the pyramids and do all this stuff, but instead they chose to write encoded messages about the stars when so that was that was necessary to survive. Why it, would they encode it? Could it be possible survive, but to be human? What's the what's the saying? Humans don't need fantasies to deal with reality. We need fantasies to be human. Mm -hmm. Our minds are made of. I mean. Despite language being created, again, Mardu creating linear, linear time, as the philosopher Owen Barfield said, our reality was created with language because we started seeing linear time. But before that, and our brain hasn't changed, the truth is our mind is made of images and symbols. So these myths are, you might say, the secret language of the soul, or as Joseph Campbell said, myth is religion, myth misunderstood. 
these myths really point to the transcendent, to what makes us divine, or to the divine, or to what makes us truly inspired and give us meaning to be in this planet. As I was talking to another podcaster last night, when you look at Gobleki Tepe, which is 13,000 years ago, and they when they brought it up, you assume this oldest civilization in a chronological order, you think they would build, you know, first shelter, then we're going to build a farm, then we're going to build a school, then a government. Finally, when we have time, we're going to build this tower to the gods. And they found out it's the opposite. It started with the tower to the gods. It's almost like we humans need to look at the stars and be inspired or transformed by alien powers for us to be able to hold, to to be able to create a civilization and to create things that are better than just being monkeys. So I think that's uh, a lot. That's why these myths are important. Just like Star Wars or The Matrix or Harry Potter. These things really hold our society together, even if they are rehashes of ancient myths. Well, that's what Luke Skywalker is. Skywalker, yeah. the sun. It walks a chorus, crosses the sky in 12 steps. Luke, Lucius, the mm -hmm. sun. Lucifer, the sun. In yeah. 12 and steps. the sun and simply symbolizes life, growth, heat, you know, as above, so below. Yep. <clears throat> All right, guys, so you want me to do this one, too? Yeah, go into it. So this is the origins of reality. The father is surrounded by light. He apprehends himself in that light, which is the pure spring of the water of life that sustains all realms. He is conscious of his image everywhere around him, perceiving his image in the spring of spirit pouring forth from himself. He is enamored of the image he sees in the light water, the spring of pure light water enveloping him. The father is surrounded by light is the sun, which is the pure spring of water of the life that sustains all the realms. That's the sign of Aquarius and Pisces. The water, perceiving his image in the spring of spirit and pouring forth from himself. That's Aquarius, the water bearer. The spring of pure light water enveloping him, metaphor for Aquarius, representing, referencing water being pure light as well. His self-aware thought, Inoa, came into being, appearing to him in this effulgence of his light. She stood before him. This, then, is the first of the powers prior to everything. She is from his image in his light, perfect in power, image of the invisible, perfect virgin spirit. She stood before him. He is Aquarius in the Pisces border as he is the sign of the man. She stood before him as the opposing sign of Virgo, the perfect virgin spirit. Then the tertiary structure of the divine mind. This is the gospel of John, by the way. Okay. Twelve realms stand before the son of the powerful. Twelve realms belong to the son of the autogenes. Twelve realms are the twelve zodiac signs. The son of the autogenes or the sun. The sun in the twelve zodiac signs. A crisis that became the world. Sophia saw what her desire produced. It changed into the form of a dragon with a lion's head. Dragon is a sign of Draco. The lion's head is Leo the lion. Incidentally, the dragon cuts through Aquarius. Draco cuts through Aquarius. The lion is Leo. Those are opposing signs. The fashioning of this world. He made the first seven rulers to reign in the seven spheres of heaven. The seven spheres of heaven are known as the seven planets at the time, also known as the Elohim. El is God. Ohim means plural. 
So Elohim, okay, El means God. And Ohim is basically like putting an apostrophe S on it. It's just multiple. His rulers created seven authorities for themselves. Each of the authorities created six demons apiece. There came to be 365 demons altogether. Here are the seven authorities, names, and physical forms. The metaphor for the days of the year. First, Athoth with the sheep's face. Aries. This comes first because Aries is the first sign of the zodiac. When you're talking about the zodiac, the year begins in Aries. That's why it's celebrated. It's spring. It's the new year. That's what it basically is. Second, Elios with a donkey's face. Acellus Borealis, meaning donkey, is located in the sign of Cancer. Third, Astaphios with a hyena's face. Draco is also known as two hyenas, Eta Draconis and Zeta Draconis. Fourth, Yao with the face of a seven-headed snake. This is the sign of Ophiuchus, the snake bearer. Fifth, Sabaoth, who had the face of a dragon. This is known as the constellation Draco the dragon. Two mentions of it within the seven. Sixth, Adonis, whose face was that of a monkey. The monkey-head nebula, which is in Orion. Seventh, Sabatios, with the face of a flame and fire. Okay, Sabatios, or the Sabbath, the new Sabbath is the sun day. It's talking about the sun with the face of a flame and fire. The Jewish people worshipped on the Saturn day, but the new religion will worship on the sun day. Humanity begins. Then came a voice from the highest realm saying, the man exists and the son of man. Man exists and he is based on Aquarius, the sign of the man with the water pitcher or the son of man. He, illuminates the wa- he illuminated the waters above the world of matter. His image shone in those waters. All the demons and the first ruler together gazed up toward the underside of the newly shining waters. Through that light, they saw the image of the waters. The waters above the world of matter is Aquarius and Pisces. They gazed up towards the underside of the newly shining waters. So this is the beginning of the creation of Aquarius and Pisces. Through the light, they saw the image in the waters, the two fish. The children of Seth populate the world. He begot a son like the son of man, modeling him on the heavenly race in the higher realms. Well, the son of man is the sign Aquarius. So you see how it doesn't really matter what text I take. It'll talk about, and it's not like it's just mentioning a lion and that's it. It's mentioning anywhere from eight to 12 signs. Every time in every book that I decode. You know, it has to be that. That's the way I see it. You know, if it was just one sign or two signs, I could be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, why not talk about lines? But when they talk about four or five signs in one passage, it it has to be that. So that's just the way I see it, though. No, we appreciate your perspective. This is why we have you on is because it's so new. I mean, it's not new now because we've had you on several times, but it's new because I've never thought of the world that way. And that's why I think it's fun to have Miguel on with you too, is because he's got a different way than I've ever listened to, except for a year or two ago when I first started listening to him. But I don't know. I just, there's so many questions and not enough answers like usual. There's way more questions and everybody has their own unique questions. That's why I was kind of pulling from the chat to get their perspective on it too. And it just seems like it's one, it's something that you can't just narrow down to one thing. Like the, the whole thing isn't, you can't just like 
reduce it down to one thing, but I think you did a great job reducing it down to one thing. Like it does seem like that, but I want to go into Miguel, do you have anything on this or do you want, like, I know, I know your perspective is different too with your, well, kind of different, but. Hold on. Can I, can I say something really quick to, to, in, to that regard before we move on? The first time that we had Micah on, my mind was absolutely blown because, and part of it was his story as well. You know, all of these questions that get brought up as you're raised in a church and you have questions as you see contradictions and things of that nature and things that you can't explain. And then he follows the path that he's been following and it starts to answer all of those questions. Everything is a metaphor. And uh, depending on how much of that is concrete and how much of it is just all metaphor, obviously we weren't there when it was written. So, I mean, his perspective on it, 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 exactly what you said, it completely changes your entire view of those books and how you read them. And then it changes a lot of the doctrines, you know, that millions of people live their lives by. And I, I it's still mind blowing to me to, when I, cause I have to like, I have to consciously step into those shoes to look at it through that light because I'm so trained whenever I think about the Bible or passages or any of that stuff to think about it in the way that we were taught which is the traditional way that most people are taught from the Bible and the other, you know, old sacred texts. Right. Um, I, I think where I'm trying to go with it is I, I'm not discounting any of this. Like it makes perfect right. sense. But what I'm trying to figure out is where the metaphysical or spiritual aspect comes into this, because right. I think the ancients had a lot of that too. It wasn't just the stars. They knew there was something, there, there was something outside this realm or dimension or whatever. They knew something about when you died and, what happened when you died and it didn't have to do with the stars when you died. Like there's something else. Anybody got anything on that? Like how does this wrap around with spiritual? Well, I, I would say because they like many humans have been having mystical experiences. It's just when they recorded them in those times, you know, they stated it with different terms than we would use today. And maybe they were met with less criticism at certain points in history. And I think, you know, something I was bringing up earlier is this transition from uh, mystery schools to Christianity. There's still many proponents of the mystery schools who saw the propagandizing of Christianity and what was happening to the Druids and all these different groups. You know, you had the, all the different Norse peoples and people in Germany who were practicing different pagan arts and, and spiritual practices. So I think People just like today experience spiritual things. And, and when Christianity came and, and sort of rewrote history in that way, there were still people who felt like preserving that information, maybe encoding it. I don't know if it was for worse or for better, but, you know, that's that's at least my take on it. You got to realize. Too, that, Miguel? That... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it denies anything metaphysical. Again, they saw... These, these planets and stars were all conscious, they were all divine, and they had multiple multiple services or multiple functions. And even then, this is, yeah, you had the grand stars, the drama, but then you had, of course, the mystery religions, you had the shamans, you had those who would 
practice underground or in caves to really go into the the spirit world and the voyages there's a when, when Micah's doing the secret book of John there's talking about those arc I think once you get to the to the how the planets are yeah the Gnostics were constructing how our prison is that's what I'm saying and then the upper world the aeons of course that is more uh, a platonic or ancient mystical egyptian structure i think it's beyond the stars but it's interesting because he's talking about the the donkey face archon and then the archon with the monkey when you when you re read the ancient uh, egyptian mysteries the pyramid texts and all that it's the same once you die you get on the boat with ra and you go around the world, you go through the Zodiac, but you also encounter these beings like one with a donkey face, these guys who control the universe and you have to get passed through them. And of course, you always have to avoid the great the snake that Ra is supposed to be journeying. So it's a, it's a beautiful, I would say, metaphor on the journey that our soul takes, not just after we die, but when we have an out-of-body experience and maybe when we dream, maybe every night we go right into the star portals, the great flood of the sky, beyond the stars with Ra, who knows? Hmm. So it's it's more of a metaphor for, like we said earlier, as above, so below, as here, and so also after you die. Like, you're going to be doing the same cycle even when you die? To the Egyptians and the Gnostics, yeah. That's basically, you can, you can take this flight to the stars on this life, or you're going to take it when you die your pick so either way you have to be armed with the the knowledge and the magic and the gnosis well that's what religion that's the problem with religion because religion tells you that, that no matter how much you learn how much you gain in wisdom that won't save you the only way to save you is to believe in jesus to believe in the son of god that is the only way to be saved you know there's a there's a saying that says faith over facts you know, oh, that's Orthodox Christianity, yeah. Which is which is wild. You know, it's nuts. They want to keep you at the lower level chakras. They don't want you to attain wisdom and knowledge. So how do the how do the other aspects of all the weird shit we talk about come in here with like reptilians and you know the evil overlords and you know the general conspiracy theories and stupid shit we talk about? How how do how do those intersect with Gnosticism or astrotheology? Oh, Gnosticism obviously jives perfectly. I mean, if we are trapped in a prison planet, then these star lords are the ones who are keeping us in a simulation that we can't see. Only a few people can see it or can understand. And even then, you have to find the knowledge to be able to break through the simulation and encounter and defeat these beings that are controlling the galaxy so it jives perfectly well because to me, uh, the rep, to again me, the there rep. are there's these grand dramas in the stars and they're very you know against marduk and the serpent it's a grand drama of order versus freedom i mean to me the reptilian idea is silly i don't believe that there's reptiles that are running the thing i think it's a combination with our obsessive reptiles from the dinosaur age mixed with what we have is the reptilian brain which you access when you drink and lower your vibration i I, I agree micah mixed with aliens yeah. I, I have i don't know i i have something different to say i you know started this journey 10 or so years ago i probably told this story a bunch on my podcast but 
I met someone who became sort of a mentor to me and he told me explicitly, and I trust him that, you know, when he had a peyote ceremony in the, you know, through the, the traditional means with his tribe, he's a Pueblo Native American from Arizona. He said that in this and, you know, take it for what you will, it's peyote. But in this peyote, you know, hallucination, he met with a reptilian lizard goddess. And he told me that his father, his grandfather and everyone in his family, in his bloodline, so to speak, who has this peyote experience meets with this same deity. So I don't think it's completely out of the ordinary to claim that reptilians could be on this planet in some shape or fashion because there's you know indigenous tribes that are talking about it there's people all over the world who you know don't necessarily have communications with each other we have stories of this sort of thing in you know separate places in the world take that for what you will but yeah this is this is just secondhand information and when i learned it i was like oh okay you know, I'm going to take that with a, a, a little less of a grain of salt when I hear it. Cause it yeah. Mark, would you, Mark, would you at least agree not in our dimension, maybe in another dimension? Well, yeah. And, and that's, you know, what's to say that, you know, we're stuck in this dimension. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you experience it with your conscious mind in some way, it's real, you know, so, and I don't necessarily think that hallucination if multiple people are seeing and communicating with the same thing. I mean, that to me sounds like it's a ancestral spirit of some form or, or a deity that they're connected to for, through some ritual. I mean, if you go to the bottom of most secret societies, they're communicating with some sort of entity, at least that's what they say they're doing, you know, whether it's through Oracle or through divination ritual, you know, there's a lot of evidence for this sort of practice. So if we're going to categorize, uh, you know, those beings as not of this earth, well, I don't know that he said this was under underground, the underworld, you know, to bring that concept up again. And, you know, indigenous cultures, at least in North America, have a lot of similarities with with Gnosticism, at least in some of their myths. You can't say that for all the tribes. There's variety of, of myths associated with different cultures. But for for the underworld, it's pretty universal that humans interact with the underworld, whether under sober conditions, ritualized conditions, or plant medicine-induced conditions, and interact with, for better or worse, some sort of entity. So I, to me, that means it's real, and therefore I say lizard people, totally real. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's to say those drugs like peyote or LSD or whatever, who's to say that's not a way to communicate with alien life or with beings in other dimensions? You know, you can build a radio or a telephone, and that's how we talk to each other in this realm. But what if, you know, like ayahuasca or peyote, that's just the form of communication that those beings use? That's the radio that's, to the well, other. Jen, Jen, there's a reason why they're all illegal, <laughs> highly illegal, and things like alcohol. Yeah, that's what I mean. And- Things like not, not in Oregon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like alcohol is not illegal. Like oxycontin, fentanyl, things that lower your vibration. Yeah, not things exactly. That raise your That's vibration. what I mean. It's the stuff that raises your vibration. And back to Mark's point too. There's plenty of talk about people who who take DMT, who see the who see the gnomes. You know, they go to a different dimension and they see the same exact thing. Absolutely, I agree. That's a possibility. 
I do. And if it's in a different dimension too, I guess I meant our physical plane here. I, I personally don't believe there are reptilians walking in our plane here. When I used the word dimension, I was a little loose with it. I just meant our waking selves, I guess. I suppose. So you're talking more about like astral reptilians or something like that? Yeah, things of that nature. Or maybe maybe while you sleep or when you do drugs, you go to a higher dimension. Because you remember quantum theory, quantum physics talks about 11 dimensions right now. That's where they're at. Yeah. You know, that's where Miguel, they're at. How, do, how does that jive with uh, Gnosticism? Speak to us with your sweet Gnostic voice. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> if only my family thought my voice. You, you're right up there with Sam L. Jackson reading one of those go the fuck to sleep books. No, there's a reason no, he Morgan doesn't. Morgan Freeman. Over. I think you're talking about Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Samuel Jackson, I'd be up. Motherfucker, wake up. Go <laughs> oh, the fuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgan Freeman <laughs> would be better. No, it jives perfectly well. Again, I don't see if we are trapped, which I think uh, there is something suppressive. If we are in a simulation, then there are ent entities who are in a different plane just like they are benevolent ones who are in a different plane and again this goes right back to the to the shamans and their their journeys to the spirit world and the egyptians and their flights to a, a cross beyond beyond the heavens so this is something neoplatonist even tibetan buddhists i mean this is this has been around the world and it's an ancient tradition just as astrotheology is so it, it all jives well pretty it all jives pretty well so again i think we see things in a linear way and want things organized but as i see it the ancients probably saw everything in a different level more in a more holistic symbolical embedded level as a uh, anthropologist said ancient man if he suddenly turned around and he saw like my dog i say dog but he would see animal god spirit food companion for all at once and yeah. it wouldn't be no right. problem his brain could handle because his brain was composed of images and myths and all that instead of just sort of that linear logical one step at a time thinking that all of us now have adopted i think that's why I, i've said it before and it's it is that's why it's so complicated i not to talk shit on anybody who's a christian or who believes any of these religions i i get it but it just seems so it's so narrowed down and it's so in a box it's a nice little packaged box of beliefs where it's like no this is what happened and it actually makes sense a lot of it makes sense but it's so packaged down and it's like no this is it this is all that happened but all the religions have that same thing where they're it's all packaged into this nice box and they all kind of jive with each other but i think it's a lot more than that and i think that's kind of what well, you're getting out there absolutely that's i mean that's been that's been the argument for us since teenager that we finally were able to verbalize was the idea that if Christianity and a lot of these and Christianity as, as a whole, you can go off into denominations and, and the different sects that believe different things. But as a, as a whole, Christianity and a, a lot of these other religions that have a soul deity, um, they preach relationship, but they live religion. And religion is nothing more than exactly what you said. It's the box. It's, it's, a, it's a handbook of moral codes and ethics that then they place up to a deified level. And the idea that if you took away the titles and you took away all of this stuff, I mean, the Native Americans, they called it spirit. I uh, forget what they called it. Uh, the great spirit. Every, if you really lived it the way that they teach it, 
it would be a relationship and every single one of us would have a different relationship with said deity. Just like no relationship. No, I think it should be. It, that's exactly how it should be. And there should be no titles for the longest time. I mean, literally up until this last year, when I feel like everything that I believed in Christian wise was kind of rocked, if not shattered. I used to say that all the time was like, I don't claim to be a Christian. I just have a relationship with the person that I believe is God. <clears throat> and that, that takes away a lot of that box that people shove you in when you say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what denomination are you? I'm Baptist. Boom, you're in a box. They think exactly what you believe, and that's what they put you in. Well, the thing about religions, the, the thing about religions, why they all work so well, why they have so many people in each denomination, is because they answer the one question that pegs all of us since the moment we're conscious of our own selves, when we're like five, six years old. It's that I exist. I'm scared of what's going to happen when I die. I don't want to not exist. And every religion has a fun way of answering for you how you're going to live forever or how you're going to continue to live in the afterlife. Okay. Yeah. That's why they do that because they all tell you, follow me, listen to me. That's right. fine. You know, and as far as the religious texts go, if the Bible was just filled with positivity <laughs> and ways to be good people, that would be one thing, but it's not right. it's a product of its time. There's rape, incest, talking donkeys, talking snakes, shit that doesn't make sense, you know? And, and to me, astrotheology answers a lot of it, but that's why religion works so well is because they answer the question, what happens when I die? They tell you, and then you don't have to think about it anymore. That's exactly what I was getting at is I don't want to call it lazy. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of Christians that listen to our show and I'm not right. fucking... I have no problem with that. We were raised super fucking Christian to to put the F word in there. But it's not it's not anything <laughs> it's against fine. you. Like I get it. We we were raised the same way. We were like, yes, we have to do this, or we will go to a flaming lake of fire. And I don't want that. And I have a problem with that in itself, that it's an ultimatum. It's not like a your God loves you so much that he wants you to come live with him forever and on streets of gold. And we just talked about this the other day, but I'm like, no, it's not that it's an ultimatum. It's do it, do what I, I mean, you have free choice, but do what I say, or you're going to burn forever. That's not love. I'm sorry. That's no, but even the love, even the love aspect of it isn't love because the idea that it's one or the other, you get extremely rewarded for doing the one or you get damned for doing the other. It's like, that's not free choice. You're either giving an incentive to do one or the other or a, a, an incentive. And then also distance yourself from the other side of it. There is no like middle ground, like, yeah, well, or you could just die and go in the dirt and not choose either way. But it doesn't give you that option. <laughs> it doesn't give you the option to stay in the middle and go, you know what? I don't want to go to heaven or hell. I had to figure I'd just live this life and wrap this shit up and call it a day. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people want to do that, and it's called suicide. But Preston, <laughs> Preston, who I called out in the intro, actually just tipped again. Dude, you're on a roll. Like, stop it. We don't... I mean, thank you, but he has a question. He said, ask Mark, could it be possible if God created our dimension, could Sam Tripoli be my son, who I shot load on a towel? Am I... <laughs> he said, I'm a Christian, but don't adhere to the 501c3 church, coming from a former Mormon. So... Good question. Is that what you will, Mark. 
Yeah, well, I can't speak for Tripoli, even though I do work for him. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Sam talks about this a lot, the whole Tibetan Book of the Dead and how you're, you know, you, you choose your life based on your parents' uh, fuck position and how they have sex to uh, basically <laughs> conceive you. You're kind of like hanging out looking uh, above so if, if sam tripoli's logic is correct then no i don't think sam tripoli could have been born again if he's still alive right now so no to your question bud joe to answer your question before i was gonna i was gonna say real quick because i was yeah. raised catholic you know i i kind of had this similar thing going on uh and still to this day i mean the name of the show my family thinks i'm crazy is is what it is because uh a lot of my my family does kind of fall back on some things that they've, I think, been indoctrinated into. And my point being is like the Christianity mindset, we'll call it for this conversation, it bleeds into other things. Is You're seeing it today in the mainstream. You know, this submission to authority is very psychologically prevalent throughout this sort of religion. It's they're reinforcing a certain mindset. And I think if you look at history and stages, it seems like there is a group of people that are sort of using religion to prepare people to be in a certain mindset, which will facilitate a certain sort of reality that this small group of people want. Paranoid thoughts, but go ahead, Micah. Sorry. So, Joe, to answer your question before, as far as as far as hell goes. So hell's supposed to be a flaming inferno, right? That's the word they use, inferno. That's what they say. Right? Let me ask you a question. How do human beings sense pain? Nerves. Nerve endings and their skin and their nerve endings go to the central nervous system, which travels up into the base of the brain, right? I know what you're getting at here. Hell is frozen over. Right. You heard that, right? No, I, I've heard that before, and it makes a lot of sense. But why did they, why does the Bible refer to it as a lake of fire? Is what I because guess because what I they do is that. because what you what they always do, okay, is they invert the meaning and you pervert it. They did it to the swastika. They did it to yep. this. They did it to that. They always invert the meaning and pervert it. That's the name of the game. You take the symbol away from people. Okay, so when you die and you have no nerve endings and you have no brain, if you're a soul, if you believe in a soul. How are you going to burn? <laughs> Just doesn't make sense. It's metaphysical, man. Well, it's spiritual. You know? Dude, Micah, to your credit, this this is how well these thing, these kind of ideas stick with me, especially when it's something that I've grown up already thinking about and kind of do it subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I was at work the other day <laughs> and I was being a dick to a coworker on purpose, mm -hmm. like I do. And he said, you're going to hell. And the first thing out of my mouth was I said, that's fine. I like cold weather anyway. And it was all because of one of the episodes that you did where you were talking about it's actually a, a, a winter. And, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, the first thing I thought of was I was like, isn't that funny, though, that we have a phrase called I'll do that when hell freezes over. Think about yeah. it. Dante Alighieri. OK. In the Divine Comedy. In Dante's Divine Comedy, Inferno. OK. Satan is at the bottom level of hell. And hold on a sec. Let me see. Let me see if I can find frozen lake. I'm frozen. Yeah, it's a frozen lake, isn't it? Yeah, he's got on. three faces and he's frozen to his head. 
Yeah. But that's the funny thing is that most people don't know, but one thing in the Bible you're not going to find is Satan being in hell. He's uh, It's always the worm or Abador or somebody. Even Paul says he's the uh, principality of the air. And he is, you know, in the book of uh, Job, he's flying through the air. Satan was originally probably uh, some sort of sky angel. Right. So let me share this with you guys real quick. I guess in Revelation, he does get thrown in the lake of fire, but he's not there, you know, running the show. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at this picture... If it'll F and load. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, <laughs> okay, here we go. I got it. Finally. I enjoyed so, that. So check this out, guys. You see that? That's no. Satan in the leak. This this is Dante. Oh, okay. okay this is Inferno. Satan is in a frozen lake. Snow is everywhere. Hold on. Play that, play that clip, uh, sound clip again, because that's it kind of looks like what his expression is right now. Wait. Just kind of chilling with Please his hold. hands under his chin. Right. That one? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. All right, Caption that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what it basically is. And then the reason it's this way is because he's frozen up to here. Okay, his wings flap so hard, okay, that it's freezing over new layers of melted ice. So hell is actually frozen. Hell is on earth and it's frozen. Okay, you cannot have a hell, which is a flaming inferno, where you're, Ben, stop it, you're distracting me. I mean, uh, Joe. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Does, um, does this possibly eyebrow. come from the Helsinki connection? Have you guys heard anything uh, about that and how like the the name Hell comes from Helsinki, Finland, and and the sort of more? I just heard that the other day. Yeah, it's crazy. The, it was H E L or something. The, the Norse saga of uh, the creation story. They call Helsinki the center of the earth, and you know as things happen. With inversion, like you're saying, you know, maybe this uh, pagan enemy, much like people speak about the Tartars, this pagan enemy gets demonized and the word for their capital city becomes this synonymous with the concept of hell. I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, names give hints to that sort of thing. If we're going to follow that logic, then Helsinki and hell are pretty damn spot on. And it's very cold there, for those who've never been to Finland. It's very cold. <laughs> Micah, continue. No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, what do you think about that? What do you think about what Mark just said? I've never heard of that before, honestly. I'm like rushing to look things up right now, but I got I to gotta do that afterwards. Oh, uh, yeah. What Sorry, I just thought I'd throw it out there. It came, it came what about Hell, Michigan? Desk. Is that an actual place? Yeah, Hell, Michigan. Oh, I thought that was called Detroit. (laughs) (laughs) Very close. close. That is actually Hell. (laughs) 
Well, anybody got any wrapping up comments here? Ben's got to go to bed. He's got work tomorrow, like usual. I do too, actually, but, you know, whatever. Miguel, any closing thoughts? No, good discussion. You know, it's 8.30. What time do you go to bed? What are you, four? <laughs> no, but I do have to get up at 4.30. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Mike are the night owls over here on the East Coast. All right, it's 11.30. Actually, Miguel too, right? Aren't you st- just no central time? All right. Just so you guys know, like maybe a month, a month and a half ago, Mark actually came down to visit me in Long yeah, Island. I've, I had a met. Nice, he, he brought his girlfriend and I was there with my brother. We had a nice long conversation. And then Barely um, got a I, word stood up, I, I stood up <laughs> to take a picture with him. And then he stood and basically stepped over me. I saw uh, that it picture. Was, it's it was crazy. Really, I, didn't, I had no idea. Yeah. How tall are you, Mark? very like seven tall. feet it was it was seven. it was a pleasure to meet you micah and your it was brother. great i had your a brother you gotta get you gotta get micah's brother on the show his brother knows a lot uh about this stuff he likes well. talking about like the anunnaki and, yeah. and sumerians and things of yeah. that nature yeah I, oh I'm shit six, eight, by the way holy you're you six, really eight? could step over us yeah, yeah. he's six, a lanky eight. motherfucker <laughs> he could step over me for sure i'm five five <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys. Well, let's give our plugs in before we get out of here and we'll let you all go to bed. Micah. Twitter at Real Mr. Dank. Facebook and Instagram at Micah Dank. I have a six book series, Into the Rabbit Hole, where I go over this kind of astrotheology and fringe science and conspiracies and things of that nature. It's called Into the Rabbit Hole by Micah Dank. It's a six book series. The first one is Beneath the Veil. And you guys have to buy the last set, by the way. I know. I'm gonna. Calm down, buddy. <laughs> Just saying. So yeah, I've got um, I got that, and that's that's basically it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hell yeah! And uh, Miguel, where can we find you and your wonderful voice? Yeah, thegodabovegod.com. And yeah, if you want to hear my voice, then yeah, that's where the AM Biognostic Radio Podcast is. All my other social media, email lists, videos, articles, books, all there. So go take a look. Hell yeah. He actually has the voice of a god. Mark, where can we find you? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on on the show here. And Miguel just came out with a new book. I don't know if this was just for your patrons only, but I got a, a copy of it just before the show. It's for everybody. Tell us about it. Plug that while while you have. Yeah, a it's just it's, it's something that came over me. It's called Ten Snackable Meditations. It's more, and it's short, quick meditations from different traditions that can transform your head in minutes. You know, you're having a shitty day. You can't get to the gym. You can't get to your yoga class, or you're out of weed, whatever it is, and you're like, I'm trapped at work or at the airport gate. I need this Sufi meditation or this, you know, this Gurdjieff trick to use. So it's something I put out because obviously part of what I like to do is try to create content that helps people, especially since 2020 was our apocalypse and this apocalypse continues. Miguel, do you do, awesome. uh, do, you do voiceover work? How much would you charge if I just... <laughs> Want your double over sexual healing by Marvin Gaye? What? 
I can't beat Marvin Gaye. Why would you want me to beat Marvin Gaye? He's awesome. Yeah. Your books and, need to be uh, audio. You're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. But uh, yeah, thank you uh, for for plugging that, Miguel, and thank you for sending that to me. But if folks want to hear my show which Miguel and Micah have both been guests on. It's my family thinks I'm crazy. And I just started a new podcast with Michael Wan. Speaking of the apocalypse, it's called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. And Michael Wan and I just sort of uh, chat about the week and, and make some really cool connections to some synchro mystic knowledge and history. And you know, if you know Mike's work, then you know it's going to be interesting. So check that out. It's on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast you can also find it on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast so check that out fuck yeah we're, we're actually having michael on in a couple weeks i think maybe yeah, a month i'm not sure good. but we booked him up he's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one so everyone stay tuned for that uh, uh also check out altmediaunited.com are we yes. all members of that miguel yes. are you on yeah even mike I is am. actually I... on alt media united too he, he doesn't nice. have a podcast but he's been on so many podcasts that you can find all of his podcasts uh, i have appearances. at least 170 podcasts listed and the links are right there you can just click on the topic and it's crazy yeah i i i've been trying to plug that more lately altmediaunited.com it's right, all your on. favorite podcasts if you're listening to us you know every single podcast on that list so check it out cool all right, you guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks to the live viewers and all of your various comments. Sorry, I couldn't get to all of them. But thanks for having an open mind. We appreciate everybody. Have a great night. Good night, guys. We have... Mr. Mark Steves, as you can tell, he's having some computer problems. He's transitioning. He's transitioning, yeah. He's trans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we call that trans screening. <laughs> yeah. That's transphobic. We're trans screening friendly here, so you're... I don't, totally I don't give a fuck -ick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck-itis. <laughs> so, Mark, how did you get involved... In hello, this whole, hello. can you hear me? I'm here. What's we up? can. Pleasure to be here. How did you? How did you get in this in general in the conspiracy thing? But how did you get in with Sam fucking Tripoli and end up working for him? Because I want that job. It seems cool. Oh no! What is this? A, a resume? You got a better resume than me? You want to present? <laughs> no, not at all. I just want to know how that. How do you? How did you guys hook up? Like, how did you meet? Did you meet him first, or did he hit you up to work for him, or how did that work? Well, I'm glad you bring this up because I think you know that might be a good intro to everything we're going to talk about today. At least what I had in mind. You know, it can go any way you guys like, but. I really think that my life up until this point has been uh, a series of synchronicities, right? And if anyone's unfamiliar with what that means exactly, we can go into that. But what that means for how I met Sam Tripoli is like, I spent a lot of time searching for the truth in my life. And eventually I found podcasting. And then eventually I found Tinfoil Hat. And naturally, I became a huge fan. I started listening. And one thing led to another after listening probably for 
couple hundred episodes, you know, as they were released every week, I decided like, I got to go see, you know, Tim Fall Hat live, you know, Sam was coming to New York City. I don't live too far from New York City. So I took like the hour drive down there and, and my sister actually lives in the city. So I was able to stay at her place that night. And, you know, it was just coincidence that it happened this way, but I had this book that I really wanted to give him and I had an opportunity to give it to him after the show he invited everybody to go to the creek in the cave which for those who are comedy fans the creek in the cave is like where a couple podcasts do their live podcasts and it's it's kind of like a, it was a known comedy club in Long Island City uh Brooklyn I believe uh, or, or Queens and you know so it, it, it's not open anymore because of COVID but so we, we meet there, Eddie Bravo's there, Sam Tripoli's there, and I have this bag that I made out of an EMF-proof fabric, right, that I learned about through Matt Landman, and I have this book, The Kybalian, right? For those who can't understand my East Coast accent, that's spelled K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N, The Kybalian, right? And it's allegedly written by three initiates, right? That's what they call themselves. The authors uh, call themselves the three initiates. And what the book describes is the seven hermetic laws, right? And I, as a listener of Tim Paul Hat, really felt like Sam needed to know about this stuff because this was before Zero. This was before a spiritual podcast. And I think like there was a lot of dark topics that they would talk about and you would feel this sense of like doom, you know, and then you notice around 2019, Sam started talking to people that were a little more spiritual, a little more enlightened. His show started getting bigger. He started getting more guests. And I think there was a transition and I just, you know, coincidentally happened to be there, gave him the book, whatever. I didn't really think much of it that night because it didn't seem like, you know, I didn't feel like I was anybody special. I'm like, this is, I'm just happy he got the book. You know, I didn't expect anything from it. You know, it's not like my resume was hidden inside the book or something like that, you know, cause I actually never really had a job like the one I do for Sam. So one thing led to another and being a Patreon subscriber for his show, I was able to like message him through that and be like, Hey, I gave you the book. Did you read it? You know? And then he was like, yeah, let me have you on the show, you know, talk about it. Cause he was also really interested in the bag that I gave him the EMF proof bag. It's, it's basically, you know, a type of fabric that's weaved with either silver or copper sometimes and what it does is it prevents like your cell phone from emitting a signal through that fabric so me personally i use it in my coat pocket so that i can keep my phone in between you know so there's a barrier in between me and my my phone and my coat i think that you know has possibly a a beneficial effect on my health considering some of the studies that have been done on cell phones but yeah, so the one thing led to another. I go on his show, I come back on his show again on the Patreon. I come back on his show again. And funny enough, one of the Patreon shows I did with him ended up being released on his YouTube outside of his Patreon, you know, because normally people will just unlist the YouTube video and then throw it on their Patreon. But this time he, he made it public. So I was like, oh, no, like everybody (laughs) sees this episode, Skull and Bones, Mark Steves, like I'm some kind of expert on Skull and Bones. Really, I just live 
close to where that all happens. And I do have like a personal story I can share with you later on where I kind of interacted with them in some way. And that's kind of what I talked about with Sam on that show. But yeah, so then, like I said, one thing led to another. And as Sam's transitioning to this more spiritual perspective, I did a show with him where I tried to explain synchronicity, right? Because I did this thing called the bowl meditation, B-O-W-L. And my co-host on my show, my family thinks I'm crazy. He and I worked at a farmer's market and this really miraculous thing happened. Uh, $1,800 worth of gold fell on our table at our farmer's market stand and we were just selling bread, you know, and you're, you're looking at me like, holy shit, you know, like, and me and him were like, whoa, like 1800, you know, like, we didn't know how much it was worth then. But like when we found the piece of gold, I'm like, whose is this? And how did it get here? And the wealthy part of the state, right, where we were working at this farmer's market. But after waiting a couple of weeks to see if anyone would come back for it, because obviously it was like jewelry, too. It was like on a necklace. It was like a bank gold piece kind of thing you know and then the one thing led to another three weeks goes by nobody comes back for it and it dawned on me i'm like i did this meditation i did this bowl meditation and i didn't really know what to meditate for because there's like a manifestation thing that i learned about on the higher side chats this old episode i was listening to while i was driving and i just did the meditation in that moment i paused the podcast i did the meditation i forgot about it and in the meditation you imagine something falling into the bowl and you imagine the bowl being like right here above your spine in this kind of place where your skull is kind of like a bowl, right? So you imagine that. And I just imagine coins because that associates with like wealth and earthly fortune, right? A tarot card uh, for coins and so on. And one thing led to another, and this circumstance with the gold coin appears. And I didn't really think about that in the moment, but afterwards I'm like, oh, wow, maybe those two points connect. And I explained that to Jay, and Jay's not really into all this stuff like I am. So he's like, what kind of black magic are you doing? You're like (laughs) summoning gold. I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not summoning gold. My point is like, when I was in that moment of the gold falling on the table, the thought game across my mind, like I can keep this in my pocket and never tell Jay about this, or I can split it with him and tell him about it, you know, or, you know, also the possibility of giving it back to whoever owned it. Cause I know Jay's the type of person who's like, no, we have to return it, you know? So those two things were in my mind. And I'm, despite that, I'm like, no, I should tell Jay about that. I made the right decision. And because nobody came back and claimed it, him and I were able to split it 50-50 and benefit from it. And I ultimately think that that was like the karmic debt, like that basically was alleviated there. Like by making that decision to share it with Jay, it came into my life, you know, and if maybe I tried to hide it, who knows, maybe somebody would have came back the next day and been, or the next weekend and been like, you know, Hey, give me my gold back, you know? So I really do believe in like the synchronicity and the coincidence stacking up far too great to be weighed into chance, you know, like it's not just chance and circumstance that these things happen. I think our minds, our consciousness, our 
really connected to the world around us in a really amazing way. And that gold proved it to me. I talked about this with Sam and then he asked me to be the booker for his new show, Zeros, the spirituality podcast. Cause he was asking me, he's like, you know, who should I have on the show? So I sent him a bunch of people like boom, 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 paragraph with each name and everything. Like it looked very professional. And I only was able to do that because I listened to so many podcasts, you know, and I, I have recall for all this stuff. And so, yeah, one thing led to another and he was really impressed with the first couple of people I had booked for him. And, and now I'm helping him book a couple of his podcasts, including Tim Paul Hat. So, yeah, it's, you know, I'm really fortunate, but it's also a thing where like I made this decision to be in the position to spread truth for the greater good, not out of my own ego or my own free will. It's really about the ultimate will, the higher will of, of us as a, as a collective humanity. You know, I think that's what I've been allowed to do by connecting Sam with certain people that he might not have been able to have a conversation with without me as the conduit. You know, that's kind of really the essence of my job. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer that question because I feel like you know, it is interesting and it does kind of bring us into the topic of synchronicity in a way, but I'll yeah, that's there. awesome. Do you, do you think it would have gone differently if you had, uh, <laughs> like the guy had come back for his gold and you didn't give it to him and maybe you end up working for like Alex or Anderson Cooper or something like that, <laughs> you know, the, the most hellish thing you could think of. Yeah, I mean, it was never on my mind to be in this type of like media, entertainment, podcasting, anything like I liked having my own podcast. I had like a small podcast that I did for fun called The Bud Triangle, but it really didn't wonder what that was about. Be anything cool. And then when I started working for si- <laughs> smoking pot, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know started working for Sam I he was like you gotta you gotta change that name you gotta really make your own podcast you know he's a very motivational guy he really tries to support everybody he talks to as much as he can with the little time he has to give everybody and and yeah he kind of inspired me to like make my own podcast and then the name my family thinks I'm crazy kind of came to me in a funny way and like I was just just gonna ask you about that actually really yeah, it was, you know, it's real. It's really true. I mean, my family kind of isn't down with a lot of the things that I believe in and like to the point where it's like speaking different languages sometimes. So I've given up to some degree because I also think like it's important to let people find truth in their own way. And I don't ever want to push anything on anybody because I think that if anything, just turns people away more than anything. So, yeah. you know, I, I just... I do genuinely feel sometimes like my family thinks I'm crazy. And this summer when I told them like in excitement, pure excitement, like I got a job working for Sam Tripoli, like all this great stuff's happening. And they were kind of like, who's Sam Tripoli, you know? (laughs) So that's when I was like, Oh, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like that's, you know, so (laughs) that's how that kind of came together. And I have Sam to thank because he's such a big inspiration to me and so many people. Like he really, really is and he's helped me kind of have the financial opportunity to kind of build my own podcast by having like this freelance job where I'm able to do this and other part-time jobs and and now as you guys know I've built this podcast 
cooperative that you guys are a part of. I'm happy to have you guys on our website. I don't know if you've checked out the page I built for you guys yet. But, Just uh, did last but, night yeah, after you, after you mentioned it on a. Uh... Feel like. On Alex's show, we checked it out, and it looks slick, man. I actually sent them both links because yeah, I'm awesome. like, wow, this looks professional. Is uh, Tony helping you with that With uh, from the confessionals? I saw something. I don't know what made me think that, but did Tony help? Oh, hang on. He's... Let me admit you on this other side here. Oh, he's transitioning? I'm transitioning. Here's the transition. <laughs> I think there's a delay. Tony too, is a part so of it. it helps. Yeah. Yeah, I think this will alleviate the delay. And I'm sorry for the listeners if I've been coming in choppy at all. I mean, you know. No, actually, is... the audio is sounding fine. You you froze up a little bit with a funny fucking look on your face. Our but... listeners don't <laughs> give a shit. Don't worry. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, that's so weird to see two of you. Okay. Oh, I yeah, there was a delay on that better. side. <laughs> yeah. How about now? Nice. Yeah, that sounds a lot better. Is this way better? Yeah, I think there's less of a delay, too. I hope there's less of a delay. I didn't realize you were on the East Coast. Where are you at? Yeah, I I live in uh, Connecticut, actually. That's like, like I said, I I met Sam in in New York City that time. Yeah, but it's nice to see you guys now because on that other, on the tablet, I couldn't see you guys. But Oh, Oh, shit. Are we on on Rockfin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not hell, not I live. I, I, I'm not ready for live yet. I, I got to figure out a bunch of shit first. So I, I'm going to leave it to post-production and then move to live videos. So I'll let you know if we go live. It's a work in progress. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Let me, let me stop my, my video for a second so we can catch up here. But yeah. So um, where were we? I mean, a lot of, a lot of things, I think building up to this whole topic of synchronicity, but you know, one of the things maybe we can, unless you have a question before I ramble into another. No, go for it. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, when I was, when I was young, I was growing up with this kind of curiosity, imagination, kind of really, I had the freedom to kind of be in that state of mind a lot. And I'm grateful for that. But one thing that happened is like, I became very disillusioned with the state of things and the way society tells us and the narrative we're given, you know, tells us what we are, why we're here, who we are, those kind of questions, you know? So it's always been on my mind to go into this type of stuff, but it wasn't until I first smoked weed that I had this kind of perspective shift. It was almost like the slate was wiped clean and I was able to look at the world with new eyes. And, and I feel like I, I rejected spirituality for the larger part of my younger life. And then as I began to really realize what was happening to me when I was smoking weed, I I was connecting with my higher self. And some people who are more scientific might be like, oh, well, you're delusional, you're high, you know, but I I think that the fact that we have an endocannabinoid system in our body, you know, just hints at the fact that like, there's a reason why cannabis has this great effect on us. And it, and I think there's a reason why it's also associated with spirituality throughout time. I mean, I had Chris Bennett on my podcast who talked about how religions throughout history have used cannabis and other psychedelics. And so long story short, I think cannabis was definitely uh, pivotal to this for me. But another thing that was very interesting was when I was in 
college. I was studying anthropology. It was community college around the same campus as Yale University, right? So I go down to the green. It's kind of in the center of New Haven, which is not a big city by any means, but it's a pretty populated city. A lot of people live there. And the green was very like tumultuous. It was right after the Occupy Wall Street Thing just happened so there was a lot of people like living on the green like the year before I got there for school so there was this kind of radical energy in the air on the green and I was just enjoying like my time in between classes by going there and rolling up a joint or a blunt and smoking and one day I have a Sitting Bull t-shirt on right it's a picture of Sitting Bull on my t-shirt I probably got it from the mall or something and this guy walks up to me, his name is Amos, right? And he introduces himself and he says he likes my shirt because he's Native American, you know, and he introduces himself. He's from Southwest United States, like Arizona area. And we get to talking and one thing led to another and we start like, you know, he sells me like a little nickel bag here and there and we smoke together, you know, I'm like, I can expect to see him at that park. So I build this kind of friendship with him, you know, just at the park, you know, didn't really go outside of that for the first couple of weeks I knew him, but he starts telling me like why he moved to New Haven. And he's like, yeah, man, I, you know, I really had to pay some retribution because I wronged my tribe. I wronged my family. I dishonored my family and my past life in Arizona, you know, where I was. So I came to New Haven and he said he came to New Haven because Skull and Bones had robbed the grave of one of his ancestors, Geronimo, right? One of the fiercest warriors in Native American history. I mean, historically, someone who never gave up, you know. That, very that's not a grave you want to rob, yeah. Yeah, well, a guy named Prescott Bush, the grandfather of George H or uh, George W. Bush, the father of George H. W. Bush, was actually one of the guys who did that, was a part of that. So, yeah, this happened and um, his grave was robbed. His skull and femur bones were taken to New Haven. And after multiple times of different tribes coming to Yale to partition to get their remains back from their family member, their tribe member, their ancestor, Yale, you know, over and over rejects their attempts. And even once, I think before World War One, maybe World War World War Two era, this tribe came and they gave them a child's skull and a child's skeleton bones and thought that that would pass as like, you know, oh yeah, just take this and leave. You guys don't know what his skull looks like anyways, kind of thing. Like they knew it wasn't the right remains. So, you know, Yale's had a history of this kind of really weird stuff and that brought it to me in a firsthand way, you know, like it's one thing to find this in a meme. It's one thing to read it in a book, but like to have Amos there teaching me things about native American culture and like also telling me this like very visceral reason for him to take this journey here. You know, it, it just, it, it really inspired everything I've done since. And, and I've made the commitment to myself to kind of be 
on the side of the greater good and spreading truth and looking for the truth. And I think that's kind of where the synchronicities line up. It's like when you put yourself in the position to give back to the universe, the universe gives to you. And some people interpret that as the creator. Some people interpret that as God, you know, but I think the universe being kind of this all encompassing word for everything, that's just something I like to use so I don't offend anyone, but you know, I, I think, you know, it's the creator is, is what Amos talked to me about because that's what native Americans generally believe is that we were created. And I think a lot of indigenous cultures believe that around the world that, that we're, you know, the product of a creator. And I think even when you look into consciousness and everything we've learned with the, studies that Rupert Sheldrake has done and others like him consciousness I think really came first and is the key to this whole human mystery you know so yeah I do have a question for you so what was it that did Amos end up telling you what he had done to wrong the tribe it wasn't anything against the tribe it was something that led him to go to prison maybe like selling drugs or because he was like a biker type dude and you know, like just kind of like in that group and, and just going to prison was like something that he felt was one of their know. like breaking one of their tenants. Like if you go to jail, you're doing something. Yeah, it, just in general, like dishonor, you know, he felt yeah. like he had been dishonorable. And I, you know, I think he personally would be able to elaborate on that way more than I ever right. could, because this was uh, several years ago since I've seen him. I saw him a couple years after we had had that kind of time of, of getting to know each other and him teaching me, you know, a lot of things really more than just the skull and bone stuff. I mean, at that point in my life, I was looking for some kind of guidance in the spiritual realm. And he offered that, you know, he taught me some things that really have stuck with me and not in like a, you know, end all be all I'm the truth kind of way, but in a very like Yoda kind of like, this is the path now, get to it and leave me alone kind of way like you know and, and that was great that's what I needed and I credit him a lot I'm sure people have listened to me on other podcasts that are probably like yeah we heard this story before but you know I think the synchronicity is what's the key line through it so maybe we could talk about that like what are your guys's thoughts on on synchronicity have you experienced synchronicity with your podcast and, and creating this podcast definitely it's been For one sure. synchronistic thing but we were just talking about that actually before we started so there's a synchronicity <laughs> we're just talking about it uh dogecoin has gone way up and i know you don't like current events and shit but it was just it's weird right. she, she bought like what i opened a robin hood account yeah just tell the whole story so i opened a robin hood account just yeah. for fun and my goal was to buy a shitty low-priced um, cryptocurrency. I was like, oh, I want to buy the shittiest cryptocurrency ever, like, on Earth. And so I opened it up, and it, I, I just Googled crypto on Robinhood, and it was like, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the third one was Doge, just D-O-G-E. And I was like, what the fuck is that? But it was .008 cents. So I was like, oh, cool, this is shitty. I'll buy this shitty thing. And it was the exact same day that the influencers went on Reddit and were like, let's get Doge to a dollar or whatever the fuck they were doing. And I have $1,000 now. Like, I invested 100 bucks, and I was just like, I'll put 100 bucks in there, whatever. And it's at, a, like, 1150 right now. Like, it's insane. Yeah. 
but it was just a I random heard it went like from like one cent to 20 cents right so you probably so when made i pretty big. when i bought it it was less than a cent it was a fraction of a cent it was 0. 0.008 when i bought it so i bought like wow. almost four thousand shares because i could it was just like oh here you go whatever and then now it's 25 cents so that's a pretty big difference. It was like an eight hundred and fifty-eight percent return. So it was well, I'll tell awesome. you what I've I've listened to Sam's uh, Cash Daddy's podcast, and I know his advice would be sit on it, don't spend it, sit on it. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah, doing. You know? That's all I've done. I've actually set it went up on Super Bowl. It went up because the influencers keep saying like, and then Elon Musk's tweeting whatever. So I just sat on it. It went up to four hundred. Went back down to two hundred. And then Monday, I think it's been at about $200 total in my account. I don't know what the values were day to day, but throughout the week, it went, my account went from $300 to $1,100 just today. And I was like, huh, okay. And it was so random. It was the same day that that happened on Reddit, <laughs> but like hours before. And I had no idea. It was so ignorant. People are like, oh, you bought Doge. That's so ignorant. It's just because of Reddit. And I was like, no, I'm even more ignorant than that. I didn't even know about the Reddit thing. Less than ignorant. Well, it would be more, so. more synchronistic if it goes up to a thousand bucks per coin, because <laughs> yeah. that'll be fucking we awesome. We met on a synchronicity, too. I feel like our just our whole meeting. We met on a video game randomly that we both happened to play briefly and then happened to meet, fall in love, and get married within like six months. <laughs> and this was a game that I am adamantly against playing that yeah, kind of a game like, like i fucking hate it and it. i actually blame ben for that because he set me up with that game so he's actually the cause of all of this the podcast and everything <laughs> so thank you ben. ben's the conduit wow all right i see yeah, actually, how it works. ben true. just sits back and orchestrates like with his oh yeah he's the puppet master for <laughs> yeah. sure i met ben first that's how i met joe <laughs> I on a video shit. game but yeah it was funny i actually told ben when i first met ben on the video game he was so, like, Nazi about rules on the game. And I was like, dude, fucking chill out. It's a fucking video game. <laughs> and I was like, and we'd, like, bicker back and forth. And I was it's like, so true. dude, you're like the little brother I never had. I just want to put on a fucking, put you in a dress and just kick you around like like the big sister that's an asshole. And now he is my little brother-in-law. So it's super weird. Because I said that to him, like, be before I even met Joe. Well, and yeah. the funny part is, too, is that it's not like that would actually be anything I haven't already experienced with older sisters. But when 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 she was first coming out a couple of months after they had met and stuff online, she was going to come visit. And she asked Joe something about me being a Bible thumper. And Joe's, Joe, Joe brings it up to me later. He goes, he goes, she asked if you were a Bible thumper. And I was all, what? He goes. Yeah, I told her she was fucking crazy. Like, he's not a Bible thumper at all. And why did she think that? He goes, because you were, like, all about, like, discipline in like, the game that we were playing. And, like, thou the shalt rules donate and, like, follow the rules. Every time. Like, yeah, <laughs> you like, like, and I was all, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> that is fair. I don't fuck around. But at the same time, I'm like, no, you can do whatever you want. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but, yeah, as far as the uh, synchros for the this show, there's been... Plenty of them. Just the way that we got hooked up with some of the people. It's kind of the same as you. Like, yeah. I didn't meet Sam Tripoli in person or anything, obviously. I met him once on Union of the Unwanted and didn't really actually get to, like, say hi or anything. But as far as he everyone said, else, as like... He was very, very nice. He, like, noticed that we were, like, hanging back and super intimidated. And he, like, <laughs> private messaged us. He's like, do you guys want to talk? <laughs> he was so nice. I was like, yeah, there's, like, so 50,000 people on the screen. Yeah, but, yeah we'll like, talk. No, you guys are... You talk. It's all good. <laughs> but uh, the way that we, the way I actually got into it too, was that a uh, dangerous world followed me on Instagram 
And I was like, who the fuck is this? And then I actually checked out their podcast and was like, oh, this is awesome. This is in the same vein of everything else I listen to. And then I messaged him a couple times about different things. And then he was on our first episode, uh, Ryan was. And then it just went from there because that we were talking just the other day about the cross-pollination of these shows and how you have one guy on, he knows somebody else. And then we have somebody else on, they know everybody else. And all of a sudden we're in one big alt media united community. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. There it is. Way to sum it up. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the cool thing about Sam is like he really is unknowingly the huge inspiration for what I'm doing with the cooperative. Like he knows very little of it because he's just so busy that, you know, my job for him as a booker is like a booker. Like we don't we don't like buddy buddy and talk around as much as you think just because I know him. You know what I mean? He's such a busy guy. So when I oh, do yeah. talk to him, it's mostly on, you know work right so but he's an inspiration because he is so supportive like you guys said you know he was messaging you making sure you felt like you could chime in which by all means you know the union of the unwanted is kind of bunch of people at once so yeah you got to get your foot in the door so to speak but i think i think that's like why i started this cooperative is because the union of the unwanted and sam tripoli like they can only go so far and there's so much that we can do as podcasters to make uh, a difference in other people's lives and one of the most important things is making sure that you're as a podcast able to put your podcast out in as many places as you can not be you know liable to get all your stuff wiped off the face of the earth you know overnight so like things like backing up your content things like redistributing you on all of the different platforms and keeping you in this network of people which is ultimately supportive like you mentioned tony before tony's one of the other podcasts you know on the network i built the whole website you know, myself really, but Tony, you know, something that he wants to do is produce people's podcasts in some way, you know, I don't know how publicly he wants that known, but I, I'm sure he won't care that I'm saying this. But well, I like, know he produces he, uh, he, Charlie's podcast. I was yeah. amazed to know, I didn't find that, uh, Charlie was on like four times before I even found that out. And I'm like, oh, I, did, I thought you did it yourself. Tony does it. That's crazy. He's busy too. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the cool thing about this is like we all have different skills we can offer people. And like I think Tony would rather like get paid from like a cool podcast that actually listens to his podcast rather than just like open himself up on Fiverr to anybody who wants his producing skills, you know, like so that's kind of where I want to be with the cooperative is like being able to put everybody together and, and be that supportive network that like Sam champions all the time like he's so busy that he can't do it himself but every promise he makes like he comes through you know he's a genuine dude like when he tells you he wants you on his show like i get you on his show you know what i mean like he's you know like that's how it works and i think that's what's really cool about sam and that's why i have a, the privilege of I'm really grateful that I have the privilege of working for him because he makes my job so easy by being as kind and as as outgoing as he is, you know. So yeah. enough about enough about all that. I mean, the synchronicities <laughs> are yeah, a huge part of it, you know, because that lets you know that you're you're on the right path. I think when you start noticing the synchronicities, I think it's the universe kind of letting you know you're doing the right thing. And 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 even when you're having moments of like your lows you know like even in those low moments there are signs that can 
bring you back up because for as low as you go you can go as equally back up you know what i mean that's like, what i mean most perfect you know most of the synchronicities that happen are things that are so super personal that it doesn't mean a lot to anybody else except you like I, i've told jen before there's so many times during the day when i'll be listening to a show kind of half-assed you know just listening to Sam's show or anybody else's and I'll be thinking about something totally different because I'm at work and have a certain phrase or a couple words that go through my head. And then in a second later, they say it in my ear. It's bizarre. I couldn't tell you how many times that happens during the day. I don't know what the fuck that means. It's just weird. I think it's hard too no. because I think when, as people were taught that things like synchronicities are crazy, they're not real. Coincidences. They're, yeah, it's just pseudoscience. It's not something normal. So people don't pay attention to them typically. And I think in paying attention to them, you notice them a lot more. And I think it's really, really helpful as far as like progressing down the path you're supposed to be on. But I think a lot of people just aren't paying attention. Actually, I was just about to say that exact thing because that's exactly how I am. Um, <laughs> I will literally go throughout my life and I will think something. And then, I don't know, maybe later on that day... Like Joe said, a couple seconds later, uh, something will pop, something will come in front of me that basically correlates exactly what I was just thinking of. And I'm like, huh, no fucking way. All right, I'll have to go get ice cream. Uh, on like, with I, the I, day. I, I never fucking, I never give a shit about that stuff, usually. And that, that's not because I don't think that I shouldn't. It's just because that's not how I'm wired. I don't, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff ever. Like, I, I look at everything and I'm like, okay, that was a really we'll even use the terminology that was a really cool synchronicity now what oh it's just that okay and that, I'm gonna that was the... that's what i mean by it's so super personal and you don't really know what to make of it you're just like that's weird and when then then you when you notice it then it keeps happening and you're like what are you trying to tell me there universe great spirit god creator explain things to people and then your family thinks you're crazy right that's why i don't say anything here's one that did jog me and this is what i was texting to joe the other day was I had had this really vivid dream, and I don't typically dream very much, and when I do, it's one of those, I woke up and went, ah, fuck, I just lost it. So <laughs> I had woken dreams. up, and I, I could vividly remember this scenario, and I had just been listening to a YouTube video that had to do with this the night before. And so usually current things that are going through my brain don't influence my dream that much. And I've even like tried to dig deep and be like, well, did it influence it? And maybe it's just masking itself in its presentation. And so I'll try to like kind of dig deeper on it. And usually it just doesn't. Like I know a lot of people that the second they start a new job, within three nights, they're dreaming about that job and like how they're stressed out at work and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't do that at all. Like I'll start a new job. And when I clock out, I'm like, well, I don't know if I fucked up, but I guess I'll find out tomorrow. So those type of things don't usually happen with me with dreams. Well, I've been watching this video the night before. And then that night, it was this very vivid thing of like what I was worried about watching this video coming true. And I remember the next day I was telling Joe, I was like, yeah, I have this really crazy dream. And he's like, "Ooh, tell me about it. He's like, I want to he's like, I like, you know, trying to dig deep in that stuff. So I did. I texted all of it out to him. And he was like, well, you know, it could have been this. It could have been, you know, maybe a, a bigger scale of, of this, that, and the other. And I'm like, fucking maybe. I don't know. At the end of the day, I, I look at it and I'm like, that's some crazy shit. But like you said, it's super personal. I could write that in a book and everybody would be like, okay, you had a dream. 
That's why job. I always say that like a, a psychedelic trip or any, you know, or a dream, they're kind of the same thing. When you try to explain them to somebody, it's hard to get across because you could picture it in your mind, but it's more the feeling behind it, you know, or the whatever you were sensing and at the time in the dream that you can't really say to emotional. people. It's like an emotion that you're feeling. And this is, this is beautiful because I think maybe if Ben's open to it, I might have a solution for why what sounds to me like maybe a little bit of nihilism in the sense that like, well, I notice synchronicities, but what are they doing for me? Right. Cause I think you have a point there. Like a lot of people might be in that relationship with the messages they're receiving. If you want to consider the messages, but I don't well, r- really quick. I, I wouldn't consider myself nihilistic. I think I, th- I think, well, I was going to say, I, Maybe Easy just there. your take Easy. on synchronicity, uh, I meant. Just, just no, that I, one particular thing. I right, don't mean so to call you that's nihilistic what I was gonna say. overall. No, that's what I was going to say. Is I, I definitely, in the way that my brain works, I would say that I have a lot of nihilistic tendencies. I wouldn't okay. necessarily say that even the tendencies are as much of a belief, a belief system or well, something that is conjured from that as much as it is. That's kind of like just the way my brain is hardwired. I go through life just kind of having those kind of tendencies. And and let me elaborate on what I'm about to say, because maybe we can okay, sorry. Uh, loosen that up, because I, I agree with it. And I don't mean to say you're nihilistic. I really meant your take on uh, how you presented that was kind of felt nihilistic. So what naming consciousness, right? And this isn't, you know, my idea. This is something I've had the, the pleasure of learning from Michael Wan, who after being on my podcast, uh, he invited me like, you know, since I was traveling through his state to stop at his place, I stopped at his place, I stayed the night and he and I had, you know, a bunch of conversations and he did this kind of like biomancy reading is what he calls it, which is essentially like a a reading your chart and mixed with some tarot type stuff. So aside from that, I think what happens with the naming consciousness is like we, we take these words and we apply them to things that are not real and it's almost like taking water out of a river and holding it in a bowl it's still water but you've lost the force behind it you've lost the movement behind it so constantly we're taking our world around us and we're picking it up and analyzing it in this cup and it becomes less of what it was once we put a name or a word on it right so with synchronicities they almost do kind of lose their value if we find patterns where there are none i think where synchronicities really benefit us is in looking back on our lives and saying like wow like that lined up there and that lined up there so what does that teach me about how to move forward because all we have is the moment. And I think a lot of our symptoms of society are based on our relationship with time. Like we have the moment we're in. And if we're too much thinking about the future, we become anxious, right? Or if we're too much thinking about the past, we become depressed or regretful or ashamed or many of the other things that are associated with the traumas of being in this physical carnation, which is, I believe, a decision we all make to incarnate here and take on this lesson of being a human being in this third dimensional reality and also bridging that with dreams and hallucinations. I think when we dream, we we do enter into this realer version of reality that's at that higher frequency that exists 
on that spectrum of light that our eyes can't see and the spectrum of sound that our ears can't hear. And I think that when we dream, something about our subtle body enters into that realm of higher flexibility and plasticity. And I think that that's where the power of dreams comes from is because at the same time, we're existing in two worlds. So the messages of the dream world are a reflection of what's going on in the physical world, just like the physical world is a reflection of what's going on in the dream world. Yeah. Right. So I think the, the, the interesting thing about synchronicities is when you notice them, that's telling you something because in noticing them, you're engaging with an awareness of your environment that goes past the matrix of words that we've been given and taught, right? Because it's something that transcends idea. It's a feeling that's associated with the future and the present and the past simultaneously. It's almost like deja vu. Like before you feel a synchronicity, you feel a deja vu. That's kind of how I've come to think of it over the past few weeks is like maybe deja vu is just like a synchronicity before you know what a synchronicity is, you know? It's like a deja vu of a deja vu. <laughs> maybe That's an inception I mean, shit. now you're talking about like uh what's that movie with the like the little spinning top oh i never remember things like this you know inception that's what oh, it oh yeah yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah that's what i was thinking yeah, that's what so, but, yeah. so that's what exactly what i think deja vu is so i think that deja vu I think you're supposed to be on a certain path, but we can't know the path, obviously, because we might stray from it or do whatever. So I, I used to say when I was young that when you die, you get to go back and relive your life. And when there's a big change or a big event that's going to happen, you have to make a decision and you only get to know a glimpse of it because you can't know all of it because it would totally influence your decision. So you get to have a, a blip of a moment and that has to be a signal for you to know something big is coming and you have to make the right decision. And that's what I used to say when I was little. I don't it's know, like it's a, a cosmic ringtone. I've, I've tried to like, hey, adapt dumb, no. it. I've tried to adapt it now that I'm older and think, you know, I don't know if it's when you die, you get to come back and relive it, maybe. But I think we're on this path and I think there's breadcrumbs dropped for us. Like, hey, this is where you're supposed to be pay attention or don't, but it's going to be a big difference in your life depending on what you do from this moment on. Because if you think about it, deja vu is either something that definitely already happened or it's your brain making you think that something already happened, which is also equally insane. So I don't know which is weirder. I like <laughs> to think my idea is a little bit less weird. Your idea is cool. Because if your brain can just make you think that something happened that didn't, that's that's absolutely batshit crazy. So I think that it's something like a little breadcrumb dropped like, hey, something big's coming, pay attention. I think you should, first of all, aside, take that sound clip of you saying that's batshit crazy and work it into the intro of this show somehow because that was <laughs> beautiful. And then second on that whole thing, I think 
it's so interesting about this new like field of psychonautics right is you have these like two camps of people you have people who are like yeah man you're going into the ethereal and you're meeting spiritual beings and then you have this like more analytical type of person who's like well actually your brain is having a chemical reaction and like everybody sees the machine elves and the machine elves just exist in your brain because you know you grew up watching christmas movies so elves are you know some some explanation of it that exists within their paradigm right but God damn it i had an explanation for deja vu you fuck <laughs> was did it involve machine elves <laughs> no because that also sounds batshit crazy no Go the way it. the way that i heard the medical thing that i had heard and this was some time ago i couldn't quote, quote you a source on it today but was that basically from what you are seeing to when you're because let me backtrack this so you know how back in i think it was world war ii when they started it they started putting the subliminal cuts which is where that entire kind of idea of the sub subliminality and things like that of putting one frame of a subliminal cut and it would be like a popcorn and coke and they would put one of those over the top of a movie on the reel and so your mind wouldn't actually know that you saw a coke or popcorn but you would start thinking about it without you realizing visually that you saw it so the way that i heard deja vu explained was that there is a momentary lag between what your brain is processing and what your eyes are seeing. And so when you're processing it, it's actually like a fraction of a second behind what you have already seen, which just happened. And so therefore your brain is thinking like, I've seen this before, but it's actually because you just got done seeing it and it's trying to sync back up from what you saw to what your brain is processing. That's a great that explanation, the, you know, dude, that, except that wouldn't that happen constantly then? No, not all. Well, no, but, not not with the milliseconds and, that you're used to processing and seeing. Though it's obviously a larger lag than that. So it's a short but, out, like you're shorting out for a second. On a, but on a on a mechanical level, I think you know if we were to look at things physically, that may very well be true. But when you stack up the fact that there is meaning behind these moments. It transcends this kind of mere physiological trait of the human mind because it's like, well, why is it only happening when I see that red door? You know, it's like Joe said before, it's extremely personal. So we can't just quantify it by yeah. saying like, well, everybody has a synchronicity when they see a duck, you know, like it, it's dependent <laughs> on the subjective experience. Right. So like, but what you're saying though, about the Coke and the, and the suggestibility, I think what's so interesting is like, Carl Jung, which I'm sure you guys have heard of before, Jungian psychology, and he's like really a huge figure in psychoanalysis. And he was, amongst other people, in, you know, Edward Bernays being inspired by Sigmund Freud. But Carl Jung, like we talked about on our False Flag show yesterday night, he inspired this guy, Alan Dulles, you know. So there has been a lot of thought put into manipulating the human mind and making us change sure. our perception and inserting disinformation. And I certainly think that exists within the new age community, you know, that like, especially in the ufology, you know, UFO community, there's a lot of like weird ties to the deep state where you're just like, why is this, you know, who's making money off of all this? Well, stuff? and I feel like I should clear something up with that being said, because I think that was a really good segue to 
what I probably should have prefaced all this with. I am not as non-red pilled as honestly I would probably like to admit. As a result of us starting the show, and I've said it a million times, there, Joe texted me. I think it was in February and said, is there anything that you would say is different from how you see things last year to how you see things this year? And I would credit all of how I see it to what happened last year in our world, but more importantly, what followed that with our podcast. I have been, quote-unquote, red-pilled so many goddamn times on this show to things that I would never think about to where I look at it now. (laughs) You guys laugh every time I say that, you guys are assholes. Um, That every time... Every time we have somebody on, it, it's not necessarily the point that I believe every single thing that comes across legit bat's desk. It's the fact that when I hear it, I am now at a point of open-mindedly entertaining it as possible, which I was never I, I was never used to be like that. I'm very cut and dry, usually very black and white about things. Most um, people are. That's why we I laugh though, you Ben, because you were so <laughs> you were like adamant that you were like, nope, I will listen, I'll be nice. You were always nice about it. You were never a jerk. I wasn't always nice. He had the same yeah, attitude as synchronicities where he Sometimes would be like, and like... that's over now, so I'm going to forget about it. But you were like, <laughs> so... I'm not going to believe this crazy ass fucking dude. And then you'd be like, hmm, that was interesting. And that's where you'd leave it. But still, it was well, right. better. And that's the cool thing about this is like, you know, I commend you for that, Ben. And I think, you know, podcasting offers that choice to people. Like, if you don't like what you're listening to, turn it off and find something you do like. And there are so many perspectives out there to engage with that. I think ultimately, if you use enough of your own reasonability and intuition, you'll find your truth. And that might not agree with someone else's truth. But I think when it comes to like things like consciousness there's a sort of inherency to it all that well, like, we'll that's all find exactly the same right. truth. You know? That's exactly right. That's what the that's consciousness in and of itself, perfect synchronicity. We're talking about consciousness and yet that's exactly what I'm talking about with what has happened to me. That's exactly what happened is that I feel like I became a lot more conscious conscious to the world around me that was going on that I had never really delved into. I don't listen to podcasts. It's not my thing. I'm also not a person to listen to what I like to listen to. I would prefer to listen to something or talk with somebody about something that I 100% don't agree with because I like that kind of perspective shift. I want to hear something from another side that I don't think so that I can get a different perspective on it. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, you know, I'm going to latch onto it. However, in this community, I, I've been able to legitimately say that some of my core beliefs have definitely not necessarily been removed, but altered a lot. We've talked about deja vu before, more than likely, depending on your stance of what you think it is. I think that Jen had a pretty good idea on it when she said, I almost think that it's a glimpse of something very similar that happened in a previous life that maybe you're remembering in that moment. And it kind of parallels whatever it is that you're doing. And I told her, I said, I can actually kind of get on board with that because I don't know how many people I've talked to who have all said, yeah, there's been times where I've gone through deja vu. And as soon as I realize it's deja vu, I remember the ending, but then it doesn't end up happening the way that I remember. And I can remember specific phrases to the ending of a current deja vu situation, and then it doesn't happen that way. And I'm like, no, 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 I remember this happening before, and I remember this person saying that, and then it doesn't happen that way. So I think that she was onto something with the idea that it may have paralleled in a past life something that maybe you did similarly. But to me, the idea of saying fucking past life 
<laughs> blows my mind because that's not something I would ever normally even talk about. <laughs> okay. He's yeah, come a long I, way. I definitely, you know, this this is interesting because it brings up a conversation I had today with a guy who wrote a book called Pop Magic. His name's Alex Kazami. He's a pretty interesting dude. He's about my age. And he had a pretty long conversation with me earlier this afternoon. And one of the things that came up was astrology. And I told him my chart because, like I said, Michael Wan read my chart he printed it out for me and we had this great conversation about it so it was on my mind and alex brought it up and he looked at my chart and he said oh in your past life which again like you ben i'm not exactly warmed up to the idea of it i believe in reincarnation but i don't necessarily believe that someone else is going to tell me about my past life right but he tells me like oh in your past life you were a taurus you made the decision to come into this life as a Scorpio North Node because you're trying to have a uh, greater spiritual understanding. And in your past life, you had a lot of hedonism, you know, and that spoke to me so much, like on a big personal level. And I don't need to go into like my whole history, but like that's just like it really spoke to me, you know, like and I think on that level, we can use these kind of hints to help shape the direction of our future because that's what it's really all about when you align your goals with the greater good so that you're not self-driven you're whole driven right you're driven to contribute to the whole and through that you will benefit and i think that's such an important concept to believe in or, or have faith in because you know it's like when you know when i was young a really close friend of mine told me this thing. And, and like I said before, I was never really into religion. It kind of turned me off when I was younger, being raised like a Roman Catholic. But she said to me, this, this girl, Rose, who gave me the first crystal ever that I ever owned. Uh, she said, you know, she was much older than me. She was like, anytime I've ever felt like I was hungry, you know, I prayed to God. And within that week, I was in someone's house and there was a meal on a table in front of me, you know, and that stuck with me. Like the fact that like she was kind of not even like that vow of poverty, like, but like just that kind of feeling of like, I'm safe in this universe because I have faith that I'm in a supportive universe. Like the universe isn't out to get me like this is a the place we're in supports life. It's not antithetic to life. And I think when you really know that to the core and treat the world in that way that like we're being supported by this symbiosis of our biosphere and, and we can take part in that and that will benefit us right so i think, I do, well I, think I do finally kind of understand what you're talking about with the synchronicities then is if you're if you're finally looking at the world as something that works with you instead of working against you you start to start realizing and understanding and appreciating the things that support that where if you can see your universe speaking to you in that super personal way, like Joe was talking about, it kind of just adds validity to the idea that, oh, I'm no longer fighting a universe that's now out to hold me down. I am now talking with a universe or at least communicating in some way with a universe that's showing their support for what I'm trying to do. If I'm catching your drift. I love it, Ben. I mean, I think that's, you know, something that you verbalize that best suits how you understand things. And I'm glad that you have come from a place of like, not really being vibed by this. And now you're kind of vibing with it in your own way. And I don't that's fucking what the, vibe, dude. 
Well, that's the point, though, is 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 that you find, you know, something that works for you. So I'm glad I was able to facilitate this better understanding of, of synchronicity, because, yeah, that's one way to explain it for sure. I definitely think that's a good way to understand it. And, yeah, I, I'm no expert. You know, I'm, I'm 26 years old and the universe is unraveling to me the same way it does anyone else who tries to find answers. You know, I think that's what's also important. It's like I'm not special i'm just tapped into my intuition and i think everybody has that same potential you know oh yeah oh for sure I when do you turn 27 <laughs> oh god in october <laughs> yeah, oh scorpio. what day he said obviously. You you're a scorpio right <laughs> no no that's my north node my sun oh. sign is libra nice so oh my <laughs> yeah october 11th is my birthday. october 17th <laughs> okay very cool yeah we're we're in the teens of october 17 is a cool number one, one plus seven equals eight and eight is like infinity it's a number of prosperity it's yeah it's cool plus that's 17 no is q but that's a different show entirely <laughs> wait what'd you say joe i said it's 17 q. is q but that's a totally different oh, show jesus christ <laughs> is ben q <laughs> uh yeah definitely yeah. i wish the, the uh, CIA is on the way to his house right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, because with being a part of the DOD, they're, they don't know at all where I'm at. Yeah. Welcome to the year 2025, where the 17th letter of the alphabet is completely stricken from the record. I mean, if we got rid of that not, that letter, how many words would be lost? Not that many. I how mean, would you, you spell have to quit? Use a U every time. Yeah. K W I T. Who are named Quinn? Like, what the fuck? That would suck. Now you gotta you gotta re change the spelling of that shit. It's still the same amount of letters. They're like, sorry, yeah. honey, we have to change your name because Q is illegal now. Instead of Quinn, like we're going to name you something that doesn't suck. Right? Pluto's totally <laughs> well, it's like hotels so taking out a 13th floor. Like, they've literally been doing yeah. that for a long time. It's like, okay, but it's still the it's 13th floor. The 14th floor. floor is still the 13th floor. I've never understood yeah, now that Now you've just screwed me up because now I'm like, is it the real 13th or the 14th, 13th? Like, which one are you putting me on? Yeah. Right? Well, Did they build they the can't... 13th floor and they just go up past it? I think some of them they do. Don't, <laughs> they don't want you to know what goes on on the 13th floor, so they renamed it the 14th floor. That's what it is. <laughs> Probably. Well, but, thanks for yeah. joining us, Mark. Do you have uh, anything else you want to cover? Are you uh, good? To, I know it's late over there, and you already did two shows today, so I don't want to keep you. No, I thank you so much for having me. Like, you know, we said in the beginning, it's been like a synchronicity kind of meeting and ron from new england i can't forget to mention him because he was a huge proponent of you guys he loves you guys and he's told me a bunch of times like you gotta do a show with john and jen from joe and jen from legit <laughs> ron's <Bat."> awesome <laughs> you know yeah. he's like you gotta do a legit bet you know with his new england accent and i'm i'm from oh. connecticut but we didn't get an accent for some reason in this state i, oh. I it only comes up in certain words you know no we uh, love ron and uh everybody check out his new show it's great I've, he has yeah. two or three episodes out now wicked planet podcast check him out he'll probably be on a, a rockfin channel very soon i'm sure yeah so yeah, and then likely. people can check my show out at myfamilythinksomecrazy.com we have our own website and from there you can find everything our patreon and all that good stuff awesome. yeah a lot of cool things are, are coming with alt media united and again it's been a pleasure uh being on your show guys i really appreciate it we appreciate you coming on yeah, thank you so ben. much thanks for coming on man we will uh talk to you soon all right have a good night all right man you too
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.